warning, pop culture leftovers might not be suitable for people who can't handle insane amounts of profanity, so you might want to fuck off. Pop culture leftovers might take its time getting around to its advertised content as well. If this is a huge problem for you, then you too can fuck off. Pop culture leftovers typically has a long run time as well. If you can't handle a four to six hour podcast, then you probably won't like us, and you too can join the aforementioned cock thistles and fuck off altogether in unison. Others who may not be able to handle pop culture leftovers include children under the age of 14, if you regularly listen to NPR, are a pregnant woman that has spent most of your first, second, and third trimester looking at stupid shit on both Etsy and Pinterest, if you tuck in your t-shirts, if you use a Bluetooth headset in public, if you go to motivational speaking seminars, if you have life goals, if you have self-respect, if you have a heart condition, if you're a huge pussy, if you're a huge pussy with a heart condition, or if your name is Melvin, TFS706, or TJ Lamb. Everyone else, please enjoy. Episode 410. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about It's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, push over, pop culture. Uncool kids, what's to say's already been said. Hello, this is Randall Park, and you are listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Hey, welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm a leftover. No Jake this week. He's taking the week off. He will return next week. But I am joined by two guests today, uh, first of whom being Mr. Handy Greg. Welcome back, Handy Greg. Hello, Brian. I've missed you. I've missed you too, Greg. <laughs> that was awkward. <laughs> 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 two two grown men saying they miss each other. Yeah, I, it came out of my mouth, and then I I paused. I was like, "Is that weird?" I no, mean, I do miss you though. No, I, you know what I think you did? I think you destroyed yeah. toxic masculinity on this episode. I did. You did. You broke yeah. down a wall. I haven't physically seen you in a long time, oh, but I know. it's nice. Spe- it's nice speaking with you. Yeah. And when I see you, I'm going to give you a big hug, and I'm proud to say that. Yeah, exactly. I'm vaxxed. I'm relaxed and vaxxed and ready to hug Handy Greg. Yeah, you know, I'll I'll get drunk and I'll spit in your mouth. That's what we'll do. <laughs> like li- <laughs> like little drunk baby birds. Exactly. Yeah. Like cheap, cheap, cheap. I'll let my spit just hang and like a little baby bird. Ah, just just nip it up like yeah, that. Yeah, nourish my nourish me. <laughs> <laughs> Feed me, Seymour. There we go. Ah, it's very sexy. And we have uh, Melissa Sloter from the Wild Pretty Things podcast. And what's the other the other podcast you're on? It's uh, it's uh. The, it's, Bob is in the title, correct? Like, like, what the fuck, Bob, or what is yeah, it called? Yeah, it's, Grey Bob. What's it, what is it called? What's it called again? Grey Bob. Okay, okay, alright, alright, yeah. Well, welcome, welcome, Melissa. Welcome! Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be back both with you and with Handy Greg. Yeah, I yeah. want all of our greetings in person to be a little bit more normal than what you guys described. Yeah, but it'll be more. Way either more way is fine. Yeah. Guys, I think we should normalize spitting in each other's mouths. It should be a normal thing. You said it wasn't normal. I, not me. 
Not me, Greg. You, you, <laughs> I'm you. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're fine. This is weird. Everything about this episode yeah, so this far, so it's very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. All righty. Let's see here. Oh, I uh, got to go over. We've we've got some uh, contest winners that we got to go over here for uh, the Commando, the Mickey Rourke movie, Michael Jai White film. And uh, let me uh, let me get the winners for that. Contest. Well, Donnie, what's going on here? There we go. First winner for the commando. Five digital codes. Joe Stark. Joe Stark. Yes, Joe. Joe Stark getting a copy, digital copy of the commando. All right. Number two. Blaine Q. Blaine Q wins. Blaine could either be a male or female name. I don't know. I've met a well, female. Way, yeah, I've they're met. They're a winner. They're a winner. I've met a female named. I've met a woman named Blaine before. Very nice person. Lady Blaine is what we called her. Geraldo, we did not call her Lady Blaine. Geraldo. I was just about to be like, that's a great nickname. <laughs> <laughs> It's the Blaines, and then it's but and then there's Lady Blaine, Lady Blaine, Geraldo Vega, Geraldo yes. Vega. That, that is like the ultimate name right there, Geraldo Vega. Jealous yes. of that name. My name is so boring compared to Geraldo Vega. And uh, let's see here, number four, Jeremy Hill. Jeremy Hill wins a digital copy of the Commando, and the final winner. Final winner for the Commando. Who's going to be enjoying this Mickey Rourke movie with Michael Jai White? Let's see here. Come on. Give me a name. Monica Garola. Of course it's Monica Garola. Mm-hmm. She wins every week. All right. So, yes, uh, those are the five winners for the Commando. We have two new contests coming up, and we'll go over those winners next week. The first one is for uh, the... Uh, the Adams Family uh, sequel. The Adams Family is back with an all-new spooktacular adventure featuring an all-star cast and all-new bonus content. The Adams Family 2 is yours to own now on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, let's see here. So, yeah, you can win. I think... I'm not sure if this is digital codes or if these are physical copies. But anyway, uh, enter the contest. You can just send me uh, your entry to contest at popcultureleftovers.com. What I'm going to do is I'm going to send out a Facebook post and a tweet on Twitter. All you have to do is prove to me that you either shared the post or retweeted uh, and uh, send me a screenshot to contest at popcultureleftovers.com with the title, The Adams Family 2. And you can win... Uh, I think it's a digital copy. You'll you'll win. You'll be able to see the movie. I promise you. And then contest number two is for Borrego, and uh, that is uh, Borrego starring Lucy Hale is now available on digital and on demand. When a young botanist is kidnapped in the desert by a drug mule, she must risk her life to escape from her captor's clutches. Buy or rent Borrego and watch it today. Rated R from Paramount Pictures. And the same applies here. I'm going to send out the Facebook and Twitter Borrego post. 
All you have to do is screenshot it that you shared it and retweeted it and uh, send it to contest at popcultureleftovers.com with the title Borrego, and that is spelled B-O-R-R-E-G-O. And I will go over the winners for the digital codes for Borrego next week. Yeah, I'm excited. That movie's on my watch list, and I just haven't uh, made the time to spend my $6 to watch it. So I'm going to be trying to win this contest. There you go. Yeah, there you go. You haven't pulled the trigger yet, but you might get a chance to watch it for free. Hopefully, you'll be able to beat out Monica Garola. She <laughs> she is a fierce competitor. I know. <laughs> Monica's uh, like the PCL version of that guy who won like 50 episodes of The Price is Right. Yeah. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah. yeah. She's like your version of that. They need to make a documentary about how she won so many free movies I know. someday. It's the, amazing. The list of movies that Monica Grola has won from PCL is just it's astounding. Just her digital library. It should be named it's like, PCL. Yeah, no it's shit. Like the it's like the name of her of Plex server. But. Yeah. Right now she's watching the Commando and uh, all the other all the other movies, man. It's crazy. Imagine her scrolling through her iTunes video library. That's gonna take forever to get like a movie that starts with a letter Q. She's yeah. gotta go all the way through those movies. She's one. Uh let's see here. What the fuck are I some of the words that that uh, companies are using for their products, especially like food and stuff now, it's kinda driving me crazy. I was, I bought this stuff, uh, at, at Aldi. It was, uh, what did they call it? They called it like, they called it, Greg, they called it overnight oatmeal. Uh oh, that doesn't sound mm. good. And so mm-hmm. it's like, it's like a, it's like a soggy oatmeal. And at the bottom it has like a maple kind of like syrup. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll buy this stuff. So I, I bought it. So I enjoy oatmeal. It's like a cold oatmeal. It's like a sake. It's overnight oatmeal. But on the front of it, it, they're touting, they are touting ancient grains. What is it? The grains of our forefathers. Yeah, I don't understand it. I don't know. What is ancient? (laughs) It it makes me think like like the people there, whoever made this, like some guy like Indiana Jones broke into a temple and found ancient grains. No, I, I think I know what this is, but I could be wrong. Is this all about the shit where, like, apparently we've been genetically fucking around too much with the grains, and that's why everyone can't eat gluten anymore? Because the grains are, we fucked up the grains. And if you get the old grains, they're not, like, they're not, we didn't fuck around. Like, the grains they find, you know, in tombs and shit, they're not, (laughs) they're not genetically. So you're telling me that these overnight oats are using grave grains? No, they might use the old grains aren't like inbred. You know how like the grains now are all inbred because of all the, you know, shit, the over farming and stuff we've been doing. Don't talk about so them these, like that, Greg. Damn. Yeah. These old ass <laughs> grains are are better for your gut and maybe people who are gluten free can eat those grains. And that might be it. How is it? It's just like so like they're they're having like a board meeting about their overnight oatmeal and they're like, guys, yes. we've we've fucked up the grains. <laughs> this is the world we live in now. We fucked up the grains. Let's get back on the grain train, the ancient grain train. Yeah, so seriously, I just Googled and I'm right. So fuck all of y'all. <laughs> no, I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not saying you're not right. <laughs> said you were wrong. Nobody said you were wrong. <laughs> Nobody said you were wrong. <laughs> Nobody said you were wrong. <laughs> Nobody said you were wrong. 
so they're they're old grains. Can't eat gluten. You eat these old grains, and they're fine. So you it's, it's I mean? gluten free grains, is what it is. Something like that. I, I I used to work with a guy that was allergic to gluten, and I'm talking like this is like you know, oh god, fifteen, sixteen years ago. And this, like before there was food available exactly. in the section for this person to eat. Oh, God, I can't imagine. His name was Joe, and I can't imagine this guy now because everything's gluten-free now. Everywhere you go, it's all gluten-free. Like he must be having the heyday of his life. Like you can get gluten-free pizza. He was talking to me about gluten-free pizza back in the day. He would have to go – he would have to special order it the day before at like Godfather's Pizza, and they would make it on a hash brown crust. Oh. That sounds like it probably slaps, and I miss fucking Godfather's Pizza. Oh, I miss old school Godfather's Pizza. Like hell yeah, like the way they they. Oh god, Godfather's Pizza made some great fucking pizza back in the day. But yeah, Joe, Joe, Joe he, he he was allergic to gluten, and I can't imagine him now. He can just eat everything now. Everything's gluten free, and um, yeah, we used to work in a. In a uh, in an electronics department together, and we played we played this movie called Joey Neutron or Jimmy Neutron, Jimmy Neutron, and I called I called him Joey Glutron. Did he love you? Oh, me and Joe were great friends. I actually bumped into him. I bumped into him at Six Flags uh, years later, and we were just talking like we were old friends. And what a great place for a reunion! I know it was awesome. Say hi to an old friend. Go ride a coaster. Yeah, yeah. No, him, him and his girlfriend played video. They got married, but they played video games together. And yeah, he's a big nerd, so just like me. So yeah, we had a lot in common when we worked there. So. All right. Have you guys heard of the uh, TikTok Sleepy Chicken Challenge? No. No. Okay. It scares me. Uh, it sounds dangerous. The Sleepy Chicken Challenge, which has made the rounds on TikTok, involves cooking chicken in sedative cough syrup. Uh, the the original video for the Sleepy Chicken Challenge originated in 2020 from what looks like to be a satire account from the artist Rob Flo. Um, and, uh, Flo's groundbreaking recipe for sleepy chicken involves pouring four thirds of a bottle into a frying pan with chicken breasts and to boil the mixture for five to 30 minutes. And, uh, you, uh, sleepy chicken. What? It sounds appetizing, five doesn't to it? Five to 30? <laughs> sleepy chicken. Just pick your duration. It's fine. Yeah, five minutes, 30, whatever. <laughs> we don't give a fuck. <laughs> you want salmonella, whatever. Fuck it. <laughs> it doesn't sound safe. It sounds dangerous, but isn't a lot of the ingredient of these sleep medicines alcohol that would burn off when you cook it? Yeah, but like, what about the shit that knocks you out? Yeah. Here, NyQuil, here's oh, what. Oh, that's true. That's true. NyQuil and DayQuil. This is what their response was. Um, consumer safety is our number one priority. We do not endorse inappropriate use of our product. NyQuil is an over-the-counter medication that treats nighttime symptoms of the common cold and flu. <laughs> it should be taken as directed, using the dosage cup provided to not exceed four doses in 24 hours. So NyQuil is saying no to this. This is not the way to ingest NyQuil. Do not do the sleepy chicken challenge. 
Do you think Why this the... was an emergency? Would at, you like, do NyQuil? this? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe you don't like the taste of NyQuil and you're just like, oh, I'm going to spice it up with some Cheka. <laughs> do, do you think that NyQuil had to like secure the, the work of like a crisis PR firm to deal with this issue? Like do... just a regular day in the office for the NyQuil CEO and someone's like, there are kids cooking fucking chicken in our medicine. We gotta do something. <laughs> I, I would love to see like we're the a, new Tide Pods. That's a fucked up thing in the office. It's like, oh shit. They got papers flying through the air, just like everybody. <laughs> just, it's just, are, just the customer service department is overwhelmed with phone calls. People are panicking. Yeah. <laughs> Tyson's like, don't even bring us into this. <laughs> Why is it? Why are people calling Purdue? <laughs> Heritage Farms just drops their fucking Twitter account. We're done. Uh, I uh, bet it's safer to cook with Dayquil though. It's probably I totally bet it fine. still tastes like shit. Yeah, it's got to taste like shit. Maybe yeah, these people hate good. their kids. <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> Oh yeah, let's put let's let's put Timmy to bed. <laughs> Timmy, here's a check on. You know, there's a little spike in Nyquil sales though that they're secretly secretly kind of happy about though, right? Like in a couple months, they'll be like, "This was the TikTok spike." Yeah. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! All right, let's see here. What do I got? Sleepy chicken challenge. None of our, hey, th- I'm not endorsing this for any of our listeners. No one should do this. No one do the sleepy chicken challenge. Let's jump into this week's good pop, bad pop. It's time for more leftover reviews with good pop, bad pop. Good pop, bad pop is where we talk about the things in the previous weekend or weeks that we either watched or read. Sometimes we rate these things. And if this is your first time listening, we'd like you to be familiar with our rating system. The rating system is simple. If the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. Ancient grains, Greg. Ancient grains. Awesome. Fuck yeah. Ancient grains. I did some grains. additional research on yeah. this topic, and I'm just going to admit I'm way over my head. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I said about the grains being inbred, not necessarily accurate, but I'm having trouble understanding the logic behind this, so I kind of just have to tap out. I just, I'm just so proud that you admitted this after your I'm right, everybody fuck off. <laughs> well, it was, I said fuck all of y'all. I didn't tell you fuck off necessarily. <laughs> I was, the spirit of what I said was right. But I don't have the information to back up why I was right. I'm just I, I'm I'm done with like these fads for like different shit coming out all the time. It's like everything for a while was like artisan crafted, right? And uh, I don't know, just these different these fucking uh, these uh, these these words that they're using, like microbrew, microbrew, microbrew. Yeah, yeah, fucking uh, barrel aged. <laughs> Okay. Can I just get a fucking beer? <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> sugar free? What the fuck is that? Why 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 isn't wheat cool anymore? Like what the fuck? <laughs> oh no, I've been attacked. I'm literally drinking a sugar free monster right now. Mm. 
You know what I had? I had an energy drink the other day. Um, they're making energy drinks that taste like uh, Sour Patch Kids in those candies. Oh. They are disgusting. It is gross. Oh. It's a uh, ghost. It's called ghost. You probably feel like a ghost after you drink. That I, I drank half of it and I was just like, I can't do this. Only five calories. Like I don't drink any of the ones that are full. Like they have like 200 some calories and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't do that shit. Had five calories. I just tasted like garbage. Just tasted like garbage. Just tasted like childhood threw up in my mouth. It was, <laughs> it was gross. Yeah. Anyway. Um, oh, yeah. Some of the things that I've been uh, finishing up and watching recently. I wanted to let everybody know that I did watch the Yellow Jackets finale on Showtime. Absolute Tupperware that whole season. We are getting a season two. If you don't have a Showtime subscription, Yellow Jackets is the reason to fucking use like a free month of Showtime or something. Like this show is legit awesome. Are either of you watching Yellow Jackets? Yeah, I finished I it. Not, I fucking it. loved that show. It's so, oh, it's so addictive. So fucking, it is. Greg, you would love it, man. I'll hook you up, dude. You got to watch Yellow Jackets. I will check it out. It is very good. So Tupperware, Yellow Jackets. Um, I, I'm two episodes away from finishing Archive 81. I love that too. It's so good. Archive 81 is amazing. Uh, I finished Station 11. On HBO, and my God, that show is incredible. I love Station Eleven. And uh, let's see here. Oh, Righteous Gemstones is back on HBO Max. Eric Andre's on this season. I'm four episodes in. I'll- I could not believe him just showing up in that show. And I was like, <laughs> I guess it was just a matter of time. It's so good. I love Eric Andre. <laughs> Ah, ah, I love it. Righteous Gemstones, absolute Tupperware so far this season. I'm loving it. And then, um, did you guys, I don't know, Greg, are you, are you watching the book of Boba Fett? Absolutely. Melissa, is this something that you're watching? Yeah, I actually am watching it, but I haven't seen this week's yet. Ooh, shit. But if you guys want to talk about it, that's totally fine. I'm not spoiler adverse at all. Okay, yeah. You're 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 caught up, aren't you, Greg? Yes, I am. Yeah, dude. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god. Like I was kind of down on the show. Um I I enjoyed As the I. I enjoyed the first two episodes more than most, but then the last two, like like 3 and 4 before we got this fifth episode, I was kind of like getting down on. My biggest problem with it, Greg, I guess for me has been um this whole idea of i just didn't understand where they were going after we kind of like figured out like what he's doing with this with him being a crime lord he's wanting to make a safer work environment for for bounty hunters i was like that's what this show's about yeah, boba fett somehow became like the osha of tatooine yes completely bizarre and I, I was that was my he's biggest a crime problem lord, but not a slum lord yeah he's the crime lord he's that kind of lovable crime lord though you know like, if you're going to have a crime lord, Boba's the one you want. Are, are we okay sharing spoilers, Brian? Oh, I'm fine with sharing spoilers, yeah. Okay. What kind of crazy world did we live in, though, where, like, just think of this two and a half years ago. We're like, who wants to see fucking Boba Fett? Uh, thank God it's an episode of Just Din Djarin. Like, that's crazy how much our perspectives right. have changed. Because I, it's funny, I watch, I watch with my kids every week, and... 
I just based on the music last episode, I thought we were getting Din Djarin. I just didn't think we get a whole episode. On. Yeah. And as I was also like, are they going to make us wait till the end of the episode? And then we'll see him. So as soon as that door opens and you see him, my kids started squealing and clapping their hands. They were so excited. Yeah. And then as I'm watching it, and maybe this is like some of where Book of Boba Fett's been a little bit soft. I'm sitting there and I'm like, please, God, don't go back to Tatooine and give me another fucking flashback. Like, please, no. <laughs> and then 20 minutes in, I'm like, I think we're getting the whole episode of Din Djarin. Like, I, I think this is it. Yeah. And it was, it was definitely the best episode of the series. And it's really weird because yeah. it was not an episode of the Book of Boba Fett. Do you think that... I mean, do you think that, how do I phrase this? Like, once we get the Ahsoka series, I mean, could these all be tying into one another? Like, could could we see Din Djarin and Boba Fett pop up in that series? I feel like, I feel like at this point, like, they're viewing Din Djarin, the Mandalorian, as kind of like what DC Warner Brothers does with Batman. Like, let's put Batman in everything. You know, it's like yeah. And don't you feel like it'll work a little bit better because everybody loves the Mandalorian and thinks it's great? Y- yeah, yeah. I mean, almost universally. Yeah. I mean, and you've got Baby Yoda too. Like, mm-hmm. They've got this. There's a whole segment of fandom that loves the Mandalorian, but they're like, "Where's the little fucking puppet?" Yeah. You know? Do you think that we're gonna get Baby Yoda in the next episode? Do you think they? Do you think it's going to? Do you think it's going to be an episode we're going to pick up right where we left off with, you know, Fennec Shand, and and uh, you know the Mando, um, going to visit Baby Yoda, or do you think that they're going to be saving that for season three of the Mandalorian? Because like, it makes me think like he's gonna he's gonna be hired muscle for Boba Fett, but he says I got to do this first. Yeah. After they specifically mentioned Grogu, and we've got to see him get the what I think is chainmail. Yeah, it's almost like the Mithril vest that Frodo gets. And I'm sounding so nerdy right now, but no. I'm talking, like Frodo gets the Mithril vest, right? It's like that for Grogu, made out of Beskar steel, right? Exactly. That's at yeah. least what I think it is. That's exactly what it is. I think. Yeah. I think we're getting Grogu next episode, and I'm having a hard time seeing how we're not getting a glimpse of Luke. Dude, I I mean, I honestly feel at this point, like, the way that this episode set up with his limited training that he had with the armor, that he's going to train with Luke with the Darksaber. Yeah. Can can you explain to me why the – and I'm sure someone listening is rolling their eyes. Why is the Darksaber heavy? Can someone explain that to me? I'm not like a cartoon guy, so I don't have all the history. I think it's basically like, and I, I could be wrong here, but, um, you know, we've seen, we've pretty much only seen force users use lightsabers. Yeah. And they let the force flow through them and they, as they use the lightsaber. He's not force sensitive. So I don't know. I'm guessing maybe it's with him not being force sensitive that that yeah. might you know, we saw like Han use it for you know just cutting up a tauntaun, but Moff Gideon used it. He's a big pussy. Exactly. I don't. I don't understand. Like they kind of just threw that in there that he was like, I don't know. I, I, I there might be something in Legends where they talk about it, but yeah. I don't know if there's anything canon that really goes into why the dark saber is not working for him. Yeah, it was like Moff Gideon was using it like it was nothing. 
can, can I share just one more just general observation with the book of Boba Fett and where I think, again, it's just been a little, it's been a little off. It, when I thought, when I think about like before this series started, I'm excited to see Boba Fett in his armor kicking ass. We haven't fucking gotten that yet. We're six episodes in. He hasn't kicked any ass at all. And when he has, it's been with a fucking stick. This is give people what they want, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. Because he was kicking ass with the stick in the Mandalorian, and he didn't even have his armor at that time. When he got the armor, he shot a ship down, and he shot shit out of his knee, and it was cool. But like, we really haven't gotten to see Boba cut loose yet. And it, I think they're leaning too heavily. I think they're overestimating how much we give a shit about how he got out of the pit and how he got to Fennec Shand. And I just don't know that we needed all of that. It's almost like the opposite of the somehow Palpatine has returned. Like, I don't need every detail of how he got to where he got. Well, I, don't, wh- I don't need all of that. Why did he go back? Why did he go back to the Sarlacc pit to get to to go in the sarlacc to get his armor when he when he crawled out of the sarlacc pit with his armor on yeah it was because it was awesome to see him drop that bomb in it that's why that just didn't make any sense i had the same thing i'm like why 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 are you looking there for it yeah you you obviously crawled out of the sarlacc pit with your armor on it's not like you fucking like in your sleep took off the armor and threw it back in the sarlacc pit like that makes no sense what, what did you think of Boba's new ship? About what? What did you think of his new ship? Oh, uh, the Mandalorian's new ship? Oh, I'm sorry. The Mandalorian's new ship. I, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, I fucking, I love it, dude. It's like, uh. That was a little boy falling in love with a car. Yeah. I mean, that ride through Beggar's Gate. First of all, I'm like, I'm lukewarm on episode one. I have this mm-hmm. weird nostalgic affection for it, even though it's an awful movie. I'm sorry, Jake. I know out there, Jake's mad sure. that saying that. But, yeah. But I love the design of the Naboo Starfighter. And when I saw it, I was like, oh, shit, please. And the way they fucking modded that. So cool. Yeah, it was like watching a show where like they like take one of these old muscle cars and they restore it, you know? Oh my god. And and you know, that was all of the speed that we didn't get in that really bizarre chase scene yes, episode. Yes. <laughs> like we, we got this painfully slow chase scene and then a week later it's like this modified N one Starfighter yeah through beggars canyon i mean just amazing yeah and and, i mean once the episode was done and we saw you know directed by bryce dallas howard i immediately direct whatever she wants well i was thinking to myself as fucked up as as this as this sounds i want her to do the rogue squadron movie oh absolutely (laughs) right Like, no, I actually would feel better with her than Patty Jenkins after the second Wonder Woman movie. If Patty Jenkins is directing, I'm fine. It's like when Patty Jenkins got like creative control of Wonder Woman 1984, that's where the problem was, in my opinion. I think she's a fantastic director, but I think as like, as far as like the story goes, the narrative and stuff like that, it should be 100%. I mean, she should have input, of course, but I think it, I think they need to get a different like writer for Wonder Woman, but. That's just me. Um, Bryce Dallas Howard, she can do whatever she wants to in Star Wars. I'd like to see her do, after seeing this episode, put her on Rogue One. That'd be, uh, Rogue Squadron. That would be incredible. Yeah, I'm, I'm also a huge fan of Black Chrysanthemum. Yes. Give me him in every, I mean, he is badass and I just love that design. So if this is building towards like Boba, The Mandalorian, Black Chrysanthemum, 
um, Fennec Shand, mm-hmm. fuck it, let's go crazy. Um, a couple yeah. other bounty hunters, Cad Bane, some yeah, Cad Bane, some, all of these dudes. Fuck it, sign me up for the next two episodes. But they got to get to it pretty quickly. I mean, yeah. we're running out of show here. Yeah, we got wait, wait, two episodes left. Yes. Yeah. And then one of them, if one of them is like somehow Grogu, like that's one episode, you know. So I just don't know. Dude, this last episode was like 50 minutes, though, which was fantastic. It was. It's almost like, forgive the sports analogy, but it's almost like watching a football game and the coach just doesn't know how to manage the clock. You're <laughs> like, dude, you got two minutes left and you're down two touchdowns. You got to fucking score. Right. You know? Yeah. That's what watching this show is like. It's like, I in this episode, I'm like, I love this, but how are you managing <laughs> at most 120 minutes more of show to get us to where we need to get in the story? Yeah. Oh god! What was the other Star Wars news this week? It got me. Uh, Mary, was it Mary Elizabeth Winstead's going to be in Ahsoka? Yeah, I saw that too. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, a lot of Star Wars coming out. We're still getting. Aren't we getting Andor this year and Obi Wan? And towards the end of the year, Mandal- Mando season three. Yeah, we should be. Um, I'm really excited. It's funny. I, a lot of people have said this. But Rogue One is one of those movies that just gets better with age. It's like a fine wine. I I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm strangely very excited for Andor. Not as excited as Obi Wan. Yeah. But I'm very excited to see Andor again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I man, Rogue One should not have been as good as it was, in my opinion. So, I mean, you know, when they. You know, when they, when they dropped the, the, the director and then they had, didn't, they, who did they have? They had somebody come in and like finish that movie and they wanted to keep Wasn't it. Under- it Tony Gilroy? Tony Gilroy. The, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, were you surprised this last episode of Book of Boba Fett when the armor showed up? When, as soon as I saw that Mythosaur logo, that myth, myth, Mythosaur, you know, crest or whatever, that symbol, I was like, oh my God, I bet we get, I bet we see the armor here. I assumed she was dead. So, so then when we did see her, I was surprised. And then I was looking at the design of the helmet to see like, is this a different armor? You know, and obviously it's not. So I was, I was surprised. By it, Do you think that he's going to go to Mandalore and try to redeem himself? Or do you think he's going to come to terms that he doesn't have to be um, – he can be a Mandalorian and not be a part of this certain group of Mandalorians. I mean he can be more of like the Bo-Katan type of Mandalorian where they do take their helmets off, where it's not – you know, like like it, it's it's like the difference between like certain religions and some being stricter than others. It feels like the retaking of Mandalore is like the big Avengers movie thing that they are building up to. Yeah. And that, you know, we'll get Ahsoka. I don't think Obi-Wan will tie into it, but some of these other characters that are being introduced, it just feels like there's some possibility they'll come together with in this big, massive event around the retaking of Mandalore. I I'm guessing it's not Mandalorian season three. That feels too soon. Yeah. But it just feels like it's a little too soon to have like bounty hunter that loves this cute kid that doesn't really want to rule a planet that now is going to rule a planet. Like it feels like we need two seasons at least to get there. I, I feel but like at the, it, yeah. at, 
at the end of Mandalorian season three, we could get another announcement for another like spinoff show, just like we did, you yeah. know, with season two. Right. Um, I do love the fact that both Mando and Boba now are kind of without a clan, though, right? Yeah. Because, you know, Boba has kind of been ejected from his clan, like, or he's ejected himself, depending on how you define it, because like, he took his helmet off. And Boba, you know, had the same people kind of get slaughtered. So it's interesting to see them come together with some of that going on in the background. And I guess there's also this really interesting backstory. And again, if maybe there are listeners who have read the comics and know more than I do, but apparently black Chrysanthemum was in slavery. That's part of his backstory. Okay. And he, and he escaped and, you know, then became this sort of badass bounty hunter. So I love the idea of kind of these lost souls banding together. Well, um, Yeah. Yeah, even even Boba himself was most recently kind of like a, a slave to the Tuscan Raiders there for a short period of time. Right. So, yeah, that's when we got dancing with Tuscans for three episodes or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, I'm so ready for the next two episodes, especially if Din Djarin is involved. Um, do you think? Yeah, last question. Do you think there's a chance? And because like, I didn't think. You know, I was hoping that we'd get Luke Skywalker at the end of Mando season two, but like, I just didn't think it was going to be a possibility. And then it happened. And how much Luke do you think we're going to get? Do you think that Luke, we could see a scene of Luke meeting Ahsoka in the Ahsoka series? It feels like if we don't eventually get Luke meeting Ahsoka, we've been robbed. And I hate saying that after, and you know, this is like beating a dead horse. We, yes. We never got Leia, Luke and Han together. Yeah. We, we all have to move on. We have to move on. Yeah. But it feels like that's too big of a missed opportunity. What I'm really curious about is will the technology progress to the point where they can give us more Luke than glimpses and have it be, um, not terribly distracting. Well, they we, That's what they, I'm curious they hired that guy that did the deep fake. So I think that, yes. I mean, you know, I have more confidence in what we're going to see from, from Luke, uh, in, in the future, if that's the case. So, yeah, I mean, the big rumor was, and again, I, I wouldn't consider this a spoiler because it's just a rumor that we're going to get Han. We're going to get a glimpse at Han before yeah. this thing is over. I'm just trying to think of how Han would weave into the story, but who, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Part of me was thinking to myself, like, why is Boba Fett so mad at, like, the Huts and uh, Bib Fortuna when it was, when it was, like, Han that fucking, you know, uh, it was Han and Luke that knocked him into the Sarlacc, so. Well, Boba's like, didn't he say something like, Bib Fortuna betrayed me? I'm like, well, he did what? When? What did, he what? He didn't betray you. You shot his fat ass. He didn't do anything to you. Yeah, I don't know. Like, what, did he do? what did he do? What did he do to you that I missed? So I, I yeah, was there, I don't know. It's a little confusing. Yeah, mm. Boba's motivations and actions are lacking in yeah. this series, and you know, I I like I like Tamara Morrison. They need to do something about those fucking beautiful teeth. I'm sorry, they're a distraction. <laughs> Um, yeah. No, I'm serious. Like he has the best teeth in the entire fucking universe. Come on, guys. If you're going to spend the money, rub some dirt on those teeth. Enough. Yeah, um, but he's been wonderful. Uh, I loved some of the tough guy talk, but I don't understand why he's doing what he's doing as a character. I have no idea. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's crazy that, yeah, it is crazy that, like, this fucking character Boba Fett that's been around for, you know, since the, the fucking holiday special and, uh, is, is, we're, we don't care as much about him as we do the fucking Mandalorian. So it's wild, that's man. Odd. It is it's odd. It's been a crazy couple of years, hasn't it? It has. It has. So, um, uh, let's see here. I don't know about you guys, but Ozark, I'm a huge fan of Ozark, Jason Bateman, Laura Linney. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this. Uh, it is season four and this is part one and we got seven episodes and then they, they're going to drop another seven. I burned through mm-hmm. all seven episodes. Um, mm-hmm. you did as well, Melissa. Yeah. I only watched one because I watch it with my wife, but if you guys want to spoil it, go ahead. I, I, I will say <laughs> that it's, it's Ozark. It's, I, yeah. It's, Amazing. Yeah. I'm not My here. My first response to the season was like, Ozark, gonna Ozark. <laughs> like, it's right on its bullshit. It's, I'll say this, like, I loved season one and I thought season two and three were fantastic, but I honestly feel like season four, right? Like, I mean, I, as soon as I'm getting into like episodes three, four, five, six, seven, it's just, I am just, I think that this is, this is the best pacing and the best season they've had since season one. Mm-hmm. And it's not to take well, anything away from seasons two and three. It's just been so good. Well, now that it's like so firmly the Wendy and Ruth show, it's like, oh, holy shit, this show is good, good. Like it, it's always been great, but to put the focus on those two characters and those two actors is like next level shit. I think that they are putting a lot of focus on Ruth and Wendy, and I think they're fantastic. Um, I really love seeing um, Ruth get unhinged and and Wendy kind of making some questionable decisions and, and, and saying some things that um, that maybe she shouldn't be doing and drawing attention to certain situations that maybe she shouldn't be doing. Um, but as Jason Bateman is just so subtle in his performance mm-hmm. it, as it is like a character will do something like insane and he'll be like <laughs> and then like everybody will leave the room and he'll look at that character and go what the fuck and i'm just like <laughs> and he's, so, he's so dry yes and understated yes and yes it's an amazing it's like um the most interesting sociopath performance that you would have never predicted right. because he just doesn't appear to have much emotional connection to anything but he's fascinating to watch. I slowly think that we're, that, 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 that his character and Laura Linney's character are going to come to a head in, in the second part of this. And it, because it's like, you know, now the, now there's like this, you know, their son is, you know, kind of, uh, um, turned on them. So, um, It'll be oh god I I'm not I don't want to spoil it but my god I, I cannot wait for part two if and you we, want to spoil that's fine I'll I'll I can I can handle no. it I'll I'll be okay I don't even want to spoil it for our listeners I just want people to know if you're not watching Ozark on Netflix you're missing out and it is an absolute Tupperware this season it's so good yeah and the only other thing I'll say is like after three and a half seasons like you think you have an understanding of what Julia Garner can do with the character of Ruth but. You don't. You don't until you've seen all seven episodes of part mm-hmm. one of season four of Ozarks. It's such a Tupperware. Like, I cannot wait for this girl to do so 
many characters like this in the future too. Yeah, God, I mean, she's fantastic. She's great, and like for I, and I loved her and Tom Pelfrey's, you know, Ben, uh, their relationship mm-hmm. in the third season, and so I love that they're carrying over the ramifications of season three, yes. this season four. I love Ruth and Jonah bonding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Ozark season four, part one, absolute Tupperware. Cannot wait for part two. There's no release date set for it yet. Um, I'm hoping we get it sooner rather than later. Please give it to me, uh, mid February, late February. I want it now, but. Oh, that's soon you think. That's- I hope. That's what I, I was want. Like hoping, hoping for like within this year. I know. I don't think we're going to get it that early. It's just like, you know, and they did the same thing with fucking Breaking Bad, breaking the final season up into two parts, and it's like, I want it all. Mainline it. I want it. Now. It's so good. Um, Melissa, you sent me uh, a movie from Sundance. Um, did you get a chance to watch it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cha-Cha Real Smooth. And this is uh, – yeah, go ahead and – uh, it's a young man who works uh, as a bar mitzvah party host, strikes up a friendship with a mother and her autistic daughter. A young man who works as a bar mitzvah party. Yeah, that, that's what I read. It's written and directed by Cooper Rafe. And uh, it's got a cast of uh, Cooper Rafe, Dakota Johnson, Leslie Mann, Brad Garrett, Raul Castillo, Odea Rush, and Kelly O'Sullivan. And um, like this uh, – this was just part of the uh, of the Sundance Film Festival for 2022, correct? Yeah. Um so Sundance did a virtual festival for 2021 and then they had planned to do in-person screenings for 2022 like most of their festival was going to take place in person as quote unquote normal um but then like Omicron surged and so they went all virtual so then all of the virtual screenings had more capacity so I was I was planning on not spending a bunch of money watching Sundance movies this year, but then when it went all virtual, everybody was going to be watching them at home. I was like, okay, well, I can't have everybody on Twitter watching the movies without me. <laughs> and then <laughs> I realized I was going to be on this episode, and I, I thought I remembered, and I ended up being right, that you guys liked uh, Cooper Rafe's first movie, Shit House, yeah. on the show. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. I can send Brian a ticket, and then we can... I assumed that I would love this movie because I loved Shit House. I think Cooper Rafe just makes really excellent movies. Um, so I'm v- very glad that this worked out. <laughs> this movie was purchased out of Sundance by Apple. So there will be most likely a theater release, but then it'll definitely be streaming on Apple TV Plus at one point. So everybody will get a chance to see this. What did you think about uh, his sophomore film, uh, Cha Cha Real Smooth? I loved it. I'm giving it the highest of Tupperwares. I think, well, I guess you can speak to your experience, but uh, for me personally, I think that if you liked Shithouse, you'll like this movie because it's it's just more of the same. Um, it's a it's a coming of age story, um, but this time it's through a different stage of life. Shithouse is about someone early in college. This is about um, a young adult just outside of college figuring out what to do with his life. But Cooper Rafe just makes movies with such emotionally rich and complex characters, and then he just allows all of that complexity to be right there on the screen, and I just love that so much. Like All of these characters feel so many things. Everybody... Everybody is allowed to cry if they need to, which I just love. Like, I I just really adored this movie. 
I I loved this movie too. I I thought oh, I'm so glad. I was so happy that you sent it to me. I actually um I found a way. I didn't want to watch it on my computer screen, so I found a way that you can like stream it to my to my um Roku, which then oh, I was perfect. I was able to watch it on my TV. And um I'm I'm like I'm like, you know, 15 20 minutes in and I'm like I am loving this movie. It he is he's got a mother who um who's bipolar. And he strikes up this friendship with this mother, um, and her autistic daughter. And Dakota Johnson is just so good. So good in this movie. And I mean, he, he's, he, he's kind of like, he's in his early twenties. He's 22 and he doesn't really know what he wants to do with his life. He's got a girlfriend that moved abroad and she's on Instagram posting pictures of her and this new guy. And, and, uh, so, he he's going he's uh, his life is going through changes and he's starting to he goes to a bar mitzvah and he starts this party with like all these kids starting to dance and so all of, like the women uh, in town are going are hiring him as a party starter and to for all these bar mitzvahs and he's going to be the one that gets everybody out in the dance floor and gets them all pumped up and some of the scenes that happen at these bar mitzvahs are hilarious like when he start, when he starts playing the the wap song um i was <laughs> i can't believe he's fucking doing this and then um i thought it, it was hilarious when he gets called out about it because you yeah. get to hear someone say in such yes ways, yes you told them to dance their wet ass Pussies. <laughs> yes. Um, I thought it was sweet getting the, the daughter, the, the autistic daughter to dance and get out there and dance. And, um, it's, 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 it's a very, it's a heavy fucking movie, but at the same mm-hmm. time, it had me laughing my ass off. And mm-hmm. I love the, the, the relationship that he had, um, this kind of like rivalry that he had with Brad Garrett's character. Of Greg, the stepdad. Stepdad Greg. Yeah, stepdad Greg. <laughs> like the, the 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 rivalry that they had, and like the constant competition for like the, um, you know, his mother played by Leslie Mann, who I thought she was great in this movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, I don't know. I this was like this movie really hit me hard. It was um because it kind of called back to like some things that happened in my you know early twenties. And, you know, he starts to form kind of like a possible romantic relationship with an older woman, which is something that that a very real thing that happened to me. I I was in my early 20s and I was dating a woman that was in her uh, early to mid 30s. And it just really it it reminded me so much of like um, of that. It, It really hit me pretty hard. This movie, Melissa. Oh, yeah, I agree. Like, I'm just so obsessed with Dakota Johnson's character in this movie and what she's kind of going through emotionally. Not that it's, like, exactly like my life. I'm not raising a child, obviously. I mean, or not obviously. Now everybody knows I don't have kids. But I really struggle with being, like, (laughs) ostensibly an adult. Like, what type of decisions do I have to make for myself so that I feel like an adult? Uh, I'm not making like stupid mistakes I have to emotionally pay for later. <laughs> like all of these things are so hard and she's so honest about that in this movie. I just I just love it. It was really good. 
And Ver- Vanessa um, Berghart, who's playing Lola, the daughter, that actor is on the spectrum herself. And she's playing this autistic character in the movie. And I love that representation and inclusivity. Um, th- there's a lot of that on this podcast episode. Oh, yeah. Which we'll get to. Um, but I thought that was really cool. And I've... I've read some responses from people who are, you know, closer to the autistic community than I am, you know, saying what good representation this character was in terms of her being such a fully formed character. Um, And that that was a really exciting acting opportunity for her, too. I loved her interactions uh, with uh, Cooper Rafe playing Andrew. I love Mm -hmm. um, her delivery of her lines and her cadence and the way that she would talk and just a, a really a really sweet character you could tell that the mother had a lot of love and that's part of i think that's part of the of the relationship that the mother was having with you know with dakota johnson was, was was having with andrew was seeing how well she got along with the daughter mm-hmm. um th- this is an absolute tupperware i can't wait for this one to hit on uh apple plus and um, for people to watch this. And if you could see it in the theater, by all means do it. I wish I would have been able to see Shithouse in the theater. But uh, mm-hmm. Cha-Cha... Me real- too. Yeah. Cha-Cha Real Smooth is a fantastic movie. Absolute Tupperware. Highly recommend this one. Greg, I think you would love this movie, dude. It's really good. I'll put it on my list for sure. Uh, let's see here. Uh, too Hot to Handle Season 3, Greg. <laughs> Melissa, have you ever watched any of uh, Too Hot to Handle uh, season one or two? I haven't watched it, but I have listened to every moment of PCL's coverage yeah. of this show. <laughs> now, now, did you dive into Too Hot to Handle season three? I didn't. You didn't? You said no. <laughs> I did not. She said, you... okay, Greg, Greg, did you watch the first two seasons? I did not watch the first two seasons. This was my introduction to Too Hot to Handle. Okay, the, the premise for Too Hot to Handle is basically you take uh, attractive 20-somethings from all over the world and you tell them they're all going to get together on an island and the show name can be a made-up show name, whatever. They're going to call it Pleasure Island and they're just going to be able to go to this island, party, drink, hook up, have sex, have a great time. And uh, once they get to the island then the realization comes in that they're not on a show called Pleasure Island, but they're on a show called Too Hot to Handle. And they are visited by, uh, the host of the show is actually this, uh, uh, this, it's almost like a, an, an Alexa device that, uh, tells them for the next, you know, couple weeks or month, however long they're there, that, uh, there's no, uh, kissing, heavy petting sex of any kind. And if they can get through those two weeks, then they can split this huge cash prize. Now, in the first two seasons, it was $100,000. And in this season, they doubled the prize money to $200,000. And, um, Greg, what? so this is your first introduction to Too Hot to Handle. In season three, I I think it's a great cast of characters uh, this season. What did, you, uh, what did you think about Too Hot to Handle? I started watching the show and it immediately reminded me of a reality show from probably close to 20 years ago called Temptation Island. I don't know if this rings a bell. Yes, it does. Yeah. It was couples that were put on an island and they were separated from their significant other and put with all single people who were somehow incentivized to hook up with them. Um, I, I, a couple of things that were really interesting to me. One is you're kind of lulled into this sense that you're watching a show on network TV that's a little edgy. 
And then someone's like, I am just here on this island for dick. And they will say it exactly that way. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like they're, 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 very, they're very direct about... Good for them, honestly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a little bit... Like, I have a little bit of trouble relating to people who are agonizing over not being able to have sex with other people. Because I'm like, well, that's that was called high school for most of us, you know? <laughs> that part... That part I was a little bit tough with. Are they kind of shallow? Absolutely. Are they kind of admitting that's what they are? Absolutely. And I, again, I have respect for that, Melissa. I think I see it the same way that you do. It's like they're very upfront about what they want there. And hey, all power to them, right? Um, I, I got through the first episode and I was like, fucking Brian for making me watch this. What a disgrace. <laughs> And then, I, and then I started watching. And then I started watching the second episode because I was really curious what was going to happen. Someone breaks a rule right at the end of episode one. Yeah, that's how they um, get you. This is. I feel awful saying this. This is really good reality TV. <laughs> it, it is. I'm going to give it a. I'm going to give it a high taste it because I feel guilty about the fact that I really want to continue watching it. It is immense, immensely frustrating to watch as well, <laughs> for all of the reasons that you could you could probably imagine. I also shamefully have to admit that in an attempt to get me to stop watching the show, I googled all of the spoilers from this season and read them because <laughs> I was like, "There's no way I can keep watching this, and there's no way I can convince my wife to watch this with me." So. I read exactly what happens for the rest of season three. Oh, just don't, to get me to stop watching it. Don't let me know. I've, I've got. <laughs> I, I won't tell you. I've got two episodes left, so I. It's like a ten episode season, and I've got I've got two episodes left, and so I, I have a yeah. I have a question though. Yeah. And this again, this is I'm going to be a little immature about this, but I'm I've got to know because you've seen two seasons. Yeah. When people break the rules. How does the money system work? So, like, yeah, that's what I want to know. So, and I get—I hate to go to like such a dark place here, but if, if like someone has anal, is that higher or lower than just like straight sex? I Sorry, nobody's that's had appropriate. I apologize. Sex is just like the highest that you can go. Um, okay, I, nobody's performed anal on the show yet. Um, I mean, I, that would be an odd choice. Let's be honest. But like this season, kissing was like six thousand dollars that they would lose, and. Um, okay. Uh, there is one character that does, and it happened last season too, a character jerked off in the shower. And a character jerked yeah. off in the shower this season and they lost $4,000. And it was funny, yeah. like there's an episode later on in the season and they're like, okay, let's take a look at all the money that's been lost this season. <laughs> and they start showing like clips of people kissing, people in bed. And then they show the one character getting ready to walk into the shower. I died. <laughs> I fucking died, dude. That's cruel. But what I love about this show is the fact that it's, there are some actual connections that happen on this show. And there's two of these contestants that are on this season that I really do feel like they have a legitimate connection this season. And I thought I loved their scenes together. Um, and then you've got like the two characters that are just like losing money all the time because they can't keep their hands off of each other. And they're kind of like the villains of this season in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, I, I'm this show. Like I can sit here and call it. Oh, it's trash TV. This is a guilty pleasure. No, I fucking love it. I think it's wonderful. I, 
<laughs> I don't think it's, yeah. I don't think it's trash TV. I think that this is just awesome reality shows. I, just an awesome reality show. I love it so much. Sometimes you just want a McDonald's cheeseburger. Yes. You know what I mean, like that's just, that's just what you want. And, and that's what this is. Um, I will tell you one thing I appreciated about the show too, because people could say, look, it's really shallow. And I, fine. Fair mm-hmm. enough. It does make you think about, because like you're watching these people and you're like, wow, this guy is saying he's in love with this girl. So not a major spoiler. Three guys like the same girl in the first episode, right? Shock. <laughs> yeah. And you're watching this and you're like, her? You just met her. Like you love what she looks like and appears to be after knowing her for like 40 minutes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And to watch them slowly meet other people. Mm hmm. It's interesting. And it made me, I was like, man, I was that dumb when I was young. <laughs> I mean, that's at least the reaction I had. I'm like, that's what it's like to be young and dumb and fall in love with somebody instantly based on their looks and slowly realize you were wrong. Yeah. And I thought that was yeah. very interesting to see. I call it young, dumb and full of cum. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, I love this show. I love this show. I got two episodes left. I cannot wait to finish it. No, I'll, if they do too hot to handle season four, I'll be there for it. So is this a type of show that they do like reunion specials for? Like, do you ever get to find out what happened with these people who decided that they had to have sex instead of get money? Ooh, I can't remember if they <laughs> like, do. are they together? Yeah. I can't remember. I can't remember if they do a reunion type show on this one. I do know that you can look up on the internet, like, are these couples oh, yeah, still together? Sure. Yeah. So I can't remember if they did that for seasons one and two. Last season was, uh, last season was fantastic as well. Um, there was a guy that all the girls were going for. And, um, this season there's like another guy that like a, you know, a couple girls are kind of going for and it causes some issues in the house. But I think that the, the, what was really cool though is like the two women, instead of getting like, that, you know, they, they actually addressed it and they said, we don't want to be catty with this. They actually sat down and talked with each other. And it was really cool to see that kind of like play out. And I mean, there's, it's for as, as shallow as the show is at the beginning, I think there are a few of the people that actually do legitimately have a little bit of personal growth by the end of it, which is it's just crazy to say. But, uh, I love, it. I'm addicted to the show. And then there's people that just like get kicked off the show because they, they've shown no change. So it's not like the show fucks around and just lets people continually fuck up. They'll let people go. Like you have shown no change and, um, you are now being kicked off the island. So it does happen. But yeah. I do think for season four though, as a suggested improvement, they should have a full chart with how much every sex move costs and they should get crazy. Like if you're going to do a Cleveland, if you're going to do a Cleveland steamer, that's like seven grand. You know what I mean? You like get together with the house to decide who can spend what on sex. Like you each have a budget of like $10,000. You can mix and match, you know, moves and positions to how you want to spend your money. Well, I they love. Also need an accountant there to tell these guys. Look, I know it's two hundred grand, and it sounds like a lot of money. First of all, you got to pay state and local taxes on that shit, right? I mean, you got to really think about what you're taking home. That's true. That's true. There's the, you got to pay taxes on this shit. Otherwise, you're Richard Hatch from Survivor season one. Who fucking exactly? You're gonna yeah. whack with Social Security probably because it's a job at that point. You know, yeah. Somebody to break that shit down. Uh, who watched Somebody Somewhere on HBO Max? It's a new comedy series. I watched that. I 
Yeah, new comedy series starring an executive produced by comedian and singer Bridget Everett. Um, I know her best from uh, – she was on a, a handful of episodes of Inside Amy Schumer. And uh, that's where I know – she was also in HBO's Camping. Um, it follows Sam, a true Kansan on the surface who beneath it all struggles to fit the hometown mold. It's uh, it's set in Manhattan, Kansas, and uh, Sam deals with a midlife crisis after the death of her sister. And like I said, it stars Bridget Everett as Sam and then Jeff Hiller as Joel, her coworker and friend. Um I only watched the first episode. I know two have dropped since this show has been out, but I only watched the first episode and um I enjoyed it quite a bit. I I I may or may not get back to it. I'm going to give this one a uh a taste it overall and uh if, you know, it may get better, but I only watched the first episode, but I I, I did enjoy it enough, and I, I like Bridget Everett. I think she's very funny. I've seen her in a few things, and she's she's funny. But I'll give it a taste. It overall, um, Greg, what did you think? I I also liked Bridget Everett's performance. Um, you know, one of the challenges I think we're dealing with today is there's so much great content out there. Mm-hmm. So yes, this yeah. show feels like a solid taste it that I'm going to file under things I'll never watch again. And it, it doesn't mean it's bad, right? It just means that. For a pilot to get me to keep watching, given how much great shit there is to watch these days, it has to do something pretty extraordinary. And I I don't know, like, if this is a comedy, I don't know that it was funny. And that's not, I don't know that it was trying to be funny. Uh, like, I don't really necessarily know what this is about. It's clearly about, like, a, sort of like a fish out of water. The title, somebody somewhere, it's like they don't belong. I get it. Maybe people who don't belong coming together. I just don't feel like I have any reason to continue watching this show. And, yeah. and, and again, that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it didn't do this remarkable thing that a pilot needs to do, which is hook me to watch more. If this was, I, if this, I really like Bridget Everett's performance. Though. Yeah. If this was like a two hour movie in the theater, if I could go in and watch it and like it was two hours and I got to know this character and like by the end of it, there was, you know, conclusion, we're done. I mean, I might be like, Oh, this was an absolute Tupperware, but. I mean, it's competing against every other show that I'm trying to watch right now. It's competing against Yellow Jackets, Archive 81, Peacemaker, all these other shows. And for me, I don't know if like this is going to bring me back to the second episode immediately or the third episode. It's really got to have like a hook in that first episode for me to like come back. And that, that this is not the only show that we watched this week where I had that feeling. But then there was other shows this week that I watched that I'm just like, I've got to – I've got to finish this to the very fucking end. And this was just, we're going to see if we match up, Brian, because I got the same reaction. Right. Yeah. This is, and I love Bridget Everett. There's nothing against her. I I think she's, I loved her on Inside Amy Schumer. I thought she was hilarious. And then she was in another comedy. She was also in Trainwreck with Amy Schumer, but she was in another comedy that I thought she was great in. But this just didn't like grab me. Um, we'll see if I get back to the second episode. Maybe if I watch the second episode, I'll change and I'll be like, okay, I got to finish this. But what did you think, Melissa? I feel pretty much the same as the two of you. I'm actually going to give this a high taste it. Um, and a lot of that is because of the way I feel towards weekly release television. Um, I love watching TV week to week. So I really enjoyed the show and I'm looking forward to like keeping it in the rotation. If this was something that I had to make time to sit down and watch six episodes all at once, mm-hmm. it would probably just be a taste it. And I don't know for sure that I would go back to it, but because the commitment is only like a half an hour once a week, 
and I'll get to enjoy this cute little show. That is what brings it up to a high taste it for me. But I just, I love stories about finding community and like finding strength and anything that shows like a character's like emotional release bonus points. If it's through music, I'm always a sucker for that. Um, in the second episode, she has this um, interaction with her neighbor that was just hysterical to me. Um, they He makes this, like, extremely, extremely dark joke to her. Um, and I would love more of all of that. So I'm excited to see where this is going to go. Very cool. Yeah, she's super talented. I like her, like, I think, like, she... She reminds me of, like, when uh, when Melissa McBride would be, like, in stuff very limited but when she fucking hit she just hit and that's bridget everett like if she like in train wreck and like some of these sh- like movies that she pops in when they just give her like a little bit of time she does she goes in and does her job and she just fucking cracks me the fuck up and she's funny stand up i didn't know she could sing either she was really good so yeah um I watched one episode of the new Peacock series. They dropped all the episodes. It's called True Story. I watched one episode. I wanted to get a feel for the show. Um, Everyday Americans sit down with uh, Ed Helms and Randall Park to share their most extraordinary and unbelievable true stories as they are cinematically reenacted by top comedians and actors giving regular people the biopics they deserve. So these are stories based on true, wild true stories and they they reenact these stories with with uh, comedians and actors and the first episode uh was like this uh, story about this guy breaking into the Super Bowl back uh during the 1978-79 Pittsburgh Steelers season uh when his team makes it to the Super Bowl Rick manages to overcome all odds and not only scores the best seats in the house but has a once in a lifetime experience and this one actually featured I love Adam Powell uh, Adam uh-huh. Pally was in this. I was a big fan of him uh, from Happy Endings. Um, Rob Riggle, Eric Griffin from Workaholics, and Paul Shear, And then uh, Terry Bradshaw um, appears in this as well. Um, it started off a little rough for me, just like the format of the show. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. You got Ed Helms and Randall Park sitting down talking to the guest, and then they would break away from the story and show you like the – you know, the, the, it's kind of like a unsolved mysteries episode where they break away and they show you actors portraying like the murder instead. Like this is like the actors like breaking into the Pittsburgh Steelers game. I had fun with this and I thought the story was kind of wild. Like at one point he actually gets to, you know, fucking, he breaks into the game and then gets into the, like the, the uh, locker room with the team and he's actually giving interviews as if he's one of the players to the media and then he showers with the players later. I'm like, this story's kind of fucking crazy. Um, I'll give it a taste it overall. I enjoyed it. It's just nothing that I, I think that it's not, again, it's, it's one of these things. It's a, it's not like must watch TV for me where I have to go mm-hmm. back to it, you know, but it was nice seeing Adam Pally and Rob Riggle. And I love Eric Griffin and Paul Shear. But I'll give it a taste it overall. And um, yeah, uh, Melissa, did you watch this? Yeah, so I've seen, I think, three of the six episodes. But I think I skipped an episode because I thought I had seen four. And then looking at the thumbnails, I was like, these people do not look familiar to me. So maybe <laughs> I took a nap. 
Um, <laughs> I watched these episodes actually really early in the morning. I was flying and it was very perfect for that because I didn't necessarily have to pay like a hundred percent attention, but it was engaging enough and it was enjoyable enough. Um, episode two was my favorite episode that I watched. It's about, um, this girl Yasmin running for class president and that does not go how you would expect it to go. It's very funny. Um, I like that a lot. But yeah, I'll give the, I'll give this a taste. It like it's not much must watch, but it's good to just like have something yeah. on. It's it's not asking too much of you. Right. Okay. Craig, did you watch any of True Story? Yeah, I watched the first episode. Um, it reminded me a lot of a show called Drunk History. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think what was a little tough about this show is these are peop- regular people telling amazing stories. And that's that's a cool concept. Like, I love the idea of like, sitting around a table listening to somebody tell a great story. It's yeah. fun. But seeing it on television, like, TV is are amazing stories, some of which are true. And I don't, I don't know that I was entertained. And the reenactments, I kept thinking of Drunk History and how much funnier their reenactments were for some reason. So it was, it's fine. Again, like I'd sort of give it a taste it. Yeah. It's totally fine as background noise, but not necessarily something I think I'll seek out. And, and I love Ed Helms and Randall Park. I just don't think, yeah. um, I just didn't, I didn't find myself laughing. And I thought the story was a really incredible story, but in the context of watching it play out on TV, I see a lot of incredible shit on TV, you know? Yeah. 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 This is a, this is fine. I probably won't revisit this show. Um, but, uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's a fine show. Did you see the, there was a, I, I read an article. No, I didn't read the article. I saw the headline for an article <laughs> that Peacock lost $1.7 billion Damn. last year. I mean, it's, is any is, streamer profitable? Well, yeah, that's a that's great... what they say about like Netflix. Netflix, like yeah. Every year, Netflix loses money, and yet they seem to not give yeah. a shit. <laughs> Same thing with like with with. Uh, I mean, I've watched like a documentary about magazines, and like most magazines are like in the red as far as profits for like their first you know five years on, or, or five years or more. And um, I, th- I, was, I think I was watching a, a Playboy magazine documentary and how like Playboy was like one of the first magazines to actually start making a profit within like its first second year. Um, but it makes sense because Netflix is actually spending more than they're making. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, there's more content than people can watch. Right. So they're right. probably just banking on. And I guess um Financially, Netflix has started to feel a little bit of pain because of competition, you know, where subscriber growth is slowing. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Is there anything on Peacock, though, that is just like – does Peacock have like their, you know, their Stranger Things or like their Game of Thrones or – like there's nothing on that service that it's like this is oh god this is why I have to have Peacock. I guess like the closest thing for people is probably like oh that's where you go to watch the Office reruns and Parks and Recreation. Yeah. Oh, people love that Yellowstone. That's on Peacock. Apparently. It was on Paramount originally, so it has moved over to to Peacock. Yeah. Um, we're gonna get the Jennifer Lopez, Owen Wilson 
romantic comedy Marry Me. That is that fucking February 11th. That fucking trailer is so dumb. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know what? I can't argue, but I will tell you, my ass is going to be clicking on that movie on February 11th and watching it from the comfort of my couch. Oh my god! I like part of me. Part of me is like morbidly curious to watch it, and then. And then part of me is just like, no, I don't give a shit. Oh my! Have you seen the trailers for that one, Greg? I have not. It's it's Save yourself. She's like <laughs> Jennifer Lopez is like this superstar fucking singer, and uh, she's dating another hot superstar. And it's kind of like it's kind of like it, like a like a Beyonce and Jay Z or something like this power couple, and uh, they're gonna get married, and she's gonna they're gonna get married. Um, he's going to propose or something like that. They're going to get married like on stage during like this event. And, uh, she, uh, right before this happens, this event happens or during the event, she fucking like, like one of her assistants shows her like boyfriend fucking, uh, making out with somebody else in the business. And then she's all sad on stage and, uh, fucking, uh, Owen Wilson's holding this sign that says marry me that his daughter handed to him like right before she like left and got up and so she sees the sign and she's like yes yes I'll marry you normal regular guy and so the whole movie's about her getting ready to marry Owen Wilson this regular guy it just looks like it looks like cheese man it's super cheese mm-hmm. am I the only person you mentioned something and I feel it I have a really hard time mentally keeping track of what's on Peacock and what's on Paramount Plus. Oh, like God, I know yeah. one is kind of like CBS-ish and the other is NBC-ish, but they're kind of just like one thing to me, and I always have to check what's on which one. Yeah. Yeah, I have no idea what's where, and, and when I want to watch something, I just Google it and hope it's somewhere that I have it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Peacock is an epically horrible name for a streaming. So, like, everyone is making the joke about what's streaming on the cock right now. Oh, yeah. It's just unavoidable. So that's just a big mistake in terms of marketing and branding. They could have called it anything but Peacock. Peacock is terrible. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. That Resident Alien show is coming back on that's on peacock that's it well that's let's see sci-fi is owned by uh nbc viacom whatever and it's a sci-fi channel show and so you can watch it on sci-fi when it first airs but then they'll put it on peacock as well that's the alan tudyk show yeah the olympics yeah the olympics i don't watch the olympics me either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll be skipping the Olympics too. Yeah. I don't watch that shit. Um, the, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. This is on Netflix. I hate the title. It's, it's too goddamn long. It's like birds of prey and the emancipation of one Harley Quinn or whatever the fuck. It, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. Anyway, uh, for heartbroken Anna, Every day is the same. She sits with her wine, staring out the window, watching life go by without her. But when a handsome neighbor and his adorable daughter move in across the street, Anna starts to see a light at the end of the tunnel. And it stars uh, Kristen Bell, Michael Ealy, Tom Riley, Mary Holland, Cameron Britton, and Samsara Yet. And uh, I, w- <laughs> I, I, maybe I did myself a disservice 
But again, I'm talking about shows that just don't grab me at the first after mm-hmm. the first episode. This is another one that just didn't grab me after the first episode to where I just watched one episode and I said, okay, I can either watch something else for the show this week or I can watch episode number two. And this just did not do it for me. I just watched the one episode and I'll give this one a low taste it. So... Oh, I guess we can unpack it a little bit more. But what did you think, Greg? My wife always makes me watch shit like Gone Girl and all these things. So Girl on we the were Train, Woman in the, the Window. Like I've seen all of those things. So I will say I didn't think the first episode was funny. Like, I get that it's supposed to be a dark comedy. I didn't think it was particularly funny. Mm. But I've seen enough of this shit that I will probably continue watching. Um, if for any other reason my wife likes it. Like the first episode ended and my wife looked at me and she's like, well, that was cute. You know, like one of those things. Yeah. So I know I'm going to keep watching it. I'm going to give it a more optimistic taste it than your taste it. Like I, I will continue watching. I do like Kristen Bell a lot. Um, there was nothing particularly funny or interesting about the first episode. I found it a little bit charming. See, seeing a lot of the stuff that this is attempting to make fun of, I did find some weird charm in this first episode, and we'll give it at least one more. Do you person. think? Do you think anyone has ever eaten one of her casseroles? Well, that was by the time the third casserole dish broke. <laughs> that's the one time I laughed. Do you, I, that's the one time I laughed in the entire episode. Do you think that I got in my way? Yeah. Do you think that her budget, when she budgets herself for the month, it's like you know mortgage, you know gas, groceries, <laughs> casserole dishes. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what do you, you think? It reminded me a little bit. It was almost like that Colonel Sanders parody, but not as funny. Remember that one with Mario Lopez? With oh yeah, yeah, Lopez, yeah. I think it was called. Yeah. This is like that, but just not terribly funny and much longer. Right, right. Sorry to interrupt. I hope we get more Michael Ely in the in this series too because i i love that actor i think he's yeah, I, me I, too. I think he's super underrated uh he did a uh a science fiction um show with carl urban years ago on fox it got canceled after one season that was just a phenomenal show and um i've been a big fan of michael ely since but uh i what- liked him on Stumptown. that show with jake johnson and kobe smolders oh i never watched that yeah. It's it's really good. I was really disappointed because it got renewed and then the pandemic hit, so it got retroactively canceled, which felt just like a cherry on top of like having a pandemic happen. <laughs> it was oh, uh, it was the the show that I was talking about was called Almost Human, and it was uh, Carl Urban and Michael Ely, and they were I, I believe they were like uh, he, they were both detectives and. Uh, Carl Urban played a human detective and Michael Ely played an android detective. And it was really good. It was like Buddy Cop, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, remember, yeah, I, remember it, I remember that show. Yeah. One season, I think we got on Fox, right? Yeah, and it, it reminded me of like Alien Nation, if you remember that series. It was a movie yeah. first. And it, yeah, yep. yeah. Reminded me of that. So, 
Um, what did you think, Melissa, of the uh, the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window? <laughs> I feel uh, pretty much the same as the two of you. I'm I'm disappointed, but I have to give this just to taste it for now. I'm halfway through. I've seen four episodes. I'm going to finish this show. Yeah. Um, I expected this to be funnier because it's obviously. Tr- spoofing so many of these stories we've seen. Uh, we already listed a bunch of them. Um, but, the, like, the show itself mostly feels like it's taking itself pretty seriously, which just leaves me kind of confused. Um, like, we all kind of know that these premises and these tropes and setups are ridiculous, and the way that they're, like, leaning into that ridiculousness but, like, not acknowledging that it's for jokes like it almost feels kind of mean spirited because hmm. they gave the show a stupid name. They marketed it like it was going to be a comedy. Like I expected it to be like, uh, we're going to talk about it later in this episode, but like I expected this show to have more of the tone that like the after party has. Yeah. 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 Where it's like having fun with using these tropes and these like genre conventions. But the the way that it has like a stupid name and yet it is taking itself just as seriously as like Netflix's film The Woman in the Window I'm like so you under like it at some level you understand that this was ridiculous and you wanted to make fun of it and yet you're just making that same content so do you just think that the people who like that comment are like like are you just making fun of them like I I I don't, I haven't figured this show out. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a satirical kind of view of this stuff and it's, yeah. more, it's more leaning into like the serious side of this stuff. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not going to, I, I, like if, if you haven't started it, I'm not going to tell people to start it. I'm not going to. No, and like if you just like adore Kristen Bell, which I understand that, like try an episode or two. Um, I'm going to finish it. If it turns out being great, I'll tweet about it. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense that, like, if you're a fan of Krista Bell, because, I mean, there's a lot of people that love The Good Place. And so, yeah, check it out if you're a big fan of hers. But, you know. Uh, In From the Cold on uh, Netflix, this dropped this week. During a European vacation with her daughter, an American single mom's life is turned upside down when the CIA forces her to confront her long-buried past as a Russian spy who is also the product of a highly classified KGB experiment granting her special abilities. It's created by Adam Glass, who is behind uh, such shows as Supernatural, Cold Case, and Criminal Minds. And it stars Margarita Laviva, uh, 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 Killian O'Sullivan, Lydia Fleming, and Charles Bryce. And I watched the first episode of this one, and um, it's... I don't... It's it's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I'm going to give it a taste. It's fine. It's basically a woman is on a vacation with her daughter. What 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 sport are they doing? The figure skating? Figure skating. Yeah, yeah, the the girls are there for figure skating. And um and then all of a sudden like uh she's confronted by uh CIA who uh they they figured out that she was uh um, a uh, a Russian spy called the Whisper, who kind of like fell off the radar twenty years ago, and uh, she has uh, integrated herself into American life and started a family, and now they're basically like blackmailing her into uh, you know doing these missions for them, 
and um, she's like, I haven't, I haven't done this stuff in 20 years. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my 40s and I've got a C-section now and I'm not, I'm older and blah, blah, blah. You know, she goes all Murtaugh. I'm too old for this shit. And uh, um, I think it's a cute show so far. Uh, th- th- one of the big things about this show is just like, you know, she's like this. It's kind of like, like, it's kind of like a Black Widow. If Black Widow retired, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, just lived a life, you know, with somebody and, 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 and wasn't one of the, one, wasn't a widow and, and now they're bringing her back in, you know, she's getting blackmailed to be back in here. What I didn't like about this is the, and, and mild spoilers for the first episode. What I didn't like about this is there, she's like this strong woman who's been trained her entire life and we're getting flashbacks to her past when she was younger and her twenties and, and she's this strong woman and she kicks ass and all this stuff. And then at the end of the episode, she hulks out and turns into a man. And I'm like, this defeats the entire purpose of, 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 of showing what a strong woman she is. Well, I think that she can morph into anything. I haven't, I just watched the first episode, Melissa. And I saw her morph into a man. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, but they explain in the first episode how she used to do her work. <laughs> like, they explain, like, we don't, we, they didn't understand how she was, like, impersonating people to do, like, her the whisper shit. Yeah. And then you see her morph, so I'm like, oh, she, it's not, like, I don't, I don't think I spoiled it, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, okay. But I mean, I was you just, didn't like the show anyways. So. I was, well, I liked it. I thought it was fine. I, my biggest problem with it is like, oh, let's show you this strong female who at yeah. the end of the episode, in order to get a mission done, turns into a man. I'm like, what the fuck? I thought that was kind of ridiculous, but, so I'll give it a taste yeah. it overall. And I'm, I'm probably not going to go watch episode two, I'll be honest with you. I watched two of these. Um, I'm giving them a taste it. The second episode is getting closer to a high taste it. I'm planning on watching like just a couple more, but like I think the writing is pretty mediocre and there's so much content <laughs> that when I'm like, if I can just, just put a flag on every instance of exposition, that's maybe not a super great sign. Um, but the second episode gets like, weirder in a different way there's like potentially some other very weird thing happening with one of these characters and so i'm like all right i'm interested i'll give you another episode all right greg uh did you watch any of uh in from the cold yeah i watched the first episode and there are some very odd dialogue choices in this yeah so i'll give you an example i thought i was watching it in the wrong original language for a hot second i was watching like porn that like so so there's this there's this scene where we cut to like this this girl and her friend walking to a skating rink and they're in the middle of a conversation about how the friend almost bit her boyfriend's dick off when she had braces on yes 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 and like we we just get like the tail end of this conversation and i'm like what and then they just casually start like it's almost like they were trying to fill dialogue and be really edgy but it just comes off as weird and then there's this other time when she's in an argument with the cia agent and she's like why don't you spread your cheeks and take it in your glory hole and i'm like who talks like that (laughs) it's just weird 
And she makes another comment about like, I'm supposed to be sexy. Try being sexy with cracked nipples and a C-section scar. I'm yeah. like, what? Like, what? Who, who wrote my this? understanding was that Santa? nipple cracking healed eventually. So yeah, I, I now I'm worried. <laughs> I'm not a mother, but I know one very well, Melissa, and it heals. So okay, unless thank she's got God. a baby at home, <laughs> unless she's got a baby at home, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Like this was just. I, I am going to toss it, though. <laughs> it's just, and, and I'm going to toss it for that reason. There were just so many moments when. It's like hanging out with a friend who's just odd and says weird shit and kind of creeps you out a little bit. You're like, what the fuck is happening here? Why, hey, why you got to bring so, me into this, Greg? I'm sorry. It was like it's like it's like meeting Brian in person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm gonna I'm gonna toss it. Um, it definitely felt like, hey, it's shitty Black Widow, and we're gonna even give her a suit like Black Widow and. You know, the thing at the end of the episode that you mentioned, too, it was kind of, like, weird and odd. It was, yeah. I can't keep watching this shit. It, honestly, the dialogue is worthy of porn. It is porn-level like, dialogue. And it's, weird the Americans, too, with, like, the very short intro that the show does. But also, they did, like, two very, very, like, specific needle drops in the first episode that I was like, yes, I have seen the Americans. <laughs> Yeah. I know that if well, there's so, Russian assets, there needs to be banger songs. <laughs> well, and we got we and again, I'm not the most. So, is that the first time we've had a modern cover of Limp Bizkit's "Breaking Stuff"? I think it's called "Breaking." Uh, oh Breaking God, stuff. yeah. Break things. I was kind of uh, into what, what, it. I'm kind of a sucker <laughs> for that type of dumb shit. <laughs> we're now covering Limp Bizkit. That's where society has gone. Melissa was we're like, you know what? Things. Melissa's like, you know. It is just one of those days for her. It really is. You know? It's just one of those days. Yeah. Everything you know what, give me is something fucked. To break. Everything is <laughs> fucked. <laughs> you don't really know why. Anyway. <laughs> I, so for crack nipples, what would you recommend? Would it be aloe vera or cocoa butter? Both are fine. You can also use a product that's often used on babies called Aquaphor. That's moisturizing. It's kind of like a moisturizing gel yeah, that works perfectly well in cracking. It's, 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 like, it's, like it's like this woman doesn't have Google. Just living her life with cracked nipples. Either that or she's still breastfeeding. Why? Why? That, well, that's that, like, that, so at the beginning of episode three. She's breastfeeding her sixteen-year-old daughter, Greg. So yeah, I guess that makes the sense. Teeth, that's what's causing the nipples to still crack. You know, eighteen years later. So uh, yeah, yeah. This was fucking weird. I'm kind of leaning more towards Greg's rating right now. So uh, um, all of us are dead on Netflix. I was excited to watch this because it's a, uh, South Korean coming of age zombie apocalypse horror. And, uh, it's about a high school becomes ground zero for a zombie virus outbreak. Trapped students must fight their way out or turn into one of their, uh, in, into one of the rabid infected. I got about 35, 40 minutes in and I was like, this is fucking terrible. Man, I'm so relieved. It was so I goddamn bad. Twice, and I was like, I don't care. <laughs> it was so bad because, like, I we've seen some fucking amazing content come out of uh, uh, out of Korea, and uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, fucking Parasite, uh, Train to Busan, um, just some amazing content coming out of Korea, and uh, this is not one of them. Um, yeah, Squid Game. This. I could not 
I don't think I don't think that this show can focus on what the fuck is going on, and I couldn't focus on what was happening in the show. It was absolutely ridiculous, and there are parts that are uh, like upsetting, and I'm like. Why am I why am I watching this? I got thirty the bullying at this school. Yeah, I got it's so out of control. I got out. Like, yeah, I had to, I, I tapped can't out. Watch that. I tapped out. I totally tapped out. Yeah, this is a toss it for me. All of us are dead. Zombies. I love zombie content. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not one of those people that are like, ah, oh, you know, I, too much zombie shit. You know, I. Can't watch. I give me good zombie content. This is not good zombie content. You know, this is trash. You know what? I I think the problem, and I got through the whole first episode. Yeah. The whole like, uh, there's a. I think there's still a lot of promise. Like we've seen a lot of zombie shit, but when you kind of fuse zombies with other genres, there's still a lot of meat on the bone. And this is like, hey, what if we had like zombie stuff mixed with like teen angst it's like a zombie outbreak in a height like the concept is really good the problem is the teen drama just isn't at all interesting at least that's what i like i'm sitting in the the first episode you barely see any zombie shit for like 40 minutes and it's all this teen drama and there's a lot of good teen drama out there and just none of it was happening in this episode (laughs) right like give me enough reason to be interested in the interpersonal relationships and you know, those teenage years are really awkward and difficult. Make me care about who has a crush on who a little bit more than what you're showing me. Make me care about who's being bullied. And, you know, the only emotion I found myself feeling is there's a there's a pretty uncomfortable assault in the yeah. first episode. And I was like, OK, I want to see these guys get destroyed. You know, I was like I was looking forward to seeing them get torn apart. Yeah. Um, but I felt the same way you guys do. Yeah. I would give it a low tasted, though. I, I just because I think the concept is interesting. It just doesn't have nothing good happens in the first episode. Melissa, what? Well, I mean, what were your thoughts watching this? Yeah, I I didn't know if it just wasn't like the right time or me being in the right headspace. So when I the two times I tried to watch this first episode, like it was just really not getting its hooks into me. Um, I do still kind of intend to give it maybe one or two more episodes just to see. But, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I didn't even necessarily realize that there was, like, teen drama I was supposed to be getting interested in until I read a review of the first episode after I watched it to be like, is nothing happening in this show or am I just an idiot? Like, I can't watch TV anymore. Um, But in one of those reviews, like, there was this... um, Like, right at the end of the review, it said, like, you know, the underlying concept of this, like, you know, a concerned parent maybe created this virus that turns them into zombies because his kid was getting bullied um, and showing the way that, like, uh, like, retribution, like, just violence begets violence, basically. Like, that's an interesting concept to get, like, the genre treatment I just, like, I don't know. And I did not need to see the level of bullying that these children oh, went through. Yeah. I just didn't need to. Like, not in a show like this. I feel like the execution is just very messy here. I don't know. I just, I was not a fan. I'm, I'm tossing this. This is the, this is a huge toss it for me, which is sad. Because I'm, I'm not one of those people that are like, you know, oh, you know, I got zombie fatigue. I Give me great zombie content. This just is not it for me. 
Yeah, I don't watch a lot of zombie stuff. So if it's like, so the the fatigue thing wouldn't be wouldn't be my problem either. Like, if it was good content, it would be very fresh to me because I don't watch a lot of it. And have so, you seen Have you seen Train to Busan? I haven't. I know I really need to. You do really that. do. I think that that you should start with Train to Busan, um, and then. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's some, I maybe even go back and watch some of the old George A. Romero movies, but, um, yeah, this is, this is not good. Oh, uh, what was it? What was that movie called? Is it 20 days later? Have you ever seen that one, Greg? Yeah. 28 days later. 28 days later. That's, that's well, fucking great. That. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I really like 28 days later. Like I, I, um, I love the first two thirds and the last third of it when they get to sort of the military base. It, it kind of is a little more mediocre. Yeah. But it's a very good movie. But to me, Train to Busan is one of my favorite zombie movies of all time. It's it's amazing. I also love uh, Dawn of the Dead. Um, Zack Snyder directed yeah. it, written by James Gunn. And that is a fantastic yeah. fucking movie. I love the Dawn of the Dead. Movie. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to... Uh, I put... The reason I put this in the list, it's... Uh, is because it comes from uh, a member of Team Coco, Moses Storm Trash White. Uh, comedian Moses Storm recounts memories of growing up poor, dumpster diving for food, breaking into country clubs, squaring off with carjackers while naked, and more in a heartfelt debut stand-up special. Stand-up comedy and uh, Moses Storm, who I'd never heard of, but I'm a huge fan of anything Team Coco. Um, years ago, I went to one of the first Team Coco stand-up comedy specials that they had um, while uh, Conan was going through like the transition of like leaving the Tonight Show and then going over to TBS. They had um, they had a uh, um, a Coco um, a stand-up special with a bunch of the writers for Conan O'Brien getting together and doing a, a stand-up co- doing like different sets and uh reggie watts was there as as part of the entertainment and i had a blast and i was just like oh my god his fucking writer's room these guys are fucking hilarious and which i love the fact that conan o'brien is like bringing these writers to the forefront letting them their like perform their stand-up and shit because conan o'brien himself was like the writer, they, they, this is how they touted him before he got like his, uh, his breakthrough, uh, um, show, um, on late night with Conan O'Brien. They touted him as like the writer that made the other writers laugh. And I remember I was, wa- I watched Conan O'Brien late night with Conan O'Brien the night that it aired and I was hooked. I was a fan. And I've been a fan of Conan O'Brien ever since, uh, 1993. I think it was 1993 or 1994 when he first aired. And I've been a fan ever since. Um, and so the fact that he fucking has like, you know, his writers and stuff like that perform like this, I was just like, I gotta, I gotta watch this. I'm going to give this guy a chance. And, um, I was not disappointed. This is, this was fucking incredible. I Tupperware the fuck out of the stand-up special. I thought it was, I'm, I don't know what you guys thought. I have no idea. Like, am I the only one that enjoyed this thing? Cause I thought it was fucking incredible. Like this guy's story. And I want to unpack it a little bit. And, and, uh, I, I, I really, and if you guys hated it, I'm going to be like, Oh fuck. Okay. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, <laughs> I, I'm an alone on an island here, but this guy, you know, when you look at him, he does, he looks like rich, white, posh, like 
fashionable. He looks like he's never had to work a day in his life or had any like, you know, um, adversity. And you find out that he was raised poor. He was dumpster diving for food. And, but he puts this comedic spin on the stories and, and his life. And I was just like, I was enthralled this entire time. I, I Tupperware the fuck out of the special. Greg, what did you think about? Did you watch Moses Storm Trash White? Yeah, it was interesting. It almost felt like it was half comedy special, half like a TED talk, if that makes sense. It does. Like, yeah, like sometimes I don't even know. And, and in some ways, like Dave Chappelle's work is like that. Sometimes he's not trying to be funny. He's trying just to have a conversation with you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a few things that were interesting for me um he does a little bit of kind of like a discussion about his family and the poverty that they're in and i had never heard of moses storm but he talks a lot about his background and his his parents religion and then i'm like oh that's interesting his name is moses and his daughter his sister's name is faith and you it starts to kind of give you a better idea about why he is who he is right but he does um he talks about a time when his mom tried to win money on America's Funniest Home Videos. That's yes. absolutely hysterical. Yes. Um, I don't know that um, I would probably give it a high taste it. And some of it is, to me, when when you're kind of getting to know a stand-up comic and some of their kind of um, idiosyncrasies, it's really hard to laugh as hard in their first stand-up special as you will a little later in their career. You know, there, there are things about Dave Chappelle's acts that you're almost kind of anticipating where he's going to go and that makes it funny chris rock same thing and it's not i'm comparing the guy to let like comedy legends you know but i found it to be a very funny amusing special that hopefully shows much more to come in his career i mean he's a he's a funny storyteller um and yeah definitely a high tasted for me you're absolutely right like when it comes to comedians and stuff like there's there's certain comedians that have just like they have they they're just funny like it doesn't matter what they say like they've they have paid their dues they've been in comedy for so many years like it doesn't matter what they say it's just like it's it's funny i was listening to um maybe this isn't the best example no, I'll give this example first. I was listening recently to It's Always Sunny podcast and and Charlie Day and Rob McElhenney and Glenn Howerton are talking about Danny DeVito and like when he joined the cast in season two and they're just like, this guy's just like, he's a legend. Like Danny DeVito is just, it doesn't matter what he says. It's just funny. Like sometimes people just laugh because it's Danny DeVito. And then I was also listening to um, Joe Rogan interviewed Carrot Top recently and Carrot Top's talking about like how he went to a, he did a show right after his dad died and he tells the audience like, you know, I'm here performing tonight and my dad died today. And he said, people started laughing. Ugh. It's because it's Carrot Top. Like they don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's just that awkward laugh because it's Carrot Top. You got to laugh because it's Carrot Top, you know, like here's the guy with the wild red hair and comes out with the props and ha ha ha. Like it's all funny. And he did, he didn't understand why they were laughing. And it's just like, it's because, you know, people just, they just view you as funny. I, I get what you're saying, Greg. I totally yeah, understand. There's almost like from. a tension that the greats create. Like when you get to know them, there's like tension before the punchline. Yeah. 
your your mind anticipates like, oh, I, I know Carlin, I know Chappelle, I know where they're going with this. And then they surprise sometimes they surprise you and it makes you laugh, and sometimes they give you exactly what you anticipated and you laugh. And I just have to get to know Moses Storm better. And yeah. by the way, real quick, I just wanted to say, Brian, I also am all about Team Coco. I went to see that tour live in between his show uh NBC and CBS. And saw it in um, an arena. Reggie Watts was there. It was the funniest two hours of among the funniest two hours of my life. Yes, hysterical show. So also, I, I support anything from Team Coco that I see. Absolutely. Yeah, I went to that same special, man, um, and it was fucking incredible. I had a great time. Um, you know, it's like it's like I think like Jim Carrey Did he show clips of like, Walker. Uh, you're cutting out, Greg. Sorry, Brian. Did he show clips of Walker? God damn it. You're cutting out. You're cutting out. Leave and come back, Greg. We got you. We got you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna hear from Melissa here. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? <laughs> can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. Can you hear me now? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Melissa. I'll shut the fuck up. Oh, um, I'm gonna give this a high taste. I agree with a lot of what you guys said. Um, I don't watch a lot of stand-up specials. I. I don't. Ne- I don't. It, it, it didn't necessarily strike me. As, like, hysterical, but that makes a lot of sense with what you were saying, that, like, comedians get funnier the more you get to know them. Um, and I assume that if you have watched a lot of stand-up, there's, like, a baseline of, like, expecting how jokes are going to go as well. Um, I What I loved most about this was the parts that were so serious about how poverty works in this country, because telling those jokes about how he grew up, like... Those stories are very, very funny. And it's like we all have an assumption of like what growing up in poverty would be like. And some of us have more experience with with it than other people. But to actually take the time to be on stage and be like, no, I was suffering. Like, this is how it works. And the only way to get out of it is to get lucky. I just thought that that was really important. Um, So I I really enjoyed seeing that. I got very emotional with the Bob Saget funniest home videos stuff because like what timing um, Yeah, yeah. with the loss of Bob Saget. But I watched funniest home videos religiously with my family. Same. Yeah. So I and I remember trying to convince my mom to like stage pranks to get on the show and she would be like, you know, I don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I liked all of that. And then I was really impressed. I thought the set design was really interesting. Yes. Um, I loved that it was like all that garbage, like painted over white. Like, I just thought that that stuff was really cool. And then, of course, his bits about the way that he looks like right off the bat was just instantly so funny. The way he looks. I also like the fact that he's talking about how he looked when he was younger. And he said his haircut was like his mom's, but just a little shorter. And his mom would dye all of her kids' hair blonde so that no one would know that she's not a natural blonde. That is so, like, it's, like, you want to have a conversation with this mother about, like, what are you doing? But also, it's so funny. Yeah. (laughs) After the fact, now that everyone has grown up and, you know, hopefully worked through their traumas, it's, it's so funny that their mom would do that. I also, like, I don't know. 
I was just kind of like endeared to this guy. He was likable. I liked him. And that's kind of mm-hmm. like why I loved this so much. He was talking about how um, his mom, when they would buy ice cream, it was always the cheap bucket ice cream. It was like <laughs> it was that gigantic bucket. It's that clear bucket. And she would buy it not because of uh, not because of the like the of the taste of the ice cream inside, but because if you bought a mop she if you bought a mop bucket, the mop bucket was five ninety nine. But if you bought the ice cream bucket, it was the exact same size as the mop bucket. But it was four ninety nine, and he's he's talking about how shitty this ice cream has to be that it that the contents inside are like cheaper than actually buying a mop bucket. And I was just like, mm. I, I I lost my shit. the The pool vomit story I thought was hilarious as well, with all the kids spread out in the pool and vomiting with the ice cream. <laughs> I thought that that was hilarious. Um, that was a- Go ahead, Greg. I was a big fan of when he was talking about the lady who she, she had so many pictures of Jesus being crucified on her wall. It looked like she was trying to solve who murdered him. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you are cutting in and out, dude. You need to leave and come back. Let's pause. A, I'll be back. Let's pause for the cause. Hi, I sound like Morgan Freeman. I bet most of you do some online shopping with Amazon. It's just so easy. I myself logged in today to buy adult diapers. No, I'm not embarrassed. I have zero shame. And I really don't give a fuck what you think. I'm at that age. You'll get here too one day. And don't think that you won't, you naive asshat. One day you too will be just like Jamie Lee Curtis and shitting your body weight in Dan and yogurt. And the next thing you know, you'll be on Amazon ordering adult diapers saying, holy shit. That freckled face fucker was right. Anyway, the whole point of this is to tell you that PopCultureLeftovers.com has an Amazon shopping link. What that means is when you click on the link from their website, it helps the show. It doesn't charge you extra at all. You just shop like you regularly would, and Amazon takes care of the rest. It's easy and convenient, just like these diapers. I literally blew up this diaper while recording this ad. Hashtag truth. All right. Hey, we are back. And, uh, yeah. Would you guys say that people need to at least check out the special? I, I think the way that it ended, it's, it's kind of alluding to a part two. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and it's only like an hour and some change long. So if yeah. you just want, you know, some jokes, I think that you should check this out. Melissa, you've just never been into to stand-up comedy. This is like stand-up comedy is like what I grew up on. Like I'm I just remember as a kid growing up watching Drew Carey, Jake Johansson, Bill Carlin, Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby. Um you know, I know we're not supposed to say Bill Cosby, but yes, I grew up when I watched Bill Cosby comedy. Um, and then, you know, later on it turned into like, you know, in the 2000s, I was watching Dane Cook and... and- yeah, actually, um, I... So I w- have never like watched stand-up comedy specials, 
Um, but I grew up listening to Dane Cook's albums. Like, I would say that Dane Cook is probably the comedian that I'm most familiar with. Yeah. Um, but it's really just because I think that, like, most of the time when I'm sitting down to, like, put my eyes on a screen, I want, like, narrative fiction. I don't really watch reality TV, and I don't really watch, like, documentaries or, like, stand-up or whatever. So I think it would just be... I don't, I don't dislike it. I thought this was great. Um, there's another thing we watched for this episode that I thought was great too. Yeah. Um, but I think it would just be like making, like prioritizing making time to like look at TV or movies that isn't strictly stories. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. I, I view, I view stand up comedy just like everything else that we kind of talk about on this show, like as an art form. And, you know, some people do it better than others. So, but, um, yeah, I'm glad you guys got a chance to watch this. Let's move on to the next thing, uh, a show that dropped on Amazon Prime as we see it. And Was this a late edition? Was this the late edition that I gave you guys this week? I think this just hit. Uh, there was a bunch of things that just hit yesterday. I think All of Us Are Dead was the late edition. Okay. If I remember correctly. I thought that I gave you guys a list, and I thought, like, I gave you, like, oh, can we add this to... No, the ad was the after party. Oh, yeah, oh, the right. a- It was the after right. party. Okay. As We See It, dropped on Amazon Prime, three roommates on the autism spectrum, Jack, Harrison, and Violet, strive to keep, uh, strive to get and keep jobs, make friends fall in love and navigate a world that eludes them with the help of their families, their aid, and sometimes even each other. The trio experience setbacks and celebrate triumphs on their own unique journeys toward independence and acceptance. It's uh, created by Jason Katims based on the Israeli series on the spectrum by Dana Edesis and Yuval Shafferman. And uh, we've got a cast here of Rick Glassman, uh, uh, as Jack, Albert Ritecki, as Harrison, Sue Ann Peen, as Violet. Um, that's like the main three uh, characters that are in this show. And um, I'm, I've watched all of it. Me too. I watched, I could not stop watching this show. It is, mm-hmm. this is the highest of Tupperwares and um, I love this show. I adore this show. And uh, my, uh, my mom actually texted me earlier today and she's like, have you, have you heard about this show as we see it? And I said, yes, I killed it. I watched it all. And then she sent me a follow-up text and she's like, do you think that these actors that are in this show, do you think they're, do you think they're really autistic? And I said, I actually looked this up and all three of these actors I read it in a variety article are on the spectrum and, and, um, yeah, man, it's like, uh, I, you know, you know, we say we can, we, we say, you know, representation matters and it does. And I think that this show kind of proves how much it does because it's so goddamn good and even the title is like, as we see it, and we're kind of seeing like life, the life that they're going through and the life that they're trying to lead. And it, I, this, this show, I, once I started, I could not stop. There was nothing, there was nothing on the list this week that I was going to get back to until I finished this show. 
that's how good this fucking show is. Greg, did you? How many episodes did you watch? Yeah, so I watched one episode, but not because I didn't love it. You know, there was just a lot of stuff to watch. Um, I, I watched, <laughs> am I waking up, Ryan? No, I'm just. I love the 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 uh, the overwhelming. There was just a lot of stuff to watch. Wait. <laughs> 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 like, no, no, no. You Jesus know, Christ, Brian. So I um, have any insight into autism more than anybody else does. It, I, virtually everybody has been touched by autism in some way. Mm-hmm. I happen to have a nephew who has autism. And again, that, that doesn't mean I know anything anybody else does because everybody has somebody close to them, it feels like. Um, this, this, this pilot was like the opposite of everything I said about somebody somewhere. You can't help but wanting to keep watch it. And from an inclusion point of view, this is an absolute triumph. I mean, to know and love people with autism and to see a show provide perspective on the difference in the beauty that comes with autism, it's, so profoundly satisfying and moving to explore these characters. And again, this is only through one episode. I, I don't have the perspective you guys have, so if what I'm saying is bullshit, let me know. But I found myself simultaneously amused, heartbroken, um, empathetic. I was frustrated for the main character who was working with them. And what little perspective I have it just so amazingly captures what life is like, both for people who work with individuals with autism and perhaps for people with autism as well. Um, I thought this was the highest of Tupperwares. Again, and I'm very careful about Tupperwareing pilots, but I found this incredibly moving. Just one episode in. Yeah, you've got you've got uh, three three people here that are on the spectrum. Um, and, uh, yeah, they have an aide played by, uh, Sosie Bacon, who is the daughter of Kevin Bacon and Kyra Sedgwick, um, in real life. And, um, I think this is my first exposure to her. She's fucking fantastic. She may have been in Mayor of Easttown as the mother of Mayor's son. Do you, do you remember the, the she little, was. little boy? She was. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I, I just, this is what, this is the role that I'm going to remember her for. God damn, she was fucking incredible. Um, what, did, did you rate this, Greg, the first episode? It, it's a Tupperware, and I'll say when, when Violet got stood up, my heart broke. Yeah. My heart absolutely broke for her. And then again, that's just one episode. That's not a big yeah. spoiler. Yeah, but um, I'm I'm eager to watch more of it. Though I have to say, I've got to be in the right state of mind to watch the show. Um, I don't know. If this is one like I casually sit down and watch and just turn on. I have to kind of watch it when I feel like it's the right time to watch it. I couldn't stop watching it. Um, I just I I blazed through. I think it's like seven or eight episodes. I, I blazed through all of them. I just had to. I, I love Harrison. I love that guy. Um, Melissa, what did you think about uh, about uh, this show? Yeah, I'm giving this a Tupperware as well. I finished the whole entire season. Um, I I especially love in this show um, because of 
who the show's about, that these characters are fully formed. They don't always make the right choices. They hurt each other's feelings. They make mistakes. And then, you know, we get to see them grapple with that all in their individual ways. I, I love that this show is, is saying explicitly it is not autistic individuals job to change themselves to fit into society like it's society's job it's all of our jobs to change the way that we expect people to behave like we shouldn't expect people to react to things the same way that we do or handle situations you know the same way that we will like being neurotypical it means that a lot of people do have similar reactions as like i do to things but it's it's not it's my responsibility to give everybody I encounter the grace to have their own experience in the world. And I love that that is what the show is saying. It is not their job to make us feel comfortable. Like, I just, the show is so important for the inclusion and the representation. I, yeah, I, I really, really loved it. Like, so many of these experiences are universal. Like, having a shitty birthday, falling for someone who ends up being a dickhead, like, crossing the street when you're scared like i have teared up so many times watching this show it is excellent excellent television yeah i never Uh. would have predicted how wholesome the titular edible plot line in the back half of the season would be but like i was crying yeah oh god what's the they don't have i didn't have the the listing of the name of uh oh it was uh Jack's the 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 love interest for Jack. Who is that oh, actor? I yeah, I don't know either. Oh, she was so good though. I loved yeah yeah. Uh, but all I can say is like as it's it's called as we see it. It's on Amazon Prime. This is a must watch. This is I think that this is this this like surprised me how good it was. I, I was thinking like oh it's just going to be another show where I'm going to watch one episode and then I'm going to be like one and done and. And this, I could not stop watching. I was just addicted and I could not stop watching this show. I had to see like what happened with these characters, where they went. And, um, I didn't know that they were all on the spectrum until I actually did some research into, into the show after I, um, after I'd watched all the episodes. And, um, I mean, it really proves that, uh, you know, representation's important in, in, in TV and that, and for authenticity and to to really send like a message like the, it's important and it oh my god just a fantastic show just this is a camp miss I, I just don't know if if if, if people if, if enough people are going to get their eyes on this thing but I want a season two so bad <laughs> so please watch it yeah, I agree. I thought a little bit about like why Amazon chose to drop this all at once because they do a lot of their programming weekly. But at the same time, I was thrilled that it was all available because I wanted to sit down and watch all, every single second of it until there was no more. Right. Yeah. I just don't. I don't want to wait another year to watch season two. I want it all now. <laughs> it was that good. I love Harrison. I love that guy. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he was great. The first time I teared up was Harrison crossing the street. <laughs> yeah. Oh, another just heartbreaking moment too. What do you think just about really heartbreaking? What do you think about the the possible relationship of uh, Mandy? You know, the the, the aide 
for these uh, for these people um, living in the apartment together and and Van Violet's older brother. Yeah, I I understand why these two people would gravitate towards each other, but like you have to really investigate the like ethics of this relationship as it stands. Um, it was one of those things where I was like kind of, cause it seemed to be kind of settled. And then, you know, he came back and said more things, which is like, when you're into someone, that's what you want them to say. But at the same time, it's like, this was settled for like professional reasons because mm-hmm. this relationship is more complicated than just between, I don't want to like spoil how this all works, sure, but yeah. the relationship is more complicated than just the feelings between two people. Like obviously because of who these people are, they're going to feel a connection, but it's like, is that more important than for example, like the trust between Mandy and Harrison? Yeah. I mean, I think, that, I think they. I'm hoping that they explore that in like the, the second season, like, you know, so I love, oh God, I love this show so much. It's like, I, I could, like, I could do, I could do a whole episode on just this show and the characters and, mm-hmm. but I just want people to like trust us here and watch it. Cause I think this is the best yeah, thing. Definitely watch it. It's the best thing I watched this week. In my opinion, I think this is my favorite thing that I watched all week as we see it. My favorite thing was the uh, the the island on Netflix with all the people want to fuck each other. But this, <laughs> but this is after that. <laughs> A close second. Greg, you're kind of swaying me. You're, you're kind of swaying me. <laughs> all right, watch it. It's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal as we see it. On uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, Patrice O'Neill, "Killing Is Easy." This is uh, this dropped on Paramount Plus. Greg, did you get a chance to watch this? I did. Uh, the family and friends of Patrice O'Neill, including Bill Burr, Colin Quinn, Kevin Hart, Jim Norton, and more, look back on the late comics' promising but sometimes fraught career. Um, God damn, I uh, I I fucking I love Patrice O'Neill. Like I. Uh, Elephant in the Room is one of the best comedy specials ever. Um, and, um, I, Bill Burr, I love Bill Burr and he's kind of kept the memory alive for Patricia O'Neill over the years for me. Listening to the Monday morning podcast with Bill Burr, you know, he'll talk about, uh, Patrice O'Neill. I think, I don't know if he's done it the last couple of years, but he used to do a comedy, like a, uh, a big comedy special, um, where all the proceeds would go to the family of Patrice O'Neill. And, um, and they were just, they were great friends. And this documentary kind of like chronicles the life of Patrice O'Neill and shows us, you know, his rise. And then, and then kind of shows us like <laughs> he, he didn't want to be commercialized and he kind of like bucked the system at, at times and, and didn't want to feel like a sellout and just wanted to do his own thing. And, um, I don't know. I really felt like I got to know a lot more about, you know, the guy. And, uh, I thought it was, I, I'll give it a Tupperware. I absolutely loved this, this documentary. I'm, I'm glad that I, that I found this. Uh, this was on Paramount Plus. I think it originally dropped on Comedy Central, but I didn't hear about it on Comedy Central. So I'm glad I watched this, but, um, 
Um, Melissa, what did you think about this one? Patrice O'Neill, Killing is Easy. Yeah, I'm so glad that this was on the list, too, because I, I would have never found this on my own. And I'm giving it a Tupperware as well. Um, I wasn't aware of who Patrice O'Neill actually was before starting this documentary. And I love that the documentary itself kind of acknowledges that. Um, but then it, there's so many names and so many voices that I am familiar with. So even before getting into, like, the incredible comedian and, like, person that Patrice O'Neill was like you're immediately excited about getting to know this comedian that all these big names were you know themselves a fan of um I loved the way that at the beginning of the documentary they're like using animation to tell these stories that his friends are telling about them or some of his early comedy um and then with the documentary is explaining that he like switched up his style of performing and he got into a groove that evolved into like the way that he I don't know how to like say that, like the way that he presented comedy going forward. That's when we start seeing like actual footage of him on stage doing his material. Like in the early days, they're presenting it to you as part of the documentary, but not actually like through him. And I felt that that was a really nice way to kind of honor his legacy in comedy because he was so particular about the things that he did. So they don't even show him doing comedy in, you know, a form before he fully realized like how he, how he wanted to do his comedy. Um, you know, I know people that are like this, that it's just joke after joke, story after story. Every interaction is a bit and, People like that can be very frustrating. I really enjoyed that this documentary did not shy away from the fact that the way that he was living his life, like in his truth above everything else, like that could be harmful to business, to relationships. I love that people were saying like, no, he was an asshole. Like, we're not going to tell you he wasn't. You can see that he was. Look at what he's doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, people that are always like that, like 24 seven, it can kind of, it can kind of get tiring after a while. Like, dude, I just want to have a serious conversation with you, you know, like it can kind of get tiring, but did I, for me, he reminded me the way that he was kind of, and I don't know if you're familiar with the comic, Greg or Melissa, the way that he was like in some of his stand up, he didn't care if it upset people. Mm-hmm. Or if people, you know, if people got upset, like sometimes mm-hmm. he wanted to get that rise out of the audience. Like, you know, if I'm making you feel uncomfortable, I'm kind of doing my job here. Mm-hmm. It reminded me, Greg, I, Greg, Melissa, have you ever heard of Bill Hicks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it reminded me of Bill Hicks. It really reminded me of like the way Bill Hicks approached comedy. And Bill Hicks, another guy who died very young. I think he died in, in his 30s. I think it was like pancreatic cancer or something like that it was died really early but like there's some stand-up specials where bill hicks just like really takes it (laughs) takes it out in the audience but um what did you think about this one greg yeah it it definitely is sort of an a very honest and authentic look at patrice o'neill and you know one of the things i really appreciated in addition to everything you and uh, melissa said some of the footage we're getting of his career is very rough footage. I mean, I like, I'm like, is this filmed on a cell phone? Yeah. They didn't really have cell phones. In. And you get this sense that this is somebody that was just on like the precipice of greatness, but maybe greatness wasn't a fit for him because mm-hmm. he had to be something other than who he was to be 
the kind of comedian that would get to the next level. And that's that's fine because he always just had to be who he was. So I thought it was a really good, complex look at him and his life and his character. Um, it definitely has caused me. I mean, I knew who Patrice O'Neill was. I've seen his I've seen particularly the, the one special uh, elephant in the room. Yeah, elephant in the room. It, it is causing me to go back and rediscover more of his work now because I have a more complete understanding of who he was as a person. Um, moment of the documentary to me was, I mean, they, they paint such this complex picture as to who he was and hearing his stepdaughter talk about what a great yeah. dad he was. Yeah. I mean, just the icing on the cake. So I, I'm a Tupperware as well. A, a really well, I hate agreeing with you with on everything in this episode, but I gotta be honest. Um, it's this is a Tupperware. Yeah, the lasting impact he made on the on his stepdaughter was really fucking awesome. Like when she's talking at his funeral, um, I started to tear up. That was mm-hmm. that was pretty incredible because she's like, "Yeah, most of you know him for the comedy, and you know, but you don't know like the tender side of Patrice O'Neill." And it was it was sweet. It was really fucking sweet. And uh, yeah, this is an absolute Tupperware. Please seek this one out. If you have Comedy Central, maybe you can watch it on the Comedy Central app. But I watched it on Paramount Plus. Um, Patrice O'Neill, Killing is Easy. Absolute Tupperware. It was great hearing from such great comics. I loved hearing, you know, I, did, I didn't know that him and Kevin Hart were so close. Um, I knew he was close with Bill Burr and Colin Quinn. And I always watched him on the Comedy Central roasts. Um, and he was fucking hilarious in those. Just taken from us way too soon. I hate it when comics with like a real fucking voice are taken from us way too soon. With what's going on right now in, in, in comedy and stuff like that, it's like, I wish we still had a Patrice O'Neill around. I wish we still had a George Carlin around. And, um, it's, it, it really fucking sucks when those voices are silenced right now. Cause I mean, we really, you know, George Carlin, man, for, when he was around, dude, he fucking, he didn't shy, he, it, it wasn't dick and fart jokes. He wouldn't shy away from anything. We really need voices like Patrice O'Neill and George Carlin and, and Richard Pryor right now. I'm telling you. They, you know, they talk about how Patrice O'Neill died. And again, this isn't a spoiler because it's the guy's life, you know, but you have this very outspoken person, maybe outspoken to a fault. And he has a stroke and he can't can't move anything but his eyes and they're talking about how there's a single tear going down his cheek yeah and it's hard i'm having trouble shaking that thought you know just this boisterous kind of overly outspoken guy who can't move any part of his body and probably knows that he's going to die and how absolutely horrific that must have been for him and his family just it, it's um, a great documentary. So great, man. Dude lived a lot of life, man. Lived a lot of life. You know what's fucking crazy, man? I was like, I was looking up and I was like, just this week, I was listening to some, some podcast. I can't remember who was talking about him. No, it was Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith was talking about Elvis Presley. And I was like, how old was Elvis, Elvis Presley when he, when he passed away? Elvis Presley was 42 when he passed away. I was like, yeah, damn. I was say, you don't want to know that, bro. And I was like, I've lived more life than Elvis Presley. I've lived longer than Elvis Presley. I haven't lived the life of Elvis Presley, but I've lived longer than Elvis Presley. 
Isn't yeah, that, that's wild to think about. Isn't that mind blowing? Elvis, you know. Oh, that's just mind blowing to me. I don't know. That's crazy. The after party. Final thing in Good Pop, Bad Pop that I want to talk about is the after party. Uh, the series ta- this is on Apple TV Plus. The series takes place at a high school reunion after party with each episode a different character's perspective of what happened that night. Uh, critic Olivia, uh, I don't care about that. This is, uh, this is from the mind of, uh, Christopher Miller from, uh, Lord and Miller and, um, stars Tiffany Haddish, Sam Richardson. I, oh, this cast, Zoe Chow, uh, Ike Barinholtz, Ben Schwartz, um, Alana Glazer, uh, Jamie Dimitro, Dave Franco, and a couple special guest stars of uh, Channing Tatum and Will Forte. And uh, they dropped three episodes of The After Party on Apple TV+. And I have watched all three. And <laughs> I've... it's Chris Miller. It's Chris Miller. I fucking mm. – this is an absolute Tupperware. This is – it's like a, it's crazy. It's like it, if you love like the the Phil Lord Chris Miller stuff. If you're a fan of, I'm trying to think of like, you know, Twenty One Jump Street, uh, that movie with Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. If you're a fan of like what he did, what they did, and like, you know, uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse. What other stuff have they done? I know they've done just oh the Lego movie. They did the first Lego yeah. movie that people love. But, the Jump Street movies. The Jump Street, the Jump Street movies. But I, I think I think Christopher Miller's fucking brilliant, and I'm 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 addicted to this show. I've watched all the the three episodes, and I even clicked on the fourth episode, just like praying that it would play, but it didn't. <laughs> um, but I absolutely. And who's the girl from fucking? Wasn't she in Broad City? What's her name? Oh, uh, that's Alana Glazer. That's Alana Glazer. Oh my god. This is an absolute Tupperware. This is so good. Like the third episode, the music. I'm not a big fan mm-hmm. of mu- I'm not a big fan of music and shit. But when they did that one song about you only get one shot, you only get one shot twice. I was just like, <laughs> I, I love that song. This is an absolute Tupperware to me. It's like a murder mystery. You've got Dave Franco who plays. Um, they're having this high school reunion. It's a 15 year high school reunion. They're the class of 2006, and one of the high school um, um, reunion members is, uh, played by Dave Franco, who plays Xavier, who, tu- who turns into like this huge pop star and then makes the transition into mu- movies. He's like this huge star at this time. And they're having this high school reunion after party at his place. And, uh, sometime in the night, he falls off of, uh, a, this, this house, this amazing mansion is like on the side of a cliff and he falls off the mansion and dies. And, uh, they're trying to figure out like who killed him. So it's like this big murder mystery and each story you get the perspective of a different character. So the first, first episode, he's being interrogated by Tiffany Haddish who plays detective Danner and it's Sam Richardson who's getting interrogated by her, and he tells his side of the story. The second episode is with Ike Barinholtz, who, who plays Brett, who I th- I love this guy. He shows up in, in comedies and sh- shit like that, and this guy cracks me up. And then the third episode is from the perspective of Ben Schwartz, who plays Jasper. 
And so the next episode is going to be Alana Glazer from uh, from Broad City. She plays Chelsea in this, and that's where the fourth episode is going to pick up. So each member of the class of 2006 is going to give their um, perspective on the night of the party, and we're going to get closer to finding out, like, who the murderer was. And it reminds me of like, like the knives out movie mixed in with like that Christopher Miller, 22 jump street humor. And I am hooked. I love this show. Absolute Tupperware. Greg, how many episodes did you watch? I'm one episode in, I just saw it today. It's a, again, just an amazing, think about this premise for a second. Like when I'm solving a murder, I'm trying to get to figure out, like, who, who are these characters? What makes them tick? What are their motivations? And then I pair that with a high school reunion where it's like, wait a minute. I used to know these people. I used to know kind of how they ticked and what their like who they were about. But I haven't seen them. It's a genius premise to yeah. pair a murder mystery with a high school reunion. Um, Tiffany Haddish is freaking outstanding in this first episode because she's a detective who has apparently no appreciation for the seriousness of what she's investigating. <laughs> she's like eating fat-free popcorn as Anik is talking about his experience and what led up to this murder. It's got absolute on-the-nose belly laughs, my favorite of which being, you know, he's trying to sing this emotional kind of karaoke song to this girl he lost in high school and somebody puts on the wrong song. <laughs> fucking um, yeah, absolute Tupperware for me. As As a matter of fact, I saw this and then I went out to do – I had to I had to blow off my driveway. It's a big snowstorm in the East Coast. So I watched this episode and I go to my wife. I'm like, you got to watch the after party because we're going to – my wife and I are going to absolutely eat this up. Yeah. It's fantastic. I can't wait to see more. Oh, it's so good. It's so fucking good. Melissa, what did you think about the after party? I agree completely. I'm giving it a Tupperware. Um, I'm going to keep watching it until we know exactly what happened at this party. Uh, one of my favorite things about watching so much TV is when you get a show like this where every single person in the cast, you're like, oh, it's that person. Oh, it's that person. Um, I love that. I just watched Clue for the first time last weekend, and I'm so glad that I did that. So now I have, like, the seminal let's get the story from various perspectives, like, experience ready to take into watching the after party. Um, and I said this earlier, but, like, this feels more like spoofing of these genres and these tropes than what that Kristen Bell long name show is doing. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, 100%. This is perfect. The tone of this show is amazing. The way that it is switching genres for everybody's mind movie, like, I just, I'm obsessed with it. It's so funny. How many episodes did you watch? I watched all three. Did you, uh, okay, the second episode, which was Brett Brett's episode, and he drives, like, that muscle car. Did you notice when yeah. when the font for his name showed up? Didn't it look like Fast and Furious font? Well, and he's talking about his family so much. I'm like, yes, your mind movie is a Fast and Furious. It's a Fast and Furious movie. Oh my <laughs> god, I'm 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 really looking forward to um, the character that I really can't wait to see is Indigo. Yes, because yeah, like I can't we, yeah. yes, we got a little bit of like her mind movie, and it was in black and white, like a noir type. You know, it was, it was in black and white, and she goes, "This is what was hysterical." She's like, "Xavier started urinating on her head, yeah. and then you see piss <laughs> hit this woman's head, and she goes, 
oh my god, Xavier is urinating on my head, which is not something anybody would ever say. <laughs> it's so funny, and that's what like it's so funny just seeing these really bizarre interpretations of the same event, you know? In each episode, like, there is a teacher that shows up at the party that they had, Mr. Shapiro, (laughs) and in each episode, you catch Mr. Shapiro fucking one of his old students they call Quiet Heather, (laughs) and each time, in each episode, Mr. Shapiro and Quiet Heather are caught like fooling around in a different spot in the fucking house. It is, I can't wait for episode four to find out what the fuck they're doing in episode four. And then like they show like, um, Xavier, Dave Franco's character, like when he makes movies and shit, they'll like show scenes of movies that he was in, like with Will Forte, but he does like a Hall and Oates biopic with Channing Tatum. And it's yeah, fucking hilarious. <laughs> I told Jake to watch this this week. Like, the weeks that Jake is not on the show, we can candidly talk about, like, our thoughts on shit because I know he's not going to be on. I'm going to be like, dude, this is like, you don't want to miss this. This was, like, the thing I told, I told Jake, like, these are the things this week that I watched were, that were Tupperwares. And then I came back later and I said, dude, you have got to watch the after party. It's mm-hmm. fucking Christopher Miller. And, uh, you know, and then he saw the cast. He's like, dude, I'll watch. He's like, oh, what did Jake say? He said, oh, I'll try anything with Ben Swartz. And then yeah. I, then I replied to Jake. I put, I put anal question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jake, if you're listening to this, watch that show about them people on the island trying to fuck each other, and then watch the show about the people with autism, and then watch this, okay? Exactly. That's the show. It's That's what this show is. It's too hot to handle as we see it in the after party. Boom. Everything else you don't really need to watch, right? Ozark season four. Ozark season no. four. Don't forget. <laughs> yeah. This after the after party on Apple TV Plus, I can guarantee you, like, if you're not fucking listening to uh Apple to Oranges with Paul Hart and uh, you know, Jess and June, um, if they cover this shit, you better be fucking listening because like this show is an absolute Tupperware. This is so fucking good. Yeah, I can't wait for more of this. All right, let's, uh, that is it for, um, good pop, bad pop. Let's jump into the pop culture leftovers news. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a lift of a news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangster as fuck, yo. It's gangster as fuck, yo. All right, let's talk about some gangster as fuck news here. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you, I don't know if a lot of people saw this this week. I, 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 uh, I thought that this was absolutely insane when I read this. Uh, this comes from Dark Horizons. Two fans have reportedly filed a federal class action lawsuit on Friday in regards to Richard Curtis's 2019 Beatles-inspired feel-good rom-com feature Yesterday. Have either of you watched Yesterday? I have seen Yesterday. Have you, have you I seen it? I have not seen it, but I know what – I've seen the pre- – I remember the previews. Fantastic yeah. fucking movie. Did you like it, Melissa? Did you like Yesterday? I like – um, Hamish Patel more than I liked the movie yesterday, but like it's worth watching for, oh, for him. I fucking I love the movie. I love Hamish Patel. Yeah, the movie didn't kill it for me, but man, I love Hamish. Hamish Patel, he was in uh what was he in? He was in uh Station Eleven. Did you watch Station Eleven on HBO oh Max? Oh my god, yeah, I've already watched it twice. Uh, I'm obsessed with that show. What a great like, 
I don't yeah. know how any TV is going to come out the rest of the 11 months of the year that I'm going to love more than I love Station Eleven. Uh, if they made that Station Eleven uh, graphic novel, I would buy it in a heartbeat. Have you read the book? No. Me either. I haven't this read This is the book. like a very loose adaptation I've heard, but like I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to read the book sometime during this year for my Station Eleven hangover. Oh, it's so Station Eleven is an absolute Tupperware people. Do yourself a favor and watch Station yeah, Eleven. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anyway, two fans have reportedly filed a federal class action lawsuit against Richard Curtis's 2019 Beatles-inspired feel-good rom-com feature. Yesterday, the pair say they paid uh, they pay each paid three dollars and ninety-nine cents to rent the movie on Amazon Prime because *Knives Out* and *No Time to Die* actress Anna de Armas appeared in the trailer. Only after. Did they discover that Diarmas was removed from the final cut of the film? Diarmas was to appear as Roxanne, a potential love interest who is introduced to lead character Malik on the set of James Corden's talk show. The scenes with the character were removed before the film's release due to test audience pushback. The suit accuses Universal of engaging in deceptive marketing. And seeks <laughs> and seeks to recoup at least five million dollars on behalf of affected consumers. There's oh my god! <laughs> like, okay, so are the death of the in the Nile like marketing people like shaking now because they're acting like Army Hammer is not in that movie. He's in the movie. They couldn't do He's anything. In the movie, but he is not in the trailer. Like, uh, I think it was um, it was uh, Taika Waititi had enough time to pull him out of the. Uh, the soccer movie he's doing. Oh, I don't think I even realized that. Do you want to hear a funny story that's similar to this news article, although I didn't sue anybody? <laughs> oh, oh, shit. What are you What are you doing, Melissa? Well, I recently watched the movie The Vampire Academy because the credits on IMDb listed Anya Taylor-Joy, and it wasn't until after I finished watching The Vampire Academy, the movie, that I learned that Anya Taylor Joy was actually in a deleted scene. <laughs> you should sue. I should sue because that movie's a piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, Will Arnett replaces Army Hammer in Next Goal Wins, the Taika oh, Waititi that's great. movie. I love Will Arnett. I love Will Arnett too. You know, I was watching this porno movie once that was supposed to have Jenna Jameson in it, but it was just her telling stories about other people fucking. Yeah. I'm going to sue them now. You're going to sue. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's this, this, this lawsuit is so ridiculous. You know, Greg, how many minutes, the, the how many minutes is Michael Keaton Beetlejuice in the movie Beetlejuice. The movie's titled Beetlejuice. How many how many minutes is Michael Keaton Beetlejuice in the movie Beetlejuice? Do you know? I don't know, but I think in Tim Burton's Batman, he's only on screen as Batman for something like eight minutes. Does that sound crazy? It's a it's a very low number. That does sound. I don't know crazy. about Beetlejuice, but Batman. I'm going to Google that shit. But it's a it's a low number. Um, Beetlejuice is 92 minutes. And Michael Keaton appears as Beetlejuice for only 17 minutes in that movie. 17 and a half minutes. Mind blown, right? Let's sue. <laughs> you are, you are sue happy, aren't you? 
<laughs> this is America. America. Let's sue. Uh, Greg, did you find out the answer? I'm looking at it right now. It's got to be more. That sounds it's insane low, to me. It's a shockingly low number. What is it? I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I'm typing as fast as I can. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear. Misspelling. Is that you? What are you chicken packing over there? I got this fucking gaming keyboard, and the keys are giant. I can barely type on this thing. How much was Michael Keaton paid for Batman? He made $5 million. I don't care about that, Greg. <laughs> I don't give a fuck how much he made. You're taking us on. You might have to pause while I figure this out. I'm pausing. Christ. <laughs> no, I'm not pausing. I unpaused. We're going to listen to you fucking struggle here. God, this is so stressful. <laughs> All right, hold on. Tim. <laughs> what are you doing? I gotta find exactly the string of words to get me this answer. Tim Burton Batman screen time. Batman. What? What are you doing? I'm trying to find out how... You wanted me to find out how much fucking... Data hypothesis. That Michael Keaton's Batman is not in Batman all that much. You said... Google it to find out. I'm typing as fast as I can. (laughs) Okay. Okay, hold on. I have part of an answer. He's on screen as both Bruce Wayne and Batman for a total of 32 minutes and 30 seconds. That's still not a lot. What? That's not a lot. And that's and I would I would wager he's more Bruce Wayne than Batman in the film. I like just, when your movie is called Batman, you would yeah. expect at least Batman's well, and, altered to be on now he, most of the time. <laughs> and now he's split in time with Bruce Wayne? Right. And he's definitely more Bruce Wayne, so over under, it's less than twenty minutes. A hundred percent. I'm still. I will not rest until I found the answer. Greg, do you think it's because that suit fucking sucked to move around in? I think the suit sucked to move around in. I think that Tim Burton was much more interested in the villains than he was interested in Batman. Did you, uh, Melissa? Did you know that Michael Keaton in that Batman suit could not turn his head? I feel like I've heard that, and that's so, like, funny. He, like, there's well, a, there, that is why he was only on screen for 15 seconds, apparently. When he had to, like, look up, he had to, like, bend his entire, arch his entire back backwards to look up. It was really, you could see certain scenes where it was really hard for him to move. Yeah. Like, at what cost? God. All right, let's see. Uh, you also got to remember the let's get nuts scene. That was additional. I mean, we're yeah. talking very little time as Batman in that film. I'm, I need to, like, watch Batman and, like, have a stopwatch. Yeah. Oh, I'm on Yahoo. That's why I can't find shit. Why are you on Yahoo? Who the fuck goes because to Yahoo? My son, my son fucks around with my computer, and he's always changing the browser to Yahoo. I'm sorry. I, I'll have the answer really quick now. I'm on. I'm on Google. Greg's on. I mean, I googled this too, and I didn't find an immediately fast answer because I thought it would be really funny if I could swoop in here with the answer before you did, but I I failed. (laughs) It it took Greg ten minutes to type it in, and he was on. He was on AskJeeves.com. Like what the? (laughs) (laughs) He's on Y.com. All right, I'm going to move on to the next story while Greg 
while Greg monopolizes the rest of the podcast to find this answer. Sorry. <laughs> I'm fucking with you, Greg. It's fine. Um, this might only mean anything to me, and we don't have to talk about it that long, but news from Collider. King of the Hill set to return in series from original creators. Greg, did you did you watch King of the Hill? No, I wasn't a King of the Hill guy. I knew it. I knew it. Melissa, you probably didn't watch it either, I'm guessing. I didn't, but my sister watches it. Does she? So I do feel some warmth towards this story. The only sad part about this story is the fact that Brittany Murphy is no longer with us. Yeah. And she played Lou... She played Luann on that show. I was, uh, I, I jumped onto the King of the Hill, um, uh, bandwagon a little bit late. I didn't start watching King of the Hill, I think, until 2005. It, it had already, uh, it premiered in 97. I think I watched maybe one or two episodes when it first premiered, but I, I didn't stick with it. And around 2005, 2006, I got super hooked on King of the Hill and I would watch it in syndication all the time and i started to record episodes on fox i i think around 2005 is when i got my first tivo and i started to dvr stuff constantly my tivo was basically if you looked at my tivo in 2005 you would have seen uh king of the hill uh it's always sunny in philadelphia and arrested development that was like that those are like the big three programs that i was watching this news makes me super excited i'm a huge fan of mike judge i love these characters from king of the hill fucking uh tom petty used to play lucky on the show who was dating um luann uh britney murphy's character both of them both of them not with us anymore but um if we get more king of the hill i will be super fucking happy so um yeah it's it's a fantastic show i just i i loved it so much the comedy was just so good kathy and jimmy and mike judge fucking hilarious let's move on into marvel news i'm not going to keep harping on king of the hill if neither of you've never watched it you know what i mean what's the fucking point in that it's ridiculous I mean, the people who this story is for, they have been reached by this story. Yeah. I apologize that I was not watching King of the Hill in 2005. It's fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> it's totally I'm not blaming you. I'm not upset at you. But I'm just saying for, like, this episode's sake, there's no attachment. There's no attachment to the King of the Hill from Greg or you. And it would just be one man, like, shouting from the mountaintop his love for King of the Hill. And then... That's not that's not fun. That's dumb to listen to. I'm a, let's move on into Marvel News. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for Marvel News. Marvel news. You know, when people listen to this podcast, Greg, Melissa, they have no idea like what we're doing on our end, like what we're dressed as. Like, what if I had like a like a? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking about me being nude over here. So settle down. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> All right. What if what if what if what if I was just wearing like a uh, like a, a a really big kind of like uh, Easter hat that women wear. 
Oh, you would look bonnet? fucking fabulous. Right? I was bummed that this isn't a video podcast. I know. Like, what if I like, 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 that's what I feel comfortable in recording unbeknownst to everyone else. You know what I mean? This is what, this is how I feel. This is how, this is how I feel today. And I'm going to wear like a big old fucking, fucking Easter hat. You know what I mean? With the big old hat and it's got, I got flowers and shit in it. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. Like every episode I would fucking record just like a ridiculous fucking hat on every time. Nobody would know. It would just be my little secret, wouldn't it? Yeah, except the secret's out now. <laughs> shit. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Oh, shit. Uh, hey, I have an update on the, um, the question we were trying to figure out. Oh yeah, the the Michael Keaton thing from like an hour but ago. But this is the, this is the length that I'm going to for you because yes. I love you. Yeah, I'm not, let's hear from a, love, let's let's hear from our crack research team over here. Okay, source number one, uh, which would be somebody on the Batman Online forums named Silver Nemesis, oh. says that Batman is in costume for 21 percent of the runtime of Tim Burton's Batman. Source number two, IMDb, says the total runtime of Batman 1989 is 126 minutes. So if I do 126 times, and I'm doing this in real time, times 0.21, Batman is on screen for 26 minutes in Tim Burton's Batman from 1989. Boom. You heard it here first. Dude, it's, here's the thing, man. 26 minutes, man. Didn't, didn't they make those 26 minutes count? No, I really yeah. think it's Jack Nicholson's movie. I think he actually got top billing over Michael Keaton. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Doesn't people don't people think that Michael Keaton is the best Batman? It varies. I mean, you know, it's like here's the thing. It's like it just depends on. I think it depends on like when you were born, when you watched it. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot. A lot of people still think that Adam West is still the same, the best Batman. Um, I would be in the camp that you know I was. I was 11 years old. I remember watching Michael Keaton's Batman in the theater on a vacation in 1989. I was on vacation with my family in Florida, and I saw it in the movie theater. And just being blown away. Yeah, Michael Keaton's definitely my Batman. But I'm sure you're going to have your people that are like, you know, Ben Affleck's their Batman. Then you're going to have people that are like, you know, no, Christian Bale's my Batman. So it really – and then and then um, Kevin Conroy. It just It really depends. Yeah. I was going to say, when I close my eyes and hear Batman's voice, it's Kevin Conroy. But live action, I was, you know, 1989, I was 11 years old. So Michael Keaton's kind of my Batman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm in, I'm in the same boat, man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you have a Batman, Melissa? Is Did you have like a definitive Batman? I am very partial to Ben Affleck's Batman. But that's also kind of recency bias because I haven't seen a lot of Batman movies and I watched all of the Batflex stuff last year. But I got a soft spot for him. I really liked him as Batman. What are the, like, what are the odds? Uh, Greg, I mean, me and you, you know, since 1989, Michael Keaton's been our Batman. What are the odds that Mike, uh, that uh, Robert Pattinson can come in here and shatter that? I mean, I think it's tougher because we're going to see Michael Keaton's Batman again yeah, in a, diff- a very different way. But, yeah. you know, I'm more excited for the Batman than any other movie this year. And there's a lot of good shit coming out this year. There so, really is. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. But I, I also think nostalgia is a, a tough thing. You know, it's a tough thing to fight, especially with us just seeing three Spider-Men and everyone going crazy. 
you know? Yeah. Uh, Marvel news. Uh, I got a Marvel email here from one of our listeners, Michael Borelli. He sends uh, an email. The subject was a uh, Shang-Chi uh, episode. And uh, he has uh, in uh, parentheses, uh, Iron Man 3. Hey, Brian, I have uh, been going back and listening to the PCL episodes I had to skip because I hadn't seen the movie or series yet. Yes, I am a massive spoiler pussy. I just saw Shang-Chi, total Tupperware, and I listened to your episode. In it, you mention, uh, mention wanting to rewatch Iron Man 3 in a possible new light. I have a viewpoint that I hope will make it a better experience for you. Tony blowing up his suits... Seems to confuse a lot of people, but it honestly fits the narrative really well. He tells Jarvis to run the clean slate protocol. Starting with a clean slate means to get rid of all the problems or issues and start fresh. All of his suits that he built after the Mark 7 from Avengers, over 30 of them were created while he was suffering from insomnia and PTSD. There were a manic outlet. They were a manic outlet and a security blanket while he was losing his mind, blowing them up was a cleansing of this thought process he was stuck in. It was healing. He then started from scratch and built the Iron Legion as a complement to his main suit with the ultimate goal being Ultron. Anyway, my main goal is for everyone to love these movies as much as I do. Thank you for making this podcast and for putting in the work to keep us entertained for hours at a time. You are truly appreciated, and that email comes from Mike Borelli. Mike, I appreciate the input there, man. And maybe I will go back and watch Iron Man 3, which is a movie that I have not watched since I watched it originally uh, back in uh, 2013. I have not, Greg, I have not gone back. Did you listen to the Iron Man 3 episode, Greg? I listened to the Iron Man 3 episode when it originally came out. Yeah, I, uh, um, yeah. I haven't gone back and watched Iron Man 3 since 2013. I think I saw it twice in the theater, and I have not gone back and watched it. That wasn't my problem with the movie. Mandarin wasn't... You. There were things other than Mandarin that you were frustrated with. Is that right? There were a couple things that I was actually frustrated with with Iron Man 3. It was... Uh, my biggest problem with Iron Man 3 was, yeah, my biggest two problems with Iron Man 3 is that, you know, they found a way, in my opinion, to get over, like, the racial stereotype problems that they have with the original Mandarin character, Ben Kingsley. They made him, like, this, uh, this, they, I think they made him a, a great Mandarin for the time that we believed that he was the Mandarin. And he was, like, like, he was really fucking some shit up there for Tony. And I was like, they, they've done it. They've done it. They've fucking, they've made him this force. They've done a great Mandarin here. And, you know, you don't have the racial stereotype problems that the, the comics faced back in, you know, like the 60s and 70s and shit. And then they pull the rug out from under us and he's an actor named Trevor. And then, but my biggest problem with the movie, aside from just like that Mandarin bullshit, was... The fact, like, the whole movie he's talking about, like, you know, I don't need the suit. I don't need the suit, you know? Like, I'm... He's so ingenuitive, and he goes all fucking, um... Um... Uh, he, he's, he's this inventor, and he can... He can he doesn't need the suits, and he can overcome everything. And at the end of the movie, is it his... Is it his... 
is it his ingenuity and his inventor mind that defeats uh, the extremist virus, you know, Guy Pierce's character. No, it's, it's his girlfriend that's been infected by extremists. Who then somehow gets cured, like, off screen. Yeah, but, like, the whole movie, he's like, I don't need the suits. You know, like, and then it's his girlfriend that, that gets infected by extremists is the one that takes out Guy Pierce's character at the end of the movie. And I'm just like, yeah. what's the fucking, I don't understand what's going on here. This is, this is ridiculous. I, I, that was my biggest problem with it. And it has nothing to do with like, it's just the way that they set up the movie the entire time of him. Like, I don't need the suits, you know, like I'm, you know, I, I am. I'm a superhero without the suits. And then at the end of the movie, yeah. it's, it's, I wanted to see, I, I wanted to see Tony Stark be able to defeat this villain with just using like his mind. He doesn't have to use the suit at the end of the movie, but at the end of the movie, his girlfriend who's infected, you know, Pepper Potts who's infected by the extremist virus is the one that takes out the villain. And I'm just like, this is stupid. That was my biggest problem with Iron Man 3. It wasn't, wasn't anything else, so. I liked Iron Man 3. I, I wasn't as low on it as you were. Um, I do like Mike's take on it. Wasn't this at a time when Robert Downey Jr.'s contract was kind of in a funky place? Oh, yeah. I addressed like, that. I addressed that, too. Like, he, had, he, he the contract had run through, and the reason that all the suits were destroyed at the end of the movie is because they didn't know if 100% they were going to be bringing, yeah. him, bringing him back right. because he hadn't signed any more contracts. And... I'm fine with destroying the suits and all that shit. It's just how it's how the villain was defeated at the end of that movie that I had the biggest problem with. Yeah, it it's kind of just a weird movie when you look at it now cuz you also have the relationship with the kid that kind of doesn't go anywhere after that movie and then the kid shows up again at his funeral, you know, some some things like that. Um I think it's a perfectly fine MCU movie. Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't have the issue with it that you did. Yeah. I, I think we got too much of like, I think we got too much of Tony outside of the suit. And I get the point they were trying to make, maybe, but when I go to see an Iron Man movie, I want to see Robert Downey Jr. in the suit. And I also wonder how much of that with some of the contract stuff going on, because that was at the time when they were pre CGI suits, right? Like, yeah, yeah, they were still so using. Now, yep. Yeah, so these were big pieces of plastic that took hours for Robert Downey Jr. to get in. Right. He's kind of at the end of his contract. All of a sudden, he's not in the suit for most of the movie, and you know, movies after that, we start to see him in CGI suits, which means he was probably in black spandex with white stickers all over him. I don't know. I wonder how much reality wrote the script versus the script being written because it's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'll eventually watch Iron Man 3 again. Fuck, man. That movie's like close to being nine years old at this point. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My grandmother passed away right at the time the Blu-ray came out. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, I was obviously like terribly sad. I went and I bought the Blu-ray and watched it. So I do have this weird personal soft spot for Iron Man 3 because it gave me a couple hours of distraction when my grandmother passed. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. Yeah. 
I don't know. Melissa, have you ever seen Iron Man 3? I have seen Iron Man 3, but probably only, like, once. Yeah. When I do, like... When I rewatch MCU movies, I'm they're mo- it's mostly focused to like whatever's coming out next. So I've watched like all the movies that have a Black Widow performance, or yeah. like I'm working on watching the Spider Man and like Doctor Strange. Um, but for whatever reason, that never includes watching all the Iron Man movies, even though Tony Stark is in all these movies. But I'm like, we get it, you're Tony Stark. <laughs> I'm telling you though, like. Like nothing, none of this would have been possible. That's what I loved about Endgame so much is like the, the reverence that the whole universe and that audiences gave Robert Downey Jr. at the end of that movie. You know, the sacrifice that he made because none of this would have been possible if it wasn't for Kevin Feige, John Favreau, and, and the performance of Robert Downey Jr. Um, nobody was excited. Seriously, let's go back to fucking like 2007 and they announce an Iron Man movie to kick off everything. Iron Man was a B-level character in the comics. Like nobody back then, I'm just being honest with you, like nobody back then was thinking that for me being a comic book fan, I was thinking like, you know, like there's characters that I get excited for. I get excited for like a Hulk movie. I get excited for a Spider-Man movie. Those are like A-listers. Iron Man was not a fucking A-list character in 2007. When like we, we went like when we first saw the, like the first trailer for Iron Man. And then like, Greg, I remember fucking watching G4 and they're covering San Diego Comic-Con and they're talking about the trailer just being shown for the first time in Hall H and I'm fucking I'm online dude and I'm I'm seeking this trailer out and the first time I see the trailer is not the official trailer release it's like recorded off of somebody's fucking like Nokia phone from back in like 2007 dude yeah that's sort of when Hall H was Hall H yeah different unfortunately and you know, you didn't even mention, but I'm, I'm sure you're going there. You know, you got it, Robert Downey Jr. coming off of a lot of personal problems with drug abuse. Yes. Uh, long documented issues with whether or not they could even get insurance for him for this film, because if, God forbid, he started doing drugs again and couldn't come to set, you have Marvel self-financing the film and their whole future based on whether this film was successful or not. Right. And, this is also one of the 50 times over the last 20 years when you start to see these articles from these critics about, oh, you know, this is probably the end of this superhero fad. Now they've kind of, now they're going to the B list. Now we're going to get movies around these no-namers, Iron Man and Cap, these out-of-date characters that nobody cares about anymore. We've done X-Men and Spider-Man, so here's the end of the fad, everybody. Right. Um, and we started That's to That's absolutely that. insane to think Oh, about. and I'm telling you, but like, that, like that was five years. Because I wasn't like says, in it when this was happening. I saw the Iron Man movie when it came out and I loved it, but yeah. I did not have like any context. For the film industry, like the superhero comics industry, like I didn't understand, uh, like the risks that Marvel Studios was taking with, you know, its first batch of characters until after the fact when it was already so successful. And it's like still mind boggling to really sit down and think like Robert Downey Jr. himself was a risk. The character was a risk. And like, 
look at how wildly fucking successful it is. It's crazy. Has anybody pulled a trick like Kevin Feige ever before? It was it was a hail mary. Yeah, it was a mary, and and it just you know worked out perfectly. But yeah. if Iron Man wasn't successful, there, it uh, you know there are no. It's hard to say what comic book movies even are after 2008. Right. I mean, we don't get we don't get James Gunn and Guardians of the Galaxy. It just doesn't happen. No way. I mean, I, I grew up. I grew up, um, you know, in the 90s, reading, you know, comics and Wizard magazine, and reading the back of Wizard magazine, and hearing about possible movies that are going to get made. You know, there was rumors of a Doctor Strange movie back in like the early 90s, mid 90s, and, and like these movies didn't pan out. And, uh, and, you know, and then when we did get them, we got like that Captain America movie, you know, that was terrible. And the Dolph Lundgren Punisher movie that, you know, really didn't feel like it was like, you know, the, the Frank Castle that I knew from the comics. And he didn't even wear like the, you know, the skull on his chest in that movie. It was and on the end of a knife. It was on the it. end of a knife and that was it. And it was like, we didn't get the movies that we wanted. And finally, it's like, you know, even X-Men 2000, when that came out, like it was, it's like by today's standards, it's not a great movie, but man, that was like one of the, that was like one of the closest comic book movies that we'd ever gotten. We got fucking Hugh Jackman and we got to see Wolverine with the claws. We got a proper rogue, you know, and I don't know, man. It's just like we did, we were starting to see, I mean, before that, every, like the best comic book movie ever made was probably, you're looking at like Christopher Reeve, Superman and, mm-hmm. and Michael Keaton, Batman. And that's it. That's it. And I mean, think about that X-Men movie, which overall, like in the historical context of superhero movies, very successful, important movie, fuck mm-hmm. Ryan Singer, but we didn't know that at the time. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You, you have characters wearing leather costumes, because of the matrix not because they were embarrassed about right. the source material i mean look at all the moments over those first few years of comic book movies in which they were obviously embarrassed of the source material and mm-hmm. trying to write their way around having to capture what the essence of the comics were because they just didn't think audiences would accept it and Come to find out, the more they showed us what was on the page, the more people liked it and the more successful these movies were. So it's it's been a really interesting journey. I mean, I grew up the same time you did. I read comics. I, I started reading comics when I was probably seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. It was an issue of Iron Man with Moon Knight in it, ironically. I don't remember what issue number because the cover got ripped off. I started collecting comics in 1990, bagging them, boarding them, all that good stuff. I I had a lot of friends in high school. I was too embarrassed to tell that I read comic books because it just wasn't accepted at that Yeah, time. yeah, it really wasn't. I, I dropped off of comics for a long time because it was, like, not the cool thing to do. But Yeah. Yeah. It, it's freaking surreal that we're getting it's surreal that infinity gauntlet which was an amazing comic story that i read when i was probably 12 years old is one of the high ultimately the adaptations like the highest grossing movie of all time like it's yeah it's bizarre for me to even think about that now it's it, it feels like 
like this could have gone terribly wrong and we could not be having, you know, like comic book movies like Spider-Man No Way Home could have not been like the movie that saved, you know, the theaters and yeah. uh, it could have been drastically different, like no comic book movies. And it just feels it really does feel like validation for all those years of like, you know, dropping, dropping money on comic books and, and reading you know, Wizard Magazine and, and hoping and praying for these characters to come to life eventually. Cause we, we love them. We knew that they were awesome and we wanted the rest of the world to acknowledge how fucking awesome they were. And now it's like Robert Downey Jr., Kevin Feige, John Favreau prove to the world how awesome they are. And it's, it's fucking validation, man. Well, you know, the funny thing, and I've, I've got friends who, you know, when I was in college, it's kind of hard to hide you're into comic like i'm in a dorm room so when i would go get my comics they were there and you know people would see them and you i that's also when kevin smith's career started to take off and being yeah. into comics was a little, little more niche cool and acceptable and um i still like i had friends who would poke a little fun at me for being into comics but it wasn't it wasn't in a mean way like i had no ill will these days those same friends will call me with their kids and asked me to explain what happened in the comics like what they just saw on screen so that they can then try to guess what's going to happen in future movies. Yeah. So I just was talking to my buddy and his son about um, One More Day, the Spider-Man story. So they're like, so what was the comic story like the Spider-Man movie? I'm like, there wasn't, dude. Totally just, it's its own thing now. You got to let it go. But I was telling them about One More Day and Spider-Verse, and it's freaking nuts. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, fantastic email, Michael Borelli. I seriously, thank you. Thank you for saying that. And yes, I will eventually get back and watch Iron Man 3. I don't know why I keep putting it off, Greg. I should just, I should just, I should just put that away and just watch Iron Man 3 one more time. I, I vowed on our Iron Man 3 episode that I would never watch it again. And uh, I, that's bullshit. I will eventually watch Iron Man 3 again. Have you watched Eternals the second time? Oh, I saw Eternals, I think, twice when it came out. So Okay. We reviewed it together. If, if you don't like Iron Man 3 more than Eternals, I will, I will pay for your night of beers at the next C2. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. No, that's, and I'll give you an honest, I'll give you an honest, uh, uh, review yeah, of, give me an honest read. I will. Fascinated what you think. Yeah. Yeah. I'll watch, I'll watch both of them back to back. Um, uh, Moon Knight trailer dropped, uh, a little over a week ago. The Oscar Isaac, uh, Oscar Isaac playing Moon Knight. And, uh, I mean, I didn't get to break down the trailer or anything like that. I'm not going to break it down now. It's been out for a while, but I wanted to know your guys' thoughts on the Moon Knight trailer. Melissa, are you familiar with the character of Moon Knight? Do you, or was like this trailer with like your first real exposure to the character? This trailer was my first exposure to the character. Um, even when Oscar Isaac, who I love, was cast as, the, as this character, I didn't go into like figuring out who the character was at that time, just because all of the podcasts I listen to and like everybody I talk to uh, knows more about MCU characters than me. So in my mind, I'm like, by the time the show comes out, I will have absorbed everything about this character. <laughs> um but man, the trailer looks so fucking cool. I can't wait. <laughs> I cannot wait to see this show. It just is like, 
such a specific and like weird vibe that is just very exciting to me. It feels like they're taking um the approach a lot of it feels like they're gonna be pulling from like the Jeff Lemire run of Moon Knight, but also I think they're gonna be taking a lot of like just like the Silver Age comics of Moon Knight too and doing a blend here. Greg, what did you think of uh of the trailer? It's it's a lot of it's so awesome to see how huge the reaction to this trailer has been because Moon Knight to me has always, it's funny. I just mentioned like the first comic I remember reading had Moon Knight in it. I'm not like a diehard Moon Knight fan. Um, I've always thought he kind of looked cooler than the story. Like the look is amazing. I don't know that I had like a huge Moon Knight story that stuck out to me growing up. Um, the one period of time in which I remember reading Moon Knight was there was an artist named Stephen Platt who hit huge. He drew a lot like Todd McFarlane. Does any of this ring a bell, Brian, from back in the 90s? Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. So when Stephen Platt hit it big, I mean, this is like the the, the image area when like it was all about the hot artist. Mm-hmm. I started buying up Moon Knight because I wanted to see Stephen Platt's artwork. And, you know, I bought a little bit of the, um, I think there was a Brian Bendis run with David Finch where Moon Knight, his multiple personalities were other superheroes. So he had like, sometimes he was Spider-Man. Sometimes he was Wolverine, and that was kind of fun. But I, I got to catch up on the Jeff Lemire run. I think it's awesome that a Moon Knight trailer is like one of the hottest trailers ever. But it's just so great. That's why this universe is so rich. There's just still so much more to be explored. And I loved this trailer. It was such a great combination of mystery and intrigue and wanting to know what this series is about and showing us just enough of this character that I got that phone call from my old friends to say, who the hell is Moon Knight? What's he about? <laughs> yeah. Like, I got that call. And it was so that just jazzes me. My kids are asking me who Moon Knight is. And I'm really excited for this series. Um, Charles Murphy from uh, Murphy's Multiverse uh, recently tweeted, one bit of info that I did have about Moon Knight and shared in our Discord months ago was that it would be a bit like Memento. Awesome. That's, Put that on my watch list. No shit. Uh, have you? You've, ne- you've never seen Memento? I haven't. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> oh, Melissa, please do yourself a huge favor and watch Memento immediately. Um, Greg, I, I I don't know about you, but Memento is like one of those uh, Nolan movies that just. It, I, I think it's the first Nolan movie I ever watched. It sort of introduced me to Christopher Nolan. Yeah. After that was Insomnia with. Um, Al Pacino, right? Which is not nearly as good. Yeah. Melissa, you'll understand this. Watch Memento twice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I love, I love Nolan movies. I yeah. just haven't quite gone through, um, to see all of them yet. So sure. I definitely, I've always, Memento's basically always been on my list, but you kind of have to make the time for <laughs> these movies because they're like in brain space more than time, I guess. Um, yeah. But now that I know that it can be counted as homework for the Moon Knight show, that helps me <laughs> make the time because I, I love to do like pop culture homework. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah. Go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying. Memento is like one of those uh, must-watch movies. I think I, I own it on Blu-ray. Absolutely fantastic. So yeah, please do. Yeah, do yourself a favor. If you're a listener, you've never seen Memento. Watch Memento. Like, fucking. Uh, I, I, maybe that was like my first introduction to Guy, introduction to Guy Pierce too. 
Yeah, mine too. And uh, one th- other thing too, and I'm not gonna. I'm gonna be very careful not to spoil anything. Memento came out on DVD right at about the time that DVD sales as a format really started to take off because DVD players became more accessible. And that movie and the DVD format where you can instantly access special features to help enrich the experience, that was one of the best DVD experiences I've ever had where you could really lean into that supplementary material. So that's all I'm going to say. It's a classic movie. Yeah. Yeah, Memento's a must must watch. I got another article here, like it's from Inverse.com, and it says uh, Moon Knight leaks reveal a major new Marvel superhero team. So this article, I'll, I'll get into it, but basically it's it's taking like you know like once we get the Moon Knight series. Where could this all lead? And it says, Marvel's next Disney Plus series, Moon Knight, promises to be totally unlike anything else the studio has made. And its protagonist, Mark Spector, played by Oscar Isaac, a vigilante who suffers from dissociative identity disorder and is bestowed with powers by the Egyptian god Khonshu, has the potential to be one of the most unique unique heroes to appear in the MCU. Moon Knight is one of several heroes rumored to be part of Marvel Studios' Midnight Suns. In the comics, the Midnight Suns are a team of heroes who come together to fight supernatural threats. The group has counted characters like Blade, the Punisher, Doctor Strange, Ghost Rider, and Moon Knight among its members over the years. One of the leading Phase 4 rumors is that Marvel, much like it's said to be doing for Young Avengers, is planning on bringing together a version of the Midnight Suns in the MCU. Whether that actually comes to fruition remains to be seen, but it certainly seems possible that Mark Spector's role in the MCU post-Moon Knight will involve the Midnight Suns. It's even being reported that Mahershala Ali's Blade will have a surprise cameo in Moon Knight, and that the series will either feature Dracula in a prominent role or set up the villain for a future MCU appearance. If true, both surprises could confirm Marvel's long-rumored Midnight Suns plans. That is exciting as shit. And I would also want to throw in, I believe we're also rumored to see Black Knight, Kit Harrington show up as Black Knight in uh, the Moon Knight series. Um, and Stephen Farshid text messaged me, he uh, Facebook messaged me, and he's like, dude, uh, yeah, uh, that Moon Knight trailer... Um, I didn't know that Moon Knight was going to take place in London. Who else is in London? Mm-hmm. Kit Harrington's Black Knight. So yeah, we could see both Black Knight and uh, Blade show up in this series. This could be, dude. This could be setting up the Midnight Suns. Like all they would really need. I, I mean, here. Okay, let me just fucking throw out this rumor here real quick. Um, my time to shine. Hello on Twitter recently said that John Bernthal is returning as Punisher. Yeah. This is... <laughs> holy shit. This is fucking huge. Mm. If we can get... on, Like, seriously, think about this. We get a Moon Knight series. We get a Blade movie. John Bernthal comes back as Punisher. <clears throat> I'm talking two, three years down the road, we could get a Midnight Suns with a team comprised of Punisher, Blade, Black Knight, Moon Knight, 
Werewolf by Night, maybe. Werewolf by Night is definitely something people are talking about. Like, dude, can you imagine, dude, that series on Disney Plus? Get the fuck out of here. I'm, I'm there. God damn it. I'm there. <laughs> Marvel still has a lot of runway with horror for sure. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's really interesting. I mean, I, I saw the news about John Bernthal and it's, it's great. I also, I'm just curious, like how they make that work today. How did, well, how did they talk <laughs> John Bern, how did they talk John Bernthal to coming back after we just read recently that John Bernthal said he didn't want to come back and play some watered down version of Punisher? How did they talk him into this? Yeah, Maybe it won't it, be watered down. Mm-hmm. It makes you think so. And especially with that <laughs> trailer, I mean, he beats the shit out of somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, is is Marvel going to give us some more adult stuff? And I don't I don't know that we're going to see people get their head cut off with a door again sure. like on Netflix. But we might see some harder PG-13 stuff. I wonder. Yeah. Um, especially that- with this horror stuff. I mean, just, I mean, Disney Plus, just play it safe. Just be like, you know, at the beginning of Moon Knight, just say like, this is TVMA or something. Give us something, you know, just to let the parents know that maybe, maybe the kids shouldn't be watching this. But man, yeah, I'm ready for some adult content from Marvel. Fuck yeah. I mean, we're, come on, you're bringing back Deadpool. I don't want no PG-13 Deadpool bullshit. So come on, let's do this. Yeah, I'd be down. Uh, oh, I mean, oh, go ahead. Like, my worry would be that like we'd get like R-rated Marvel content, and then it would be like all the news stories is like parents did not read before they let their children watch this thing, and then Marvel traumatized a bunch of kids. Mm. <laughs> because then we'll never get it again. Yeah. And people are stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That I don't know. I mean, we'll see what Marvel does. Either way, I'm, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to to Moon Knight coming out. We'll see we'll see what happens. My time to shine. Hello on Twitter said that Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, and She Hulk are planned for multiple seasons. So they've got it. Uh, they've got it planned that they're 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 planning multiple seasons. For both, uh, for Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel, and She-Hulk, which is exciting. I don't know. I, uh, Tatiana Maslany is She-Hulk. I cannot wait. I don't know. Have either one of you watched Orphan Black? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Ooh. Ah, uh, you know, like, I, I, oh, I love Tatiana Maslany. I'm so happy to see her be involved in the, in the MCU. I cannot wait. Um, Black Panther rumors. Um, I got some Black Panther room, Black Panther Wakanda rumors here from my time to shine hello on Twitter. Uh, Lake Bell is playing someone called Dr. Graham and she and her team are using a device made by Riri Williams to find vibranium in the ocean. Now, if you don't know who Riri Williams is, Riri Williams in the comics is Ironheart. And we're getting an Ironheart series, and we know that Ironheart's first appearance is going to be in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. They say that Lake Bell is playing someone called Dr. Graham, and she and her team are using a device made by Riri Williams to find vibranium in the ocean. Riri Williams is a genius in the Marvel Cinematic, uh, in the, in the comics, in the Marvel comics, and her intelligence has basically been like, 
you know, I think they're saying she's she's even smarter than Reed Richards himself. And um, they go on to say it makes Namor mad and what starts the conflict in Black Panther 2. So they're confirming that the villain in Black Panther Wakanda Forever is going to be Namor. So that's all happening, it sounds like, Greg. If this rumor is true, that we're going to get Namor the Submariner as the main villain in Black Panther 2. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of us really wanted. I mean, I've been excited about Namor in this movie, and we've talked about it, and how much of that is going to be manipulation? I think I read somewhere Atuma is also in the film, so is Namor going to be manipulated? Is he going to be a true villain? Uh, who knows? I guess we'll have to see what we what we get. I think he's going to be a villain at first, but I would not... I mean, he's always kind of been an anti-hero, you know? I mean, there's times where he's a hero and there's times where he is a villain. I mean, you look at his like oh, his, absolutely. You look at his history at the Fantastic 4. His he had a he had a love interest of Sue Storm. And uh, you know, he's been a villain of the Fantastic 4, but then he's been a hero in the comics. So yeah. Um Casey Walsh, another leaker online, is implying that after Black Panther 2 Ryan Coogler's next project is the Midnight Angels. I thought that after Black Panther 2, Ryan Coogler would be done. You know, like, like this is, you know, Chadwick Boseman, sadly no longer with us. Ryan Coogler was under contract to do Black Panther 2. I think that I thought that this was going to be his like swan song, the last dance. It sounds like he's going to be doing a Midnight Angels series possibly. I don't know if it's a movie or if it's a Disney Plus series, but Midnight Angels, it could be, it could be, uh, um, Okoye and, oh, what's Denai Guerrero's character's name? Dude, I'm, I've been drinking. I'm like on beer number six right now. She's Okoye, right? Okoye and, oh, yeah, Okoye and then Nakia. Yep. But it could be, it could be, it's probably going to be a series with Okoye and some other fucking, uh, Dora Milaje. And a, a Dora Milaje series? Dude, I am there. Give me a Dora Milaje series. At, dude, I'm there day one. Yeah. I, I mean, when the Dora Milaje showed up in, um, oh, fuck. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier. Thank you. Thank you. Flip my shit. Yeah. Yeah. Give me more Dora Milaje, right? I mean, I'm down. And I love Denai Guerrero. I, I fucking loved her as Michonne in uh The Walking Dead and uh her as a Koye. Yeah, give me a fucking Midnight Angels series uh with Ryan Coogler. I mean it makes sense. I mean I love the fact that James Gunn is doing Peacemaker. Why not have Ryan Coogler go over and do like a TV series? Do you think it's gonna be a TV series or a movie? I can't even predict personally I'm I'm struggling to predict in Marvel's roadmap, because you know Kevin Feige has a whiteboard somewhere that yes. shows the next like ten years. Yeah, like how how are they deciding what's on TV and what's in theaters? And maybe is that fluid given the situation? I mean, they just saw Spider Man make a shitload of money, so now they're probably like, okay, we're gonna have a movie with Avengers in the title in twenty twenty four, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I I just don't know balancing both of those mediums at all i can't get a, i can't i can't guess but 
I mean, you, it sounds you, like an exciting idea. Go you, ahead, you, no, you tell me that fucking Oscar Isaac is playing Moon Knight. I'm telling you that oh, that ain't that's not going to be on Disney Plus. Right. It's it's hard. And is if they come together as Midnight Suns, is that a TV show? Right. Is that a movie? Right. If if we get Young Avengers, which they pretty clearly telegraphed, is that a show? It's got Avengers in the title. You're not putting that in the theater. Wait. It's gonna make a billion dollars. Wait. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta fucking. You got. You got a show called fucking Midnight Suns with Moon Knight, Blade, Punisher, and you're going to have... With that many characters, don't you want it to be a show? Oh, I'll tell you, I'm all in on shows, personally, because if you think of just the quality of the television that we're seeing and the budget, you get just better... I'm I'm more of a fan of long-form storytelling right now. I mean, we, we probably have a better appreciation for Wanda Maximoff than we do from almost all of the marvel heroes because we've gotten to know her so well yeah you can't do that in a two-hour movie yeah yeah look at oh god yeah i don't know but there is something to be said about fucking that end game moment when you're sitting in the theater with a bunch of fucking strangers and you're all fucking cheering and crying there's something to be yeah, said yeah. It's a, it's a, the social part of it. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's, but th- there's a social part to the the Marvel shows too. Like I, I mean, I mean, uh, watching the Wandavision episodes and then going straight to Reddit and interacting with people on Reddit or interacting with people on social media about these shows and what are other people saying about Wandavision? What are other other people saying about Falcon and Winter Soldier? Yeah, yeah, you know who <laughs> who's the power broker? You know, like the, the, yeah, so. I am very shamefully constantly searching for spoilers on who the next Black Panther is. And I can't, I'm almost ashamed. Yeah. Of, I just, I just don't have the patience. So all of like Daniel RPK, viewer Anon, my yeah. time to shine hello. Like I'm just constantly refreshing and I'm like, all right. So as, as last we've heard, is it, is it Shuri or not? No, is it's it not. Or not. It was, like, we don't it was originally going to be, here's what I've found out. To, to the best of my knowledge, it was originally going to be Shuri. Yeah. And then because of the problems that they've had with Letitia Wright, now they've changed it, and for the interim, it's going to be M'Baku. Right. So M'Baku is going to be the Black Panther going forward for a time. But the other rumor that I've heard is that um, Nakia... And T'Challa, yeah. before his passing, um, are going to ha- we're going to find out that they had a child. Together. And by the way, what what an am- if they don't do that, what a beautiful way to honor Chadwick Boseman's yeah. legacy. I mean, that is perfect. Yeah, to have his child carry on when the time is right. Yeah, know? I mean, and, and, yeah. What do you think? Like, could 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 Nakia have had? Could could she have had? Um, could she have had the child during the five years? Absolutely, and then and then that child would be seven now, roughly. Right, 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 right. You've right. got all sorts of weird things that can happen in Marvel time to give us basically who knows by the time Young Avengers come around fourteen. I'm just I'm making. I'm throwing spitballs here. Yeah. You yep. also have a multiverse to play. You have a lot of different stuff that you can do. You have five-year 
jump time jumps. I, I think there's a lot of different ways that they can do that. But you know, if it is Mbaku, give me two or three movies with Mbaku as the Black Panther as like a protector of this child. I mean, that's awesome. And maybe Midnight Angels is about. I mean, you know, you have like this king in waiting and them protecting him. Who knows? I, I think there are a lot of neat ways that they can go story-wise before giving us this young person as the next Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. And anybody but Shuri, too. I'm just done with her. I'm sorry. If that offends anybody, I'm, I'm just, just not. I'm done. No, I think I think I I mean who uh, whatever your stance I think they are too. <laughs> I think they are yeah. too. Whatever you st- like uh, but they were all in on Letitia Wright being the next Black Panther before this happened before like, you know, all that bullshit with she Letitia Wright. She epically fumbled the bag. Uh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's like they get it on both sides. They get it with Gina Carano on the Star Wars side and then they get it from yep. Letitia Wright on the fucking Marvel side. It's uh, it's unfortunate cuz I I fucking loved Letitia Wright in uh, the Black Panther movie. I saw that movie five times in theaters. You know what's coming back to the theaters uh, this week for me, Greg? They're bringing back... There's one specific theater near me. They're bringing back Shang-Chi in the theater again. Yeah, I love Shang-Chi. I got to tell you, like, I Tupperware, the first two... Act three of Shang-Chi, I kind of taste. But the first two acts are a Tupperware for me. Oh, I, I, I love, I even love the third act, man. I don't know, just, ah, that but was. I'm dying to see Shang-Chi with the Avengers. Get, I, I can't wait. I was so lucky. The way that I got to see Shang-Chi like two weeks early before like the general public when I got to see it at that early screening in St. Louis and it was the first packed theater I'd been in since like the pandemic. And it was just an amazing experience. You have no idea. It was so awesome to be in a room with like, like super fans of the MCU and, and being able to watch Shang-Chi. And, uh, oh, it was such a special fucking moment for me and everybody in there. It was awesome. Um, news from Heroic Hollywood. This is from Heroic Hollywood. They say are, this is spo- and I want to say this is spoilers for Spider-Man No Way Home. So if you haven't seen Spider-Man No Way Home, kind of just uh, bounce out right now. Spider-Man No Way Home star Andrew Garfield is down to face off against Tom Hardy's Venom. This is what Heroic Hollywood is saying. Ever since Spider-Man No Way Home hit theaters last month, many audiences have found a newfound appreciation for Andrew Garfield. The Academy Award nominee's performance in the film has received universal praise, with some even expressing hopes that somehow The Amazing Spider-Man 3 could see the light of day. In a recent interview with Josh Horowitz on the Happy Sad Confused podcast, Andrew Garfield opened up uh, opened up about the possibility of returning for more movies as Spider-Man, including a third standalone film of his own. "Quote: In terms of moving forward with the character, I am definitely open to that. It would have to be something very unique, very special." And of service to the audience and the character. I think there's something playful and unique and odd and unexpected to be done. I'm not sure it is, but if we can figure it out, that would be so much fun. With renewed excitement surrounding Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Spider-Man at fever pitch, some have even speculated that Tom Hardy's Venom could face off against him. With that possibility brought up to him, all he had to say was this. That's a cool idea. 
Oh, what shit. What do you know, Garfield? What oh. do you know? Yeah, hey, if if he knows something, he ain't saying shit. That <laughs> I want that movie so fucking bad. I love Venom. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love Tom Hardy's I love Ve- Venom. I love Tom Hardy. I love Tom Hardy's Venom. And I love now I have a love for Andrew Garfield's portrayal of Spider-Man after uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. And if we could somehow put these two together in a movie. Oh, my God. I am... I am there day one. Here's the thing. This blows my mind, though, Greg, Melissa, is the fact that, like, when they put Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man to bed, I was totally fine with that. I don't think anybody – I think there's probably some people that are kind of like, oh, fuck, here we go again, the reboot, and we're getting Tom Holland, whatever. I, I love Andrew Garfield, blah, 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 blah. There were people out there like that. I was not one of those people. I was just like, okay, let's move on with the next iteration of this character. Let's see what Kevin Feige – but here's the thing. No Way Home comes out, and – we get to see like this other side of the Andrew Garfield character. And we actually care about shit that happened in those, in, in his fucking movies. We care about what happened in the amazing Spider-Man two with the death of Gwen Stacy and the fact that he's able to, um, save the life of MJ in no way home. Like that moment was fucking huge for fans. And it was, and now it's like after like the performance, how funny that character was, and how much we fell in love with the di- 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 like the di- the dynamic of the three Spider Men together. For that, and now he's back in his own world. For them to say like "fuck it," like they fucking listen. They like they fucking threw the dirt on the grave of that fucking Spider-Man franchise. Like, it was done. It was dead. Has this ever happened before where they brought this shit back? I feel like we're in completely uncharted territory when it comes to, like, these superhero movies and, like, the multiverse stuff. Right? Like, how the... This... Greg... This is fucking nuts, isn't it, dude? Like, seriously. Like, we're, like, Marvel's, like, opening up the multiverse. And part of that multiverse is not just, like, new characters that they're going to be throwing into the multiverse of madness. Like, you know, we're going to, we know that we're probably going to be getting, like, a, a variant version of Mordo in Multiverse of Madness. We're going to get variant versions of different characters in Multiverse of Madness. But to lump in variant versions of Spider-Man into No Way Home, and those variant versions of Spider-Man aren't just Spider-Man that they're making up. These are fucking Spider-Man that were fucking... They actually were legit actors that had like their own franchise. I'm talking about like for years... Tobey Maguire had three movies. Andrew Garfield had two movies. Like, these are legit fucking movies that actually happened. And now one of them, like, might be coming back and getting a third Spider-Man film after it was like... That that movie was... Dude, that iteration of Spider-Man was dead. And this new movie has just been such a fucking hit that it sparked so much fucking... um, uh, excitement for Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man 
that we might be getting a third movie and they might be crossing it over with possibly with Tom Hardy's Venom. This is unprecedented, right? Like this is this is <laughs> this is pretty huge if it does happen. Yeah, let me preface by saying that whenever we're talking about Sony making creative decisions without Kevin Feige involved, I get uncomfortable as to what they're going to do and it feels at least as, as as if there's like a 50/50 chance they fuck this up. Mm. However, I'm sure some of the things that they're thinking about is, well, why why wouldn't we why wouldn't we tell Andrew's story and maybe cross him over with Venom just to, you know, ju- squeeze a little more juice out of the orange? Why wouldn't we explore what life is like for a 40-something-year-old Spider-Man who's got a bad back? Why wouldn't we do that? Why wouldn't we have Tom uh, Tom Holland Spider-Man and continue that story? We have the animation group with two more movies queued up, and we can continue to explore Miles there. I'm sure Miles in live action is coming soon. Some rumors around that, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could have a Spider-Man movie every year. Now, they I hope they're thinking about overexposure. Uh, like, rumors have been going crazy. I mean, there were rumors like, oh, wait, the next movie is going to be all three Spider-Men again from the beginning. And I'm like, okay, is that a, is that a great idea? Like, I, I trust me, I love this movie. Love it. Is that, is it, like, story-wise, where are we going from here? You know? So, I, I don't know. I think it's there are a lot of possibilities, and I hope that Sony takes a long-term view. And also, I don't see why they wouldn't continue to explore Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man and why they wouldn't continue to explore Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I mean, The Amazing Spider-Man 2 is fucking terrible. However, I really like the relationship with Gwen Stacy. I thought that was done very well. Yeah, it I was. When she died, it was very, very sad. I mean, it's there are a, little, a few little glimmers in there. And I think all of us felt bad for Andrew Garfield as an actor and a person. And it was kind of like a very meta way of everyone kind of empathizing with him for kind of drawing the short stick in this whole thing. Yeah. Melissa, um, I, yeah, I don't even know your thoughts on, uh, no way home. Oh, I loved it. I actually started, um, a, like a complete Spider-Man watch after I got home from no way home. So I had seen like the first Toby movie, I think, but like, way way back in the day like we rented it from family video and then i probably didn't pay attention to it right but like the upside down kiss i mean i knew about that and everything um but yeah i have started a full and complete spider-man rewatch i'm watching like one movie a week until i'm hoping that when i'm finished i can watch no way home again on (laughs) whatever streaming service it will land on (laughs) that's my that's my tentative plan but yeah um i i love no way home and it got me on a spider-man kick um i'm gonna watch i'm gonna watch daredevil on netflix for the first time it's gonna (gasps) be a whole bunch of fun and if i get to finish this project watching a like a Tom Hardy Venom movie with a Spider-Man in it. Like I will be, I will be very, very happy. I'm excited for you being able to watch Daredevil for the first time. Um, uh, Daredevil season one was, that was a game changer. I mean, mm-hmm. and I'm not just saying like, oh, like you can say like, oh, that's a game changer. This was a fucking game changer. Because it was Daredevil, it was Daredevil on Netflix. 
and anything could fly. Anything could fly. Violence and, I mean, characters and sexual situations. Like, anything could fly on the Daredevil Netflix show. It got super violent. It was, I feel like, Greg, what do you think? Like, do you feel like Daredevil on Netflix is going to be like the Frank Miller stuff? And then, like, once we get Charlie Cox in the MCU, it's going to be more like the Mark Wade. Yeah, it's funny because I know Vincent D'Onofrio has said something along the lines of, like, this is the same Kingpin. Right? Yes, yes, he has. I, I, I don't know that that's true because I have a hard time believing – and trust me, I love Daredevil Season 1, Tupperware. Daredevil Season 3, Tupperware. Tupperware, yeah. Daredevil Season 2, high taste the first half, taste the second half. Sure, but yeah. Overall, like, great show. I'm struggling to think that Marvel's going to try to reconcile this being the same Daredevil when it's so easy to say that this is a variant. Um, and also with Fisk. I, and I just, maybe Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't know or doesn't understand the multiverse. If his sister's listening, hello again. You're wondering, <laughs> I think she's a listener to the podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but either way, um, they're still part of the multiversal sort of story now. And I think that's great news. I just, uh, now, you know, Jessica Jones, is that MCU kind of some. Dude, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing that I'm hearing she's coming back and playing Jessica Jones online. And I'd love that. But how do you do Jessica Jones in the MCU? The tone is really different. I get it. My favorite part about this is you taking the moment to say hello to Vincent D'Onofrio's sister. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who might be listening, man. That's fucking crazy. I, I want to say hi to her, too. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? Thank you for listening. Um, God damn. You know what? It, it, at the end of the day, can we just be... Here's the thing. I, at the end of the day, can we just be happy that Vinny D's fucking the kingpin again? Absolutely. Right? I mean... I'm just, you know, even if we don't get the same Vincent D'Onofrio kingpin that we got in the Netflix series that's super fucking violent, I'm just happy that he's come. I can't see anybody else filling those shoes, man. He, I really can't. He is can't. the once-in-future kingpin. There will never be another kingpin. I mean, he is so perfect. Exactly. It's, a, it's the same problem that I feel like we're going to have as far as, like, trying to fill the shoes of, like, you know, Christopher Reeves from Superman and, like, whoever's going to ever try to take on the role of fucking Iron Man in the future. I feel like, the you know, anybody who tries to fucking play Kingpin after Vincent D'Onofrio. And, okay, who's it, was it Michael Duncan Clark? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean. He, he died. Ex- yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, Greg, he's, he, he, he is deceased. He's not coming back. But, uh, and I, I didn't have a problem with his kingpin, but man, nobody, it, it doesn't even compare what uh, Vincent D'Onofrio did. I don't uh, think we're ever getting another Green Goblin again either. God, who can fucking play Green Goblin the way Defoe did? Oh my God. Yeah, I don't know how anybody could fill those shoes. Anyway, let's move on. I don't know what you're talking Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness news. What is this? What is this? What is, what is this article I got here? Having essentially helped blossom. This comes from uh, Dark Horizons. Having essentially helped blossom the superhero genre into the dominant force it is today with Spider-Man trilogy, filmmaker Sam Raimi is now set to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe. 
the Helmer brings his signature touch as director to the upcoming Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is set to de- debut in May. The film follows directly on the Spider-Man No Way Home uh, as Benedict Cumberbatch's Doctor Strange pays the price for the multiverse shenanigans of that film. The film has also been plagued by the talk of extensive reshoots and questions about just how complete the film is. Turns out, Raimi himself isn't sure if it's done yet. This is what, what? He t- <laughs> this is what he told Variety. I wish I knew the answer to that question. I think we're done, but we just cut everything. We're just starting to test the picture, and we'll find out if there's anything that's got to be picked up. If something's unclear or another improvement I can make in this short amount of time left, I'll do it. One thing I know about the Marvel team is they won't stop. They'll keep pushing it until it's as close to being great as it could. I'm, I'll get into this when I'm still hearing about fucking reshoots and, 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 and stuff. It's crazy. Marvel Studios famously works and adjusts their film rights up until the deadline and additional filming is par for the course in these movies. Raimi has nothing but praise for the process of working with the studio. Quote, Marvel has been a great team to work with. I think that was a not surprising surprise. I've been super supported by the whole Marvel operations, starting at the top with Kevin Feige and working all the way down to the crews that they work with. They're super professional and have supported me every step of the way. Raimi has also seen Spider-Man No Way Home and unshockingly called it so much fun. The best word I can say is it was refreshing for me. And the article says that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is scheduled to open on May 6th. Even the director doesn't know if they're done. And this movie, like, it was going to originally come out in March, and now it's going to be coming out in May. Which, honestly, we're not that far away from May, to be quite honest with you. And I think, like, 2022 is going to be huge. Like, we've got uh, that coming out in May, and then in July, we've got uh, Thor, Love and Thunder. And then, hopefully, if everything stays the way that it should, we should be watching Black Panther 2, I believe, in November. Right? Yeah, I think they had another recent shutdown, too, right? Because of Lupita Nyong'o, I think, got COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah. they've Yeah, I, yeah that's why I'm saying, like, I don't know. Hopefully we'll be getting Black Panther 2 in November, because that could still get pushed. I just keep hearing about... Here's the rumor that I've been hearing for... Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. They've added even more cameos. Yep. They continue to add more cameos. And so we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I got a ton of fucking um, Marvel rumors from my time to shine on uh, on Twitter that I want to just like, we'll go down a list here in a moment. But um what, Here's okay. a question for you. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Brian. No, yeah. hit me with the question, man. Do you think that so, like, Marvel's really going to this multiverse direction, right? And we got we got definitely a good taste in Loki, but Loki's still I loved Loki. Loki's still a show on a streaming service. Yes. Right? Pretty pretty good numbers, but they're. I wonder to what extent they're seeing the reaction to Spider-Man No Way Home, 
And if there were questions outside of sort of like the creative groups, like, hey, are people going to get this multiverse thing? This is kind of complicated. Are they going to get it and are they going to like it? They know now, like, hey, people get it and people love it. So it feels like there's a connection between, and this is, I think, what you're talking about with these these rumors. There's a connection between the reshoots and the cameos. Like, they're saying, hey, people are going freaking nuts yeah. over these different versions of these characters and they're sneaking cell phones in to take pictures of, you know, Toby and Andrew and we can lean into this concept and people are going to love it. So let's, let's, let's be aggressive with it. Let's go crazy. Let's really lean into, can we get this actor back? Can we get that actor back? You know, it's one day on set and they'll make a nice little chunk of change and it'll be a viral moment. Like let's, let's try to do it. I, I wonder if that's what's happening. You got to think think about this. Think about this. It's like it's like okay, will this work? Will this work with audiences if we bring back this guy or if we bring back this person? Well, at one time people didn't even know who Thanos was when he fucking <laughs> first appeared in Avengers. And now it's like everybody knows who Thanos is. Yeah. I mean Thanos for kids growing up today, Thanos and Darth Vader are right there, man. Yes. I mean, that's how big Thanos is. I remember going to see Avengers opening day in a theater, packed theater, IMAX, packed. And at the end, when we first see Thanos, you only heard squeals from certain parts of the theater. I was one of them. Mm-hmm. There was definitely some kids in the theater that had watched some of the Avengers cartoon that got it. There was definitely some OG comic book fans that got it. But then there was a bunch of people like, you know, some guys, girls looking to like friends in their group. Who was that? You know, like they, nope, there's some people that didn't know. And like now everybody knows. I don't think they're worried about that anymore. You know what I mean? So like I think at this point – they could bring anybody in to play a cameo, and even if you didn't watch that movie, they don't care. Like, you'll get caught up. So, I'm, I, I have heard that Hugh Jackman is not in it. And I'm all for that. I, I just, I loved what Hugh Jackman did for Wolverine, and I love that his swan song was Logan. I've heard that he doesn't, he doesn't really want to come back. And they're saying that if he does come back, they're trying to talk him to come back for Secret Wars. Yeah. But I, I honestly, I think that any kind of variant that we're going to see in Multiverse of Madness, like I do believe that we're going to see Tom Cruise as a variant of Iron Man in Multiverse. Have you seen the picture? Yeah. I saw it and thought it was fake. And then I saw it a second time and I was like, I don't think that's fake. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's legit. I think, I think we are going to get Tom Cruise as a variant. And Melissa, I don't know if you know this story, but before Robert Downey Jr. was cast as Iron Man, John Favreau was really pushing for him as Iron Man. And the studio was like, no, we want a bigger name. They wanted, they wanted Tom Cruise. Hmm. And so. And so now they're thinking about as like a comical way to bring in like a variant version of Iron Man, actually giving us, you know, the Tom Cruise Iron Man as a variant version of Iron Man in Multiverse of Madness. I've heard that most of the variants that we're going to see 
in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness are going to be killed by Wanda. Mm-hmm. She's going to kill most of them. That'll be fun. <laughs> yes, thank I you. That's true. <laughs> thank you. I love it too. To see, to see. <laughs> I love it too. Oh my god, I love it too. I, 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 I love it too, and I don't want to sound like a softy, but I am for a minute. Like, how redeemable is Wanda going to be after this movie? And does that matter? You know, like I, I know. Again, I'm going to sound like such a soft. Like a lot of little girls love Wanda. Yeah, my favorite superhero now, and I again being familiar with the comics and the source material, like Wanda going a little crazy is not unusual. But if Wanda's totally irredeemable by the end of this thing, there's part of me that's like a little bummed out for all these little girls who love the Scarlet Witch. You know, I'm just whatever. All good. I I, I trust the direction that they're going in, and it's just something that weighs on me a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it would feel a little bit surprising to me for them to go like fully irredeemable. Like Wanda would end her time with the NC- MCU as a villain. I no, I think like I think Greg thinks that they're going to definitely try to redeem her. But like, how redeemable can a character be after you've seen all this death and destruction? And it goes back. I think it kind of goes back to like, you know, we saw the redemption of Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi, but then we watch fucking, you know. Revenge of the Sith and he kills a bunch of younglings, right? You know what I mean? Like, like, you can't shake that, you know? Revenge of the Sith, it's like, he kills, he kills children in that movie. Yeah, I mean, spoiler alert, if she kills a version of Charles Xavier played by Patrick Stewart. Yes. You know? And again, like a kid's not gonna react the same way an adult would on that one. Right. Like, uh, unless they somehow reduce the stakes of killing a variant, if they're like, oh, if they die here, uh, they go back, you know, like some way of not making it like Wanda's murdering all these people, you know? Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, that's one of the things I want to talk about. I'm hearing Patrick Stewart is in Doctor Strange 2. Like, my time to shine hello is saying that is the, that is the Xavier we're getting in the movie. It's Patrick Stewart. I've heard that from other sources, too. That's fantastic. And have they... Have they um, clarified the rumor about what he's going to look like yet, too? Uh, all I've seen is the concept art, and I think we see him in the chair. Yeah, the sort of Jim Lee era yes. um, hover chair, right? The yeah, hover chair. Awesome. Yep. Yep. Um, other rumors from my time to shine hello on Twitter that I've read this week, and I'll just draw. I'll just go through this as a list. Um, Jane's Thor could get her own project and then that was followed up by another leaker online saying it's not it's not a question of could it's more a question of will she will get her own project so they're saying that uh mighty thor played by uh oh uh natalie portman will get her own project yeah that's exciting to me i love natalie portman that first trailer, I just want to see that first trailer. I want to see that first trailer. I got to see, I love Natalie Portman too. I want to see that first trailer. I want to see, I want to see her as, you know, fucking Jane, Jane Foster as Thor. I got to see it. They're also saying, uh, my time to, sh- what, what were you saying, Greg? Greg? No, you think we'll get that at the Super Bowl? Mm. The timing kind of makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. Because that'd be because Love and Thunder is this late this year, right? Uh, Love and Thunder comes out in July. 
So that's, you know, February, July. That's five months. Yeah. Since that we'd see the trailer at the Super Bowl. That would be huge. I think, yeah, I think that makes sense. Uh, Russell Crowe is playing Zeus in Thor 4, and there will be other gods in it, too. Um... They want other Fox characters to return for future projects. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're going to get... I, <laughs> I mean, I hope that means that Evan Peters will be a legit Quicksilver... Will be the Quicksilver going forward. I, that's all I hope it means. Really, that's all I hope it means. <laughs> I sat down and did the same. I'm like, who do I want to come back? Yeah. Fox, you know? And I was like, okay, Hugh Jackman could be fun. And, you know, I, and I said what I said about that. Evan Peters, sure. Uh, Magic, sure. I'm your Taylor Joy. Yeah. Other than that, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm, I don't need any of the other, like, I'm, I'm good. Thank you. We're good. Honestly, I'm ready to hang up Hugh Jackman as Wolverine because of the way he went out in Logan. And if they just, if they want to recast, I'm fine with it. But I, would. I mean, if they brought back, like, a Michael Fassbender Magneto, that could be cool. But I think we've got to explore more than Magneto in these new yeah. movies. Yeah, know? yeah. I want, um, I would be, I, I want Evan Peters back as Quicksilver. I would love to have Anya Taylor-Joy come back as a proper magic, though. I'm so with you there, dude. Uh, after the reaction to No Way Home, Sony wants to make a movie with Toby, Andrew, and Tom together start to finish. I'm sure you saw that too, Greg. You, you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, this sounds like a bad idea. Especially for... Yeah, it does. It does, right? It does. For as much as I love that, I would rather see... I would rather see Tom Holland's character come back and do something different for the next movie. And then I would love to see by the final, by the final movie, him passing the torch to Miles Morales. Yeah, that feels like it makes sense. It feels almost like it undermines the ending of this movie. If it's like, Hey, on your, you're on your own and there's no more Peter Parker other than those other two Peter Parkers who helped you out. So maybe they'll <laughs> help you out again. Like really, like this was all about like breaking him down. So let's see how he picks himself up now without yeah. two other. But it's it's too much of it. It's too tempting though, because like yeah. it, it was so awesome seeing them all together again. Like why not reunite them again? Like that was yeah. I get it. No, but I, I get worry. what so, Sony's gonna fuck it up. Yeah. Um. Oh, my time to shine. Hello was asked to describe Daredevil's new suit. So Charlie Cox returning as Daredevil. We saw him in No Way Home. But what's the new suit look like? Um. My time to shine. Hello says it's going to be dark yellow and red. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, somebody said, uh, Hugh Jackman is in the multiverse of madness, and that's when My Time to Shine Hello said, um, yeah, uh, he's not in it. Maybe hmm. in Secret Wars, but he's not in multiverse of madness. Um, oh, this rumor had me super excited. Zazzy Beats will return as Domino for the MCU. I'm going to add her to the list of Fox people I'd love to see come back, <laughs> along with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. She was awesome. Of course. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I love Zazzy Beats. Hey, um, have either of you seen the Zazzy Beats, um, Winston Duke movie? Nine Days. Have you seen it? Yes. 
When did you see that? Um, probably like within a month or so. Okay, I saw it in the theater. Uh, I remember. It's been on my list since you reviewed it. Yeah, I actually I, I I pre-ordered it on Amazon and had it delivered to me, and so I own it on Blu-ray now. That's how much I love the movie. What did you think? Oh, I loved it. I loved it so much. I was so glad that I um, got the chance to see it before, like, uh, like podcasts started dropping their, like, t- top ten movies list. Uh, because Nine Days showed up on a lot of those lists on episodes that I watched. So I was really happy that I had seen it. And I was like, yeah, you're right. This movie is great. It's and so obviously, good. Brian, thank you for reviewing it on the show because that's why I had put it on my list. It played in the theater here just for like a week, yep. I think. Yep. And it happened to be a week that I did not have time to go see it. So. Yeah, I, I had the, I had the, I had the opportunity to see it in the theater, and uh, yeah, like you said, it was like in the theater for one fucking week. And uh, yeah, it's uh, Benedict Wong, uh, Winston Duke, Zazie Beetz, uh, um, what's his name, uh, Tony Hale from um, Arrested Development. Uh, it's a Tupperware. It's fucking fantastic. If you haven't seen Nine yeah, Days, really yeah, if you haven't seen Nine Days, I highly recommend. It. I'm glad you saw it, Melissa. It's like I haven't talked to anybody else that's seen it, so it's nice to know that it's, it's a little bit of validation for me in my rating of that movie because I fucking love yeah. it. Hell <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, uh, my time to shine. Hello says uh, yes. Uh, Tina Quetta is Namor, and yes, Chuck Woody Iwuji is High Evolutionary. Chuck Woody Iwuji. Uh, is in the Peacemaker series. So, uh, Tina Cuerta is gonna be playing Namor, it looks like in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and Chuck Woody Iwuji is playing High Evolutionary in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. There was a tease this week, uh, where Chuck Woody Iwuji was interviewed about his role in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. He said, my character is gonna be very powerful. And My Time to Shine Hello is saying that uh, he's playing High Evolutionary in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So, very cool. I love that James Gunn is like, you know what? I really love working with this guy and fucking Peacemaker. I'm going to bring him in as High Evolutionary in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Fucking awesome. Um, let's move on into DC news. Last night, Batman destroyed my vagina. And now the leftovers are going to destroy DC News. It's time for DC News, you fucking pieces of shit. I would love to listen to the episode where I first debuted that bumper, Greg. <laughs> like the, it's a classic that never gets old. Like the first one, the first episode where that that where that fucking I sent that script to a lady to record. Does that blow your mind, Greg, that I sent that to well, someone and said, I want you to record this? Again, my my memory might be a little off, but let's see. Didn't you ask her in advance, like, if she was comfortable swearing yes. first? Yes. Like, you, you like, yeah, that's right. Yes. I, I don't, I just don't throw that kind of shit out there. I'm like, <laughs> I don't throw, like, cause I don't want to offend anybody. Like, that, that was my first question when I started, first started talking to her. I was like, are you comfortable with, you know, uh, uh, with, with blue comedy? Are you, are you comfortable with, with cursing? And she was like, blue comedy? What's that? Yeah, that she, something my, my grandfather would say. 
<laughs> but I, I asked her if she was – I could probably find the, the email if I wanted to. I asked her if she was comfortable with, with cursing and, and foul language, and she was all about it. So I was like, all right, let me – and she loved recording it. She fucking had a blast. <laughs> I'm actually thinking I – mean- I'm thinking about doing a Patreon episode, Greg. Tell me what you think about this. Maybe I can have – I would have you on for this one. If you wanted to do this one with me, let me know. I was thinking about having a Patreon episode where I play all of the unused bumpers that have never made it to the actual podcast. I've had a bunch of them for segments that have never made it onto the podcast, and I would play I, them. I would love that. Would you? Yeah, and you know I've always wanted to hear your unused Star Wars bumper. I have it, and I would play it on that episode. Yeah, no, I think you, I think that's a great idea. I thought you were going to say that you were going to interview her, because I'm also fascinated, like, how many other reads of that did she do? <laughs> like, because it's a very, it's like, Batman destroyed my vagina. Like, there's so many different ways you can approach that line. Right. And I love where she landed, but I'm also... Like how how else she thought of approaching it? You know? There was um, do you do you know the uh, the bumper that I have for it's the the Morgan Freeman one where he's like, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's the Morgan Freeman one where he's like, and I shit my what does he say? And I I and I and I blew, I blew up, up my diaper. Yeah, I blew yeah. up this and diaper. And he starts laughing. And he he's starts laughing. The, yeah, the 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 guy that did the voiceover for that one, I sent him the, I sent him, like, this is what I want you to say, and I want you to say it like Morgan Freeman. And he sent me back. He sent me two versions of it. And he's like, all right, this first version is the first time I read it. And he's like, that laugh, he's like, that laugh is a genuine laugh. Like, I read it, and I, I laughed. <laughs> I laughed. And he's like, but I recorded another one where I didn't laugh. But the first one was a genuine laugh. I couldn't stop from laughing. I found it funny and I laughed. And you can use whichever version you want to. And I kept the laugh in. I thought it was great because he fucking broke character and he laughed. So. I love that. I love that bumper. <laughs> I love it when I can get one of these voiceovers to fucking break character like that. That That's like the ultimate compliment right there, you know? <laughs> I had to keep that shit in. But, yeah, maybe we can – I'll do a Patreon episode and I'll play – there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of them. I bet um, I could play a bunch of them. And you'd get to hear that. Uh, I'd let our Patreon listeners listen to that Star Wars bumper that I vowed to never play. But I would do that for <laughs> Patreon. Did I tell you about that weird dream I had where I was trying to get B. Arthur to record a bumper for you? You did. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> a fucked up dream, dude. Tell us – no, was, tell us about it, dude. I had this dream that I was at a party. Arthur was there, and she was talking to me, and I don't remember what she was talking to me about, but I stopped listening to what she was saying and realized that I hadn't offered her condolences for uh, Betty White dying. Yeah. So I go, like, she says whatever she was saying to me, and I was like, Mrs. Arthur, I just wanted to offer condolences on the death of Betty White. I know, she, you know, you were close, and she was like, well, thank you very much, and you know, it was a nice moment. And then she goes off to a different part of the party. And I go, I think to myself, fuck, I got to go have her record a bumper for Brian. I forgot to ask her. And then I don't remember what else happened in the dream. But I remember feeling bad that I didn't ask her to record a PCL bumper. <laughs> or or letting her know that she died years ago. Oh, well, that was the part of the dream that doesn't make sense. That she's been dead for a long time. Yeah, like. 
Oh my my condo- also I wanted to give you my condolences on your death that happened right. a, that happened a decade ago. You're also dead. I'm <laughs> sorry to tell you. Yeah. No shit. It's like it's like that uh like I see dead people. It's like what was that what was that what was that movie called? And that Shyamalan. The Sixth Sense. The Sixth <laughs> Thank you. It's like one of the most iconic movies ever and I can't remember the fucking name of it cuz I'm 7 beers in. Um no DC no. <laughs> that DC bumper. That's ridiculous. I said yeah, it's really funny because I listened to the podcast at one point five speed. Yeah. So to hear those bumpers at normal speed and to hear her saying what she's saying at like a slowed down <laughs> like speed is extra funny. <laughs> Last night. Batman destroyed my vagina. All right, there we go. That's a, <laughs> last night. Batman destroyed my vagina. You're not going to hear that on any other podcast here. Anybody like that's it. This is it. This is where you. This is where you come for Batman destroying somebody's vagina. Um, news from Dark Horizons: The Batman tested a four-hour cut? Question mark. Jesus. Yeah. The news came the other day that Matt Reeves, the Batman, would clock in at 175 minutes, making it the longest solo Batman film released theatrically to date. A new report in the Heat Vision newsletter, however, revealed that some test screenings of the noir detective film had it going even longer, with one version clocking in at four hours. That would put it on par with Zack Snyder's Justice League as the longest superhero film to date at 242 minutes and certainly longer than Snyder's 183-minute Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice ultimate cut. Whether we'll see such a four-hour cut on home video is not known at this time. We do know the film will follow the early years of the mass vigilante in Gotham City, and it stars Robert Pattinson, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, fucking uh, four-hour Batman cut. What do you think? Like, okay, we're going to get this uh, two-hour and 55-minute cut, apparently, uh, in March, uh, March 4th. But do you think that that would be, like, a big selling point for maybe... HBO Max, and we get this actual four-hour cut, you know? I know, like, this is going to drop theatrically on March 4th, and they're saying that 45 day, forty-five days later, in April, it's going to be available on HBO Max. Do you think that maybe after the theatrical cut has debuted on HBO Max, that maybe maybe a few months down the line, they'll break this up into, like, episodes or maybe two episodes like they did with, you know, like, Dawn of Justice or something and give us, like, a four-hour cut of this? I mean, I feel like they have to be considering it to have even, like, screened the four-hour cut of the movie, you know? Can you imagine going into <laughs> No, be, absolutely be. <laughs> not. And I want to see this movie so fucking badly, but like I'm already like it's a harder sell at three. It's hard or <laughs> I know. Just, Some people think I'm crazy that I'm a I'm a little kind of put off by the three hours. I had I had one of our listeners and I love this guy. He's on Twitter. Um and uh you know, he's a uh, I, he, he's been listening to the show for years. He said like, Oh, I would watch a 10 hour cut 
of this. And I well, said, that's a TV series, and I want to watch it on my couch. Yes, yes. <laughs> like I don't want to be in a theater watching ten hours of Batman, and even three three hours is a lot to ask of me. In a theater. And, and like without an intermission, we're only human. I know. It's like, uh, I, I gotta take a piss. Yep. <laughs> well, that's like three hours. Yep. I think all day. I'm like, all right, how much fluids am I, how much fluid am I taking in? Right. What am I eating, you know, so that I don't have to piss during the movie? Yeah. Is this, um, is Matt Reeves planning a trilogy? Is that what I ended like? This is the first of possibly three films. I'm, I'm I've definitely been hearing about uh, the second film, and they're talking. Yeah, I'm definitely hearing about a second film. I I wouldn't be surprised if they're looking at a trilogy. Yeah, it's interesting because I'd love to see a four hour cut on HBO Max, and I also wonder like if there is a trilogy, do they create like continuity problems? You know. My guess is they don't care about that because we still saw Zack Snyder's Justice League. But yeah. like the the extended editions for Lord of the Rings worked because they already had the whole story mapped out. So it's not like they were showing us anything in those extra scenes that messed up something that was going to come later. You know? Did you hear about the the book? Um, there's no. a, there's a there's a Batman. Yeah, Before the Batman. I actually just posted this on uh, Facebook today. It's called Before the Batman, an original movie novel that is coming out on February 1st. It's called Before the Batman, an original original movie novel is an exciting new story inspired by the all-new motion picture, The Batman. Warner Brothers, The Batman, releases in theaters March 4th. Uh, bringing with it all the adventure and action of one of the most popular superheroes in the world. We all know billionaire Bruce Wayne is secretly Gotham City's vigilante detective and protector of the Batman, but what road led him there? Find out in Before the Batman, an original movie novel, which includes an exciting original story of Bruce Wayne's early adventures on his way to becoming the Batman. This novel features an eight-page full-color insert and pull-out poster. The book will be released on February 1st, and you can pre-order it here. And I go to this site, penguinrandomhouse.com slash books. And then you can order it off of Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and it's $9.99. I've got this actually saved in my... Uh, in my cart on Amazon, I'm going to be purchasing this and hopefully being able to read it before the movie comes out. But uh, it looks like it's a prequel book, a prequel leading up to the events in the Batman. So, and that might also confirm, thank God, we're not going to see Thomas and Martha Wayne get gunned down in this movie, which I think we're all good with. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, well, what else are they going to show us for four freaking hours? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, four like hours. if you're getting a prequel book, what do you need a four hour movie for? Well, they've cut it down. They've cut out. They've cut the fat, so we're getting it two hours and fifty five minutes. Yeah, of, they really too, worked right? it out. Uh, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting Riddler, who's kind of like the featured villain. It looks like, but we're also getting Penguin. Yes, uh, Catwoman. Yes. Uh, maybe Joker in a cameo. I've heard that too. Yeah, that they're 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 setting up a Joker. So it might just be they have a lot of. It could just be a lot of material, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Would it be a Joker that already exists, or is somebody being cast for that? It's definitely not Leto. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 as far as I know, that they're, they're still wanting to keep this separate from all the stuff that we've seen mm-hmm. from the Snyderverse and the DCEU. Did you hear that it's Barry Cogan, the guy who played Druig in Eternals? I have. I have heard that. There was the rumor, and it it was actually his brother that kind of spilled that news, right, online. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. Yeah, Barry Cogan's brother online kind of, like, let the cat out of the bag that that, that Barry Cogan would be the new Joker, and we'll see if that actually ends up happening. Yeah. Um, last story that I have for this episode is Peacemaker. Uh, this comes from comicbook.com. Peacemaker metal band Wigwam was dropped by agent three days before. Do you want to taste it? Opening took off. So like the opening music for the show, uh, uh, do you want to taste it? That song is performed by a metal band called Wigwam. And they were dropped by their agent three days before the show hit the air. Peacemaker, Damn. yeah, listen to this. Peacemaker has been a hit with critics and audiences alike, and fans are especially obsessed with the show's opening credits, scripted by Gunn and choreogra- choreographed by uh, Carissa Barton, who calls the expressionless and robotic style the Peacemaker groove. The dance number is set to Wigwam's "Do You Want to Taste It." Wigwam is a Norwegian glam metal band formed in 2001 who had some bad luck right before their song took off thanks to Peacemaker. In fact, they were dropped by their agent three days before the show premiered. Quote, three days before the Peacemaker premiere, our Scandinavian booking agency, United Stage, dropped us from their roster because there was too little interest in the band. Singer Age Sten Nilsson said in a recent interview with Billboard, quote, I told them maybe they should wait a couple of days, but they didn't. In another Billboard, in another interview, in another Billboard interview with Gunn, the director was informed that Wigwam was let go from their agency only for things to take off for them, thanks to Peacemaker. And he, he says, oh, my God, that's amazing. Um, Gunn replied, he also revealed how he chose the song for the opening. I knew about them for a while. I read a bunch of books on hair metal and I started searching sites where you go to find different types of music. I get really heavily into different types of music at different times. I was really into power pop for a while and I have hundreds and hundreds of obscure power pop albums on disc. I got really into Swedish rock for a while and I would write on the Swedish music blogs and talk to the guys putting them together. And then I got into this. I got into hair metal and wigwam for that type of modern European sleaze rock. They are not that unknown. There are bands like Crazy Licks out there that are super fun. We have another one of Wigwam songs in episode seven that's pretty cool. Billboard also interviewed United's Jan Roger Andreasson, who spoke about letting Wigwam go. 
First of all, let me say I fully support the band. They are true. They, they are a true gem in the Scandinavian rock scene and lovely guys to work with. I sure hope this soundtrack will give them a whole lot of well-deserved attention beyond their original fan base. Andreasen added that United knew about the song being in Peacemaker for some time, but didn't realize what it would do for the band. Quote, Usually a song featured in a TV series is less important for ticket sales and concert booking than one would think, he explained, adding, this time it might be different, though. <laughs> you done fucked up. Because <laughs> that song fucking hits, man. Yeah, and that's just like embarrassing for that person you didn't even want to wait and see what happened with peacemaker exactly three days before man and the fucking song takes off and i guarantee you that wigwam like if you were to look at their like spotify listens before to now night and day difference i guarantee you i guarantee you well this is the thing too is had this person done just a tiny bit of research like James Gunn uses music in a way that's not just like any other show or like yes. any other movie like music is absolutely a huge part of his style yes. and you got to know like all right there's a chance that this blows up I mean, that's just stupid. It is stupid. Like I would just, t- I would say, like, okay, let's not, let's not drop them now. Let's, let's wait for four days. They, I don't think they, I don't think that they, I think they sh- thought that a song of theirs would just appear in the show. I don't think they had any idea that it was going to be part of the opening credits, or that the opening credits were going to be that the peacemaker opening. Credits. Yes, yeah, that it was going to be that epic, and everybody would be talking about the opening credits for Peacemaker. They done fucked up. They fucked the up. Royal catastrophic life mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, I, uh, I hate to admit this, but um, I haven't watched the latest episode of Peacemaker yet. I haven't yet either. I have, and it's just as good as all the ones before it. Mm, I'm, yeah. I actually I recorded a Patreon episode uh, with Tristan and Joe, and I was like, "Oh, as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to watch that episode." And I didn't. And then I, I just got caught up watching stuff for like this episode, and so it's going to be on the list tomorrow. Have you guys? I don't know if you guys have listened. Have you listened to the new Patreon episode? I have not yet. I haven't. Tristan. I know. I'm so excited. Tristan, guest of the, of many PCL episodes, um, talked to me and Joe about his, uh, trip to Peru and his experience on ayahuasca. And it is fucking an incredible. Uh, discussion. I was blown away. Like yeah, that. I really cannot wait to listen to that firsthand accounting. Listen, I mean, it's, I'm not kidding you. I'm not, and that's what I love about Patreon. It's like, you know, like PCL episodes. I love doing PCL. I love talking to you guys. I love talking about this shit. <laughs> but like fucking like Patreon, like I can fucking, I can do whatever the fuck I want to on Patreon. We don't have to fucking talk about like, uh, you know, all this shit. 
all this pop culture shit. I can, I can talk to my friend Tristan about his trip to Peru and like him taking ayahuasca and shit like that. Like that's real. Like I was like, I took it. I was like, this is an opportunity for a Patreon episode. And it was a fucking cool fucking discussion. Yeah. I had a great time talking with Tristan and, and Joe. So yeah. If you're not on page, yeah, man, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm fucking shilling shit right now, Greg. That's bullshit, man. Whatever. But if you're not, no, if, I, it's I, fucking I, cool. I, um, I saw Tristan, Tristan's pictures from his trip. But yes. I just have to listen to the episode. It's dude, definitely listen to it. It's fucking cool. I was blown away. I've never, like I've listened to other people talk about ayahuasca and shit, but I've never been able to just like, Hey dude, tell me about your experience and being, just being able to ask questions about like what it what it was like i i really felt i don't know i was i i i don't know i just thought it was really cool to be able to talk to somebody like one-on-one about their fucking experience about something that i've actually kind of considered you know doing myself so yeah it was really cool and like now that i've talked to tristan it's like fuck I really got to do it. I got to eventually. It's something that's got to happen. It's got to happen for me. Yeah. I, I think it could be like life changing. I'm not even joking. Maybe the next C2E2, the whole army can do ayahuasca. Dude, that was something that I fucking brought up on the podcast. I was like, can you imagine if we fucking got like all, instead of doing C2E2, we all just fucking like, just fucking did ayahuasca and shit. Um, yeah. So we'll have to pick one army member to slip some badass and just to fuck with them and see what happens. <laughs> we'll talk in a Patreon episode about who that is, and if they don't listen, they won't know. Oh god! <laughs> you leave Philip alone. He went through yeah. enough. I was just about to say I'm not giving anybody drugs at C2E2 again. Ah, uh, uh, I wasn't making reference to that. I know. <laughs> so, trust me, I Philip. I love you, dude. I fucking love Philip. Philip. I love him too. too. He's a sweet soul. Yes, he I, is. Uh, I, I adore him. Love Philip. I guys, that is all I have for this episode. I want to thank our guests. I want to thank. I want to thank Hendy Gregg for joining us on episode four ten. Always a pleasure, man. Always a blast. And what's go- what's going on? What's going on with the uh, YouTube channel? You, what are you doing? What are you doing over there? Yeah, so I just put out a video a few weeks ago. I uh, put in a new floor, so I had a little flood in my basement, and I put a new floor in. So I've got an episode that's probably about a month old, um, and I've got lots of handy Greg footage. So we, sometimes these projects actually take months. So I've got a doing the video takes a few months, but I'm filming multiples at the same time. So. That's what's happening right now. Oh. And you get to see my, I actually get hit by a car in this most recent episode. So <laughs> if that's something that you want to see, go ahead and watch the video. My wife hits well, kind of. Yeah, Jill hits me with the handy van in this episode. So. <laughs> if you, you want to see me get hit by a car, please t- tune in. Oh, that's great. Melissa, what's going on? What are you doing over there? Not much. Yeah, are you getting um, are you getting hit by Nissans? What's going I on? I haven't gotten hit by any Nissan recently. <laughs> it's been a really, you know, boring time. No vehicular incidents. Um we just got back to recording our Mad Men podcast, so those episodes will be coming out again soon. And then Jared and I have just been making episodes of Wild Pretty Things. That's Hanging awesome. out inside, talking about movies. There you go. There you go, guys. Oh, my God. Uh, episode 410. 
We were off last week. I didn't even mention that. We didn't, I was just, I was completely off last week. We, we just didn't even have an episode come out last week. You think people get upset? Uh, Greg, are people upset when we, when, when there's not an episode the next week? Do you think people, you think people get upset when there's not an episode that they can't listen to? I, I think upset's the wrong word. I think they're, they're sad, but there's always overwhelming love for you guys and appreciation for what you do and hope that you have a wonderful break. I mean, I think that's what everyone overwhelmingly feels. When, when, when is, when is, when am I, when am I just going to, when, when am I going to break as a human being and just, and just, (laughs) when am I just going to snap? And, and, I mean, I think all the listeners have been asking that question for eight, nine years now. What are we going to see? I ask myself that question weekly. When am I going to snap and just say, "Fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> this is I'm done with this shit. I want my I want my Saturdays back." <laughs> is it going to be like uh, like um, Goodwill Hunting, where Jake shows up on Skype and there's just nobody there? He just knows you're gone. You know? I, don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what keeps me going. It's fucking weird, man. There, there, It's it's weird, man. It's weird. Like, I honestly, I have to do. I do have to say that if it wasn't for the listeners, I wouldn't keep doing this all the time. I love doing it, but man, there's, there's, there's. So I wouldn't do it as much if it wasn't for the listeners. It, it meant a lot to me this like Christmas. I got I got a bunch of Christmas gifts from from different listeners and it's just like man people wouldn't send stuff send stuff to me in the mail if they didn't give a shit like that means something and it's huge like i you know like wayne brunius sent me some wonderful gifts and so many different people sent me you know mark busking sent some wonderful gifts so many people sent me some wonderful stuff this this christmas season it's like people wouldn't send stuff if they didn't give a shit so it, it means a lot, man. And it's 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 pretty awesome to form connections and and, and meet new people and stuff like that. I'm hoping that uh, uh, when C2E C2E2 happens in August, that uh, there's a there's a huge turnout this year uh, for people showing up and getting to meet new people. I, I would I would really like that, Greg. There's such pent up demand. I mean, I think the next C2E2, whenever it is, is going to be the biggest one ever. No question for the, I, for the yeah. leftover army. After over two two years off of being able to hang out, I, I want to see uh, I want to see all the people again. I can't wait to see you know I can't wait to see you, Greg. I can't wait to see Joe Stark again and uh, Rebecca, and you, Melissa, and and uh, you know everybody that shows up to the C2E2. Paul Hart, June. Uh, I, I know, Neil, oh god, I can't wait to see fucking Neil again. Jesus Christ, that motherfucker. I fucking love Neil. Neil, Neil puts me in good spirits, I'll tell you that much. I love Neil. So, can't wait to see everybody again. I know I'm leaving a bunch of people out. Don't be, don't be butthurt, but I can't, I, I can't wait to see everybody again. Yeah, I'm really excited. I love when everybody comes to Chicago and I can just show up. <laughs> It's fun. It's fun. It's no. You act like you bring nothing to it. You're like, oh, and everybody, and I, and then I show up. Oh no, no. I just meant I don't have to do any traveling. (laughs) No, that's true. Little train down to all my friends. (laughs) That's true. You're already in the Chicago area, so it's it's like, yeah, you get to go home and shit. We all get. We all go back to our goddamn hotel rooms and shit. Yeah, that's true. Thank you guys so much for showing up for this episode. 
talking bullshit with me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I liked it. I had a really fun time. She said she liked it. She didn't love it, Greg. She liked it. <laughs> no, I'm Tupperware. No, that's my no that go. that's my takeaway. She liked it. It was a tasted episode from from Melissa. This episode. No. Mm-hmm. I'm fucking with you. All right, guys. Just like all good leftovers here on the uh, on the doggy bags. Uh, thank you for listening and. Uh, do they really say, no I've never read a doggy bag that ever said that I don't ever I've never it's a bullshit statement isn't it I mean it's I've always wondered what bag says that no, no, I've never uh, read a bag that said that it is the dumbest thing that I ever say at the at the end of these episodes I think I'm done with saying that shit it's a, the dumbest shit I've ever fucking said the bags do say thank you though. When all the do you have the bags that say thank you and all the red yeah. lines just over and over? Yeah, that's yeah. Different. It's just like all the doggy bags. They say thank you. They don't say uh, thank you for listening and uh, whatever. It's a dumb shit. All right, guys, we'll see you next week for episode four eleven. We're almost to four episode four twenty, Greg. Amazing! Isn't that crazy? Four hundred some episodes. You're gonna have a hard time picking the right guest to be on that when there's so many great candidates to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, just a plethora of potheads, right? Yeah. <laughs> who, who was the biggest stoner in the leftover army? Let's let's start thinking about the top twenty-five stoners that we have to pick from. <laughs> so true. Which one of you? Fucking pothead <laughs> under it. Have an have an email contest like who who can prove that they smoke more weed than any other listener has yeah, made shit. being on episode four twenty. <laughs> Which one of you lazy pothead underachievers wants to come <laughs> on four twenty? It's probably Neil because Neil's been so stoned he hasn't listened for like a hundred episodes. <laughs> it's he'll he'll probably show up for episode four thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, you were supposed to be on ten episodes ago. <laughs> oh god. Alright guys, we'll see you next week with episode four eleven. Thank you, see ya. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. You people need a t shirt saying I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and it's all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before And we don't want to be a copycat We're the leftovers picking up the scraps Drop by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good it toss it, good it taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's fix it, can erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over like a vulture Carryover, counterculture, pushover Pop culture Leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say's already been said Leftovers Pretty sure Leftovers Podcasts that are original and good Have already been done before